Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network for something better than dead ducks. Uh, we're talking about the future. Back to the future. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and back to the past. We're, we're talking about 1955 and 1985 and all the great years in between that uh, we don't get to see. We are on to Back to the Future Month, one of the movies that I think we both wanted to cover for a long time. Probably average-wise, the number one movie on both of our top movie lists of all time because it made both of our top three, I believe. Mm. The only one that came anywhere close to that. Uh, Back to the Future 1, the original, Robert Zemeckis's uh, breakthrough movie, Michael J. Fox's movie breakthrough movie, Christopher Lloyd giving one of the greatest performances in movie history, and Thomas F. Wilson, and Crispin Glover, and... Leah Thompson and um, I think Billy Zane's in this too. Do we? Does he get a mention? Said Michael J. Fox. I said him. Yeah. I thought you were going to go with Eric Stoltz. I'll say him again because (laughs) Michael J. Fox is that great, and he's Canadian. And Eric Stoltz. (laughs) Back to the Future. And Eric Stoltz somewhere (laughs) in the special features. (laughs) My name is Colin, and I am your density. I mean your destiny. I was actually going to go for that one, funnily enough, but I changed it last (laughs) minute. Uh, And my name is Ben, and I'm an idiot. Comes from upbringing. My parents are probably idiots too. Colin, you have a kid who acts like me? I'll disown you. Can we just keep on the, my name is Colin and give me a milk, chocolate. <laughs> I was going to use that one too. Like, my name, <laughs> silence earthling. My name is Darth Vader. I am an extraterrestrial from the planet Vulcan. Um, yeah, this this movie is so good. It's a movie that I grew up with. I can barely remember even seeing it for the first time. I've got tons of stories to tell throughout this. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if we ever seriously talked about doing back to the future though, before, cause you got to wait for a reason for it. And I don't know. There wasn't like an obvious anniversary or the ones where there were obvious anniversaries. We were doing other stuff yeah. and then it just sort of came up. Like we decided let's just do movie franchises we love. And the first one we thought of was back to the future, the entire trilogy, just get it out of the way. And we're finally here. I mean, this is probably the highlight of the year, right? I th- yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, the obvi- we we started the Oz Network from Survivor Oz, what, in 2017. So if we were around in 2015, that would have been the obvious one, back to, you know, the day of the future travel. The scary bit is that when you turn around and say that we are now further removed from this movie's release than Marty is from yeah. traveling back to <laughs> 1955. That's scary. But, yeah, it's um, we've always wanted to find an excuse to do it. And I think it's never really fit into anniversary month or anything along those lines. We are still hopeful they will never make a fourth one. This is definitely a franchise. I do not want them to ever do another one ever again. Yeah. Um, and stay alive, Robert Zemeckis, because I think as long as you are living, they will never do another one again. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so exciting. We, we, we always generally at least once a year have some sort of franchise that we're pumped to do. This year, we both kind of said like, let's do just one of these franchises that we've been dying to do. 
and we just haven't mm. got an excuse. And there were two trilogies. It was this or Rush Hour. We went with Back to the Future, which means we'll probably do Rush Hour next year. But, uh, I mean, it's 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 exciting because, I mean, after last month, uh, <laughs> it's and this is another one of those months where I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, you can see how long this goes for. We took so long with Star Wars and Jurassic Park and all those other franchises. But um, I'm excited because, yeah, this was number three on my greatest, the first one. Uh, but, I mean, again, the second and third ones are still fantastic films that probably could have and yeah. should have made. They would be in my top 100, the other two. Anyway, I'm excited, Colin. I'm excited. Can you tell? Yeah, I'm excited. me too. Me too. I feel full of gigawatts. Yeah. <laughs> can't even move. Gigawatts. Oh. gigawatts. Uh. <laughs> in the future, you can have with your nuclear fusion. Gigawatts. I mean, this, there's so many great quotes in this movie. Uh, the, the story is amazing. Like, there's so much to talk about. But history, I'm trying to remember seeing this movie for the first time. I don't really remember. I think I, I definitely saw it on TV. Um, and I would have been young. Uh, it would have been before Back to the Future 2 came out. Because when we get to next week, I, I was lucky enough to actually be there. One of the first times I ever got to see a movie on the big screen was Back to the Future 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Back to the Future 1, I saw it on TV. We definitely had it on VHS. Watched it nonstop. Um, I love this movie enough that uh, we had uh, in in um, first grade or second grade, I can't remember which one it was, we had to do like a journal every single day. And the teacher would make us all read our journal in front of the class. And after a while, when I guess people's journals just started getting boring, like I ate breakfast today, I had scrambled eggs, the end. She's like, you know, you guys can get creative with this. Like if you write a story, if you want. So I'm like, I'm going to write a story. And I just wrote a story, which was me in Back to the Future. Uh, it was, you know, Colin uh, finds a DeLorean and then the DeLorean. And then all of a sudden, like, isn't that that movie that was on TV last night? I'm like, yes, it was. You saw it too. <laughs> Sounds like um, uh, but, back, uh, How I Met Your Mother when like um, Barney used to always tell stories. He'd go like, oh, I'll tell this story about this. And somebody would interrupt me going, that's Weekend at Bernie's. And he's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. well, let me tell you another story. It's like, that's Back to the Future. It's like, oh, let me tell you another story. <laughs> This is, here's our Simpsons one of the 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 week here, uh, the where Tim uh, Tim who was <laughs> home improvement different Love show Tim. Homer when Homer is going through something and then they said oh, Homer that was happy days no they weren't all happy days yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good but yeah I mean I I had that I remember uh, and I'm sure every kid did something like this but I would basically when I was living in Metropolis speed my bike up and down I would spend hours just driving my bike up and down the roads and there was like uh, uh, right by there was there was like a, a, an old church there, like one of the ones with the steeple and the bells on it. And then you had like the power lines that kind of went down from that. So I'd see that power line and it would be like, it's like a clock tower. And then there's the power line. And I just speed my bike for like a minute straight. And I'd be humming the music in my head. Until I like went underneath it. And then as soon as I went underneath it, I'd be like, I got back in time. Then I'd turn around and be like, now I got to go back to the future. <laughs> I just ride the bike back again. Uh, I mean, I love this movie. I'll have even more childhood stories for part two and part three next week. But I mean, yeah, this is something I grew up on. And I never got bored with it. I mean, I... I Bought all of the DVDs and all the, the Blu-ray releases they've come out. I'm really excited to talk about some of the special features too. Which it's interesting that I, I can vividly detail my history with this film because I have a very unique history with this film. Like all the movies that I would watch as a kid and like dad and all that kind of stuff we've talked about before. For some reason, Back to the Future was never part of it. I knew this franchise existed. We had a, a very um, famous ad on VHSs in Australia when you would rent or buy them. It was kind of like a little three-minute clip where it was just sort of like ratings advice. So it would basically show like a family there in a video store and you would see, gee, general exhibition. So this family's all there and they're watching like a whatever the cartoon was and they all laugh. I think it was a Looney Tunes cartoon. They all laugh, whatever. Then it goes to parental guidance. 
And then you see like another movie where it's sort of like, oh, it's got a bit of language in it. So they cover the little girl's ears. So then you see like M, it's 15 plus. And it just, it gradually goes through the kids getting older and older and not being able to watch it. I'll send it to you. But the PG <laughs> one was a clip from Back to the Future 3 when it's like, you dude it up, egg sucking, gutter trash. <laughs> so like every single time that came on, on that thing, I'm like, oh, what's that movie? And my dad would be like, oh, Back to the Future. So when I eventually watched Back to the Future 3, I'm like, hey, I get it. I'll, I'll send it to you. Like every Australian knows that video. But for some reason, I'd never seen it. I got Jurassic Park 3 on DVD. It was one of the most, and this, I'd just gotten a DVD player six months prior. It was one of the most exciting times of my life because it was like, oh my God, Jurassic Park 3 is coming out in DVD. So like, I, I, if you go back and listen to our Lara Croft Tomb Raider uh, episode, I told the story about how excited I was for that in DVD. It was Jurassic Park 3. Jurassic Park 3 on DVD, because it was universal, had a trailer on it for the upcoming release of the Back to the Future Trilogy DVD Special Edition. Something again, which at that point I'd never seen. So I used to watch that trailer because it was set to Power of Love and it was just a compilation of all the Back to the Future movies. I'm like, oh, this looks really good. Dad, what's this? Like, this looks really good. And Dad was like, oh, Back to the Future. Yeah, we'll rent it. So when they released the box set DVD, we rented it. We watched it all in one week. I was 14. And I just, I was in love. I'm like, oh my God, this, th mm. these are amazing. How have I never seen these before? And basically from that point on, I think I asked for it for my birthday or Christmas, whatever was next. And I would just watch these like all the fucking time. And I caught up after 14 years of never <laughs> seeing these, which, yeah, I mean, from that point on, absolutely love them. Um, I, I remember downloading like all the songs. I was all into Huey Lewis and the news oh, yeah. for quite some time. I've been into ZZ Top when we get to the third one. Mm -hmm. Um, like just all of these things. Like I, I, I knew who Christopher Lloyd was because I had seen uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and everything else. He was in like the Adams Family and all those kind of things. Obviously, Michael J. Fox loved him. So, but then a lot of these actors, I would like watch things. Like I literally knew Leah Thompson from Caroline in the City. That's all I knew her from. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, that's Caroline in the City. And Crispin Glover, I knew from the Charlie's Angels movies. So, I mean, that's kind of where I knew these people from. But yeah obsessed and i i saw the first i saw this one on the big screen when i was in canada it was sort of slowly so lucky coming out of those like covid lockdowns they would have you know like whatever screening and the there was a weekend that we went it was jurassic park and back to the future and now at that point i'd already obviously seen jurassic park multiple times and i'm like i've never seen back to the future on the big screen so we went and saw that um and the other one i saw was the santa claus um but yeah i mean what else is that? and these are movies that yeah kind of like jurassic park i might probably watch them at least once a year um yeah. so it's it's generally uh i what else am i going to watch at the moment oh i'm going to put on back to the future like it's just it's mm -hmm. it's there um but yeah i mean who i mean who, number three in my movie best movie of all time list so we've covered my top three now colin Covered <laughs> my top four i'm coming my top five we're doing ben water the top 10 basically so i'm glad <laughs> about this uh, I'm just trying to think. So, I mean, I had uh, Star Wars at number one, Superman at number two. We have another Superman. And then I had this. I had Jurassic Park. And I'm pretty sure Indiana Jones and Last Crusade would have been my five. So, I mean, I'm, I'm missing one. We just got to find an excuse to do Superman the movie. One Which of I would days. do. I, I, I mean, I've seen, oh, please. I've seen at least the first two OG Superman. It's been a long time. I used to love the second one. That was the one where they get trapped <laughs> in a prism at Niagara Falls, right? That was that one? Yeah. 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 I love that one. Uh, now... Uh, background for this movie. So uh, a lot of people know all the history. We'll get into the Eric Stoll stuff in a minute, but uh, I don't know how much you knew about like the development of this movie. So Love, Robert Zemeckis. I knew the fridge. I, I did watch all the behind like the documentaries back in the day because mm -hmm. I used to watch them all the time. So like I knew like the fridge story and like Robert Zemeckis and yeah. Spielberg. Like, uh, yeah, I've sort of um, refreshed my memory, Colin. 
Well, so first of all, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, who's his writing partner, they're the two guys who who created this. They wrote the movies together. And then obviously Bob Gale, I think, produced it and uh, Robert Zemeckis directed. Uh, they've been working together. They've been writing partners since the 70s. So uh, I don't know if it was the first thing. They, they did a movie called I Want to Hold Your Hand, which was a Beatles it was kind of a movie. Of, well, kind of. It was about a bunch of teenagers who are trying to see the Beatles when they performed on Ed Sullivan. It's just like following these teenagers throughout that day. Some of the actors in Back to the Future actually date back to them. Like they're, they're very much on, we're going to recast actors that we worked with and loved even back in the 70s. Uh, and it was around that same time, they also did a movie 1941, which was the infamous Spielberg bomb, which was a movie about a fictional attack on U.S. soil during World War II. But it was it, it was a comedy. And we did talk about this during Raiders of Lost Ark because that, that coat hanger gag was from the movie 1941 and it didn't work. And so Spielberg's like, I want to try it again because people didn't get the joke in 1941. So they did it in Raiders of Lost Ark and everybody got it. But Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale wrote 1941, which kind of put them in with um, Steven Spielberg. Uh, they then did a movie called Used Cars after that with Kurt Russell, which I remember seeing that again. They did very zany comedies. That was what their, their, their genre was. Uh, and then uh, several of their movies bombed and... Basically, they had to accept work wherever they could. Robert Zemeckis did this movie called Romancing the Stone with Michael Douglas, which uh, I've seen it once or twice. It's actually a pretty good movie, in some ways similar to something like Indiana Jones. Uh, but that movie became like this surprise hit, and he basically only took the job because he needed it. So suddenly they've got, okay, well, we we have people who are willing to give us a budget again. Spielberg said he would lend us a hand if we ever needed anything. Let's get this time travel movie made. And what it all came down to is Bob Gale one day was looking through his parents' yearbook and he saw a picture of, I think it was his dad, and basically looked at him and said, I would never be friends with this guy in high school. And he kind of wondered if I was in school, like would I ignore my parents? Would, would they drive me nuts or whatever? And that kind of gave him this idea. Uh, the original drafts that Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale had written, like before this movie, they actually sold the script or whatever when they were still struggling. Uh, like you mentioned, it wasn't a DeLorean; it was a fridge. Yeah. Uh, but of course, the studio had the 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 thing they were nervous about: kids are going to try to climb in a fridge, which is fair. Geez, that was a smart. I, I like. I'm not. Don't want to get into that. I mean, it, it is a fair decision. Kids will get into a fridge, but like, like, god damn, what a smart decision! Like this, this movie yeah. would, I don't think, be how it would be if it was a time tra- traveling fridge, like a DeLorean. Like, yeah, exactly. What do people, like, we can get into the history of the DeLorean Motor Company. It's a fantastic history if you've ever read into it and listened into what happened with them. But like. It's just an iconic, like I would argue, is it the most iconic car in movie history? Like it's 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 mm-hmm. up there. I saw one oh, at the Universal probably. Studios lot when I was there, but like it, I'd argue it is the most iconic. Like you 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 put this next like every year when you go to a Comic Con, they've got the DeLorean, they've got the Ghostbusters car, they got the Batmobile. This is the draw. This is what people come to see, even but, over the Batmobile or the Ghostbusters. But I would argue that, and again, sorry to interrupting tangent. It's the Odds Network. Welcome to the show. This is why these episodes go for five hours. But like. Any iconic car, like the Batmobile, you know, is from Batman. Like it, it gives, it's in the title. The Ghostbusters car, you know, I know it's like an actual model and make, but like that's for the super geeks. Even us as James Bond fans, I'm, I'm sure if you went to six out of 10 people on the street, Aston Martin DB5, what film's that from? I'm sure six out of 10 people would know, but whatever person on the street, I guarantee you 10 out of 10 people, you just say the word DeLorean, yeah. they know straight away what it's from. Whether you've seen the movie or not, you know this car. So that's why I would argue. Most is- probably think it's written for this movie and that it didn't exist in real life. But that's the thing. I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people don't realize that this was an actual car and an actual company that like, oh, the history of it. It's incredible. But yeah, it's, um, sorry to get you on a tangent. No I, fridge. I, I did, uh, I did manage to like years ago, um, managed to find like a site where they had it, 
these are like authenticated scripts, like first draft, second draft scripts of a lot of famous movies. And uh, when we were doing the Star Wars month, I mentioned that I was able to read the original first draft of the Star Wars and also just the original George Lucas first draft of Return of the Jedi. Um, but uh, the other one that I read, one of the first ones I went to was Back to the Future. And I, I was, I don't know if it was first draft, but it was like early draft where it was still a fridge. Completely different movie. Like even the dynamic between Marty and Doc was completely different. They, they basically discover the time machine, like the opening scene where he walks in and Doc's playing around with his fridge and there's like flashes and stuff like that. Uh, it, it really would have been very different. It definitely was more the way Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis' early movies are, like those zany comedies very over the top. Uh, so I don't know whether it was a lot of Spielberg's influence that kind of grounded them a little bit, or if it was just, we have to get realistic with a budget here. Uh, let's you know not worry about all these special effects for car, because when we get to the end of the movie, I mean, obviously, famously, the end of the movie was supposed to be a massive nuclear explosion, and instead, mm. like, let's pare it down to a clock tower. And another thing where it's like, you would think you can't top driving a car through a nuclear explosion, but like you can't top the clock tower, like simplifying it worked in this movie. So uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that definitely changed, but that was kind of fun. And then the other thing, obviously when this movie was being made, they wanted Michael J. Fox. That was their first choice. Uh, but uh, when they had gone to Michael J. Fox's agent, the agent didn't even present it to him because he was, uh, he had been shooting family ties, which uh, I already mentioned was like childhood favorite show of mine. And he was making the movie Teen Wolf, which is another childhood favorite movie of mine, a guilty pleasure movie. Definitely, you know, Never seen definitely it. B grade entertainment. But it's 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 got a better reputation now than I think it did at the time. But uh, knowing there was no way he could, take, he basically figured if I present this to Michael J. Fox, knowing that there's no way he can do this because they needed to shoot by a certain date, he's just going to hate me for it. And while they were, so they ended up casting Eric Stoltz, and while they're filming down the street uh, from Teen Wolf, Michael J. Fox is like. You hear they got like some movie with like Spielberg over there and you know this guy Eric Stoltz is starring in it. Man, I would love to work on a movie that's produced by Spielberg. Obviously not knowing Robert Zemeckis or anything. Just knowing this big movie, oh, it would have been great to make that movie. Uh, they shoot something like six weeks with Eric Stoltz uh, only to decide it's just not working. And then, now this is something that uh, the only time I could think of ever happening where they said it doesn't matter how much it costs, just get it done. Where they said just reshoot the movie. Now we're talking like they had shot more than a third of this movie, like a huge significant portion of it. And Robert Zemeckis goes to Spielberg and says, you know, I, I just don't think it's working with Eric Stoltz. Like his, his, his comedy's not right for this. It's not, it's not like he was bad. It's just, it wasn't right for this. And Spielberg saying, it's like, I'm going to trust your judgment. Let me deal with, you know, the, the dollars and everything, uh, figure it out. So they end up saying, we're going to let you Eric go, go Eric Stoltz. We're going to get Michael J. Fox in. Michael J. Fox is now shooting family ties again so desperate to do this movie, not even reading a script, that he basically spends several months shooting family ties during the day, going to straight to the set to work on Back to the Future, sleeping like about a half an hour and then going back to work on still images. But on those DVDs before it came out, Eric Stoltz, like his agent or something like that, basically said, you know, we don't have a permission to use this. So they only were able to release still images. And that's all people saw until the Blu-ray releases, which was, I think, about 10 years after that. So like, we're talking like 2010 or 2011. Uh, I think it was 2010 when uh, the Blu-rays came out. And then you can actually see the footage. And again, I kind of agree with them. Like, there's nothing wrong with Eric Stoltz's performance. It's just, it's not right for this movie. Did you ever have a chance to see the Eric Stoltz footage? Yeah, I think back in the day when I had the box set, I did. Again, I would have watched all the special features. And I mean, nothing really stood out for me. It's it's one of these things where it's just in an alternate world. Where you go, well, they, they got the right choice, right? Like, it's just, it's it's yeah. never one of these ones where you look at it and go, wow, they would have been amazing. It's like with all the James Bond casting ones, when you see like a Sam Neill as James Bond, you're like, well, but like, I also think that, you know, can you really hold them to that standard? Because like in an alternate world, 
we we don't know that was any different. Like it wasn't the Flash. They make fun of this, don't they? They like they put yeah. a whole thing, the whole it's sequence part of the of plot. It. Like I mean, it's it's always those alternate casting things, you know. Like um, John Travolta turned down Forrest Gump. Like we only know that as Tom Hanks. Jo- John Travolta could have been amazing in that film. We don't know. In an alternate mm-hmm. world, John Travolta was, and he won an Oscar for it, rightfully so. But like it's yeah, <laughs> I, I mean it was fine. Like but because you're so enamored and so into these characters and you you picture Marty McFly as Michael J. Fox, like, I mean, you you don't you can't really... I feel it's bad to criticise Eric Stoltz for it. And, mm-hmm. and this is a guy who, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, he was in Pulp Fiction. I don't remember him in Pulp Fiction. Um, yeah. Yeah, looking at his filmography, I even look at him and go, like, I don't know if I've really seen him in anything else. He's in one of the fucking little women movies. God, I never want to watch any of them <laughs> again in my life. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was fine. But you can tell Michael J. Fox was the correct choice for sure. It's the energy he brought. It'll be yeah. really fun. There's there's a couple of scenes coming later on because the Eric Stoltz scenes, it's like exactly like the 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 camera positions and everything is identical. So when you watch those Eric Stoltz scenes, even Christopher Lloyd's performance is no different. It's just so bizarre to be. It's like you're watching a scene and somebody deep faked Eric Stoltz mm. into so footage of Back to the Future. Doing it the yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Jamie loves sharing those with me. Um, yeah. So I mean that that's obviously the most famous thing about this and. I mean, I'll say the Eric Stoltz stuff, it would have been completely different. It's Michael J. Fox's energy that this movie kind of needed, which is so crazy to me that what separates their performances is how lively Michael J. Fox is and how animated and over the top at times and, and, and frantic, because this is a guy who's going on no sleep for like three months filming this movie. Yeah. And it's not even an exaggeration. Like the schedule he kept is like, that should have killed a person. But he was just so determined that he would make this movie career work. And I mean, in the end, Teen Wolf ends up coming out the same summer as Back to the Future. I mean, one of them obviously goes on to become the bigger hit out of the two. Yeah, just quickly, Independence Day is the only one in my top ten we've never done. So um, we need to find an excuse oh. to do Independence Day. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because, like, I mean, again, it's just it's it is a franchise and a film that it's just it's so iconic. You know these people, and I mean, what is Michael J. Fox's most known beloved role? It is Back to the Future. Yeah. What are the things that he's? I mean, Christopher Lloyd. You know, and these are esteemed actors who have. Then no disrespect to Mark Hamill, but like I mean, Mark Hamill is never really outside of his voice acting work. He's always Luke Skywalker. That's it, and he relishes that, mm-hmm. right? Like whereas you would argue that with Michael J. Fox, but like I mean, but Spin City, other things, people know him. For. I remember the, um, the movie I used to love as a kid. Doc Hollywood was that? That was Michael J. Fox. Oh wasn't yeah, it? Woody love, Harrelson too. Yeah, I used to love that film as a kid. Um, so things like that, but. Yeah, and I feel for Eric Stoltz because, like, even when you just Google Eric Stoltz, what's the stuff that comes up? It's Back to the Future. Like, this, this he was in Mask with Sher and got, like, a Golden Globe nomination. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, you know, he's... he's he, he, play, he played Deborah Messing's love interest in an episode of Will and Grace. There you go. I probably will remember him from that episode more so than anything else. Um, And, you know, he was in Chicago Hope. He was a series regular. <laughs> Chicago in, in diet ER. Good for him. Um, but yeah, I, it, it always those unique ones, and particularly though it is that rare occasion of the ultimate casting because we've talked about like actors who were cast and they filmed a few scenes and they didn't go, but the, the footage has never been released. This is that rarity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't think of, yeah, I think you alluded to, there's not really any other films that there's full-on footage of things being released. I mean, the, the whole Kevin Spacey drama over that one a few years ago that he got taken out of it and was it Christopher Plummer? took over and that was a different scenario but um yeah i don't know it's just i i really do feel for eric stoltz i really do because this is a guy who has got a great career but what's the one thing that every person asks him about oh you're in back to the future yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay but i mean you, you inspired choice like i i know we're going to probably touch a lot on this episode about 
some of the things that maybe don't hold up well. And um, there's a great stand-up, which I think I've sent to you in the past. John Mulaney does a great stand-up bit about this film. And he kind of picks apart all the things about when Robert Zemeckis and everybody would have been trying to sell this film. About like, so there's this young boy of about 16, 17, and he hangs out with an old man for undisclosed reasons. <laughs> it's like, why is he going to his house all the time late at night? We don't know. And it's like, and he goes back in time and tries to have sex with his mother. And this is a kid's film. Yes. <laughs> it's really well, funny. And, but what's interesting about that is that what the studio thought they were getting, and again, we're in the era of Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Porky's, you know, the highest grossing Canadian movie of that era and all these sex comedies. That's what the 80s was known for. The studio thought they were getting that. They just basically saw on the page his mom hits on him and tries to sleep with him. And like, oh, we're going to have a zany sex comedy. And, and like Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale were the whole time like, that is a part of the movie, but like that's not the movie. But even the promotion for it, when you eventually see the trailers that were released for this, like the studio had an agenda. They're like, we are promoting this as some type of teen sex, sex comedy when that was never the intention that they had. But And then, and the beauty of this film, and, and I think th- this is one of those films that I think no matter who watches it, they like it. Like, and there's, there's very rare films that have that. Like, I remember when I was with maybe her who shall not be named anymore but she had never seen these and this is quite early into our relationship and we watched them and she wanted to watch them all in one night and you can do it easily because they're you know what 90 minute films so you can easily watch three of these in less time than it takes to watch 1900 um but like (laughs) i don't i've never met a person who has never even if they're they're not obsessed with this like us losers they're still enjoyable and it ticks all the boxes because there's drama there's comedy there's action there's love like you know, there's all amazing the, soundtrack. I mean, exactly. Like, I mean, it's just, and this to me epitomizes the eighties. It's literally the middle of the eighties. So it's kind of it bookends the early and the late eighties. And it's just, it's so everything about it with a likable cast. And it, it's not dated in terms of like visual effects. And it, like, I would argue like the third one he's got more dated visual effects and that's a more modern movie. Mm. This is a, a film that like, and they, they've not really like, I'm sure they enhance it for DVDs and Blu-rays, but they didn't George Lucas this. Like, I mean, it's yeah. so many things in it. Like, it's just, it ticks all the boxes. It's There's so many elements about this that, I, I like, we're going to have fun with some of the, quote, issues with this film and plot holes and the, the inappropriateness of an old man hanging out with a little boy. But, like, outside of that, I, I, I cannot think of an issue with this film where you're like, oh, well, you know, this is wrong. Like, it's just, it's, it's almost a perfect movie. I'm basically going to jump into covering the movie now, but just for you, because you just mentioned the thing about hanging out with a boy. Uh, there's many documentaries been made on this. Most of them were official ones that were on the the DVDs and they did other ones for the Blu-rays, but there's one, which I don't know if you've ever seen before heard of called back in time, which I would say it's 75. Well, it's, it's 75% about like fan community stuff. It's like, okay, a guy who's working on creating the hoverboard and people who restore cars to have their own DeLoreans and all that. But um, especially the opening of it is all about the making of the movie. And they have everybody on this documentary, even though it is technically a fan documentary, Steven Spielberg's on it. Robert Zemeckis is on it. Bob Gale, Michael J. Fox, Christopher, like literally everybody involved in the movies on this. Crispin Glover. And, uh, except for Crispin Glover, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Still wants or, that money. <laughs> or not Crispin Glover was not on it as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, which that'll be fun. When we get to that one next week. Uh, the fun story about what Leah Thompson called him, but, uh, uh, Bob Gale said on that documentary, he was saying, yeah, like this is the type of movie where there's a few things that I don't think we'd be allowed to make this today. He's like, and he's not saying there's anything inappropriate about it, but he says, if you made a movie now about a teenage boy hanging out with an old man, everybody would just jump to the conclusion. 
he's a pedophile, uh, which he says on the documentary, which is like, yeah, we would assume that. But like, you don't assume to the time. And I don't know, I think the the time this movie came out, maybe especially because this is like a year after The Karate Kid, where The Karate Kid is all about a teenage boy and an old man, that one actually explains the relationship. That's like, okay, well, this old man kind of works in his building and is helping mentor him because he doesn't have a father. And Back to the Future, maybe because Karate Kid just came out, audience just accept this, but like, we never know how Doc meets Marty and we just don't question it. I think, I mean... Maybe it does just say more as us as a society. I mean, you know, yeah, okay, we've grown and we've, you know, seen things a certain way. But, I mean, it was just a – I mean, I'm thinking of randomly The Labyrinth. I know Jamie loves that movie. Mm. Um, but, like, I mean, yeah. you know, Jennifer Connelly dances with a bulging David Bowie. <laughs> I mean, that's never questioned. I mean, that's still, like, you look back on it now, that's it. But, like, other things in this movie, again, that it's like, y- y- you know, like – I think of of George and and Lorraine at the end, and just basically when they're like, "Oh, and if it wasn't for Biff, we wouldn't have fallen in love." Oh, yeah. yeah, he was trying to rape you. Um, <laughs> like, I've got some notes on that. <laughs> the entire movie, she's trying to fuck her son. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> like there's this. There are things where you look at this now and like, uh, is it? Are we the problem in modern society? I mean, okay, yeah, a guy trying to rape a girl in the fifties is still not the same. It's not still not good. 80 years later, but no. I mean, oh, my parents got together because a bully nearly raped her. Oh, isn't that romantic? But but when we get to that, I'm not going to say I'm going to have a defense for rape, but I'm going to have a defense oh, for why shit. George, why George <laughs> keeps this guy in their life. Um, but uh, but I, I one other quick thing just to touch on um, uh, when we're mentioning about like this movie going back and forth from the studios and everything uh, is that they, they first didn't have an official agreement, but they had interest from Columbia Pictures. And uh, this was like early 80s. This is a couple of years beforehand. This is before Robert Zemeckis went off to do Romancing the Stone and everything. Uh, and the, the weird thing with Columbia Pictures is that they were bought by the Coca-Cola Corporation. And all they really talk about on that back in time documentary is that there was some disputes between their marketing department and what they wanted this movie to be and what they wanted to be. So I guess they walked away from that. Which might explain why there is an abundance of Pepsi stuff in yeah, this I was movie. About to say like they complain <laughs> about Coca Cola stuff, but yet I'll have a Pepsi free and wait till well, we get to like, next week. <laughs> I don't even necessarily think they don't say it, but I don't think they're necessarily implying that like we want Coca Cola products everywhere. But it was probably more like the Coca Cola marketing team was like, make this movie more raunchy. Maybe that's one of those stories, make it more raunchy. When they shopped it around to all the other studios. Every studio is basically like, yeah, we think this is really clever, but it's not right for us. We recommend you go to Disney. And all these other studios that were turning it down were saying, this is a really sweet movie. That's what they would say. It's a sweet movie. And then they took it to Disney, which is what everybody recommended. And Disney says, we're not releasing this filth where a woman is trying to sleep with her son and a man is raping a woman. Uh, So Disney had the modern mindset back in 1985. And they went to Tasmania. And we were like, release this movie. This is great. This is our life without time travel. Uh (laughs) One thing I'll add, though, just really quickly, is that um, this is a great movie in a franchise where, you know, we talked a lot about 007 around, you you know, fan communities and and actors who are renowned for things. Like, we've talked a lot about the James Bond actors. Like, half of them kind of just remove themselves from that world and the other half kind of relish it. This is a franchise where all the actors except Chris and Glover, oh, yeah. uh, have relished <laughs> their selves with it. I mean, Chris and Glover's a kooky guy. We'll talk a lot about him, no doubt. But, like, I mean, Michael J. Fox, to this day, uh, will still 
uh, go like they they've just one thing uh, when I moved back to New York, I'm hoping it's still there. They just started a Broadway show of Back to the Future the musical, mm-hmm. which was they were advertising the hell out of when I was there. And when they did that uh, earlier this year, they you know Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, they're all involved in the marketing. They still do like mm-hmm. fan conventions when they can. I mean, obviously Michael J. Fox not exactly very healthy these days. Christopher Lloyd is uh, very significantly older. Uh, so, like, you know, they've obviously uh, got their, their issues at the age they are right now, but they do what they can. And I obviously yeah. see a lot of the other actors will still be involved. A lot of COVID, they did a lot of reunions and everything. So, um, and then there was that famous, was it Jimmy Kimmel, where they kind of did a, a skit where it was like them coming back to the future again. Yeah. So, I love the fact oh. that this is a cast that still relishes this movie and this franchise, except for Chris Glover And the first yeah, I mean, Jennifer. You- yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and she's slowly started to come around. But I mean, uh, there's when we get into next week, we'll talk a little Which bit about the drama with her. Can I just say, I, I like they cast that so well that it took me a mm-hmm. long time to realize that Back to the Future 2 Jennifer was Elizabeth Shue <laughs> and the first one was not Elizabeth Shue. I always thought it was the same person. I'm like, oh, they cast that very well. It's hard to tell. It, it was the opposite with me just because I had seen the Karate Kid. So when I saw the second one, I recognized what the best girl from Karate Kid and I basically started to assume the girl from the Karate Kid was also the girl in the first movie. <laughs> uh, but like, just, just uh, again, commenting on uh, some of the the things where they come together. Uh, there was also, I think it was like the MTV Movie Awards they did for like the 25th anniversary mm. or something where uh, they came out again, like Michael J. Fox or Christopher Lloyd. There was um, uh, this thing that they did. Uh, um, uh, I think it just, it was last year and it's for Michael J. Fox's charity where Universal and Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale basically said, you can have the rights to, you know, the the logo and the licensing for this to create a line of products, which basically Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd teamed up together to sell merchandise, uh, which goes towards a charity. Uh, and then my favorite uh, is just the the random appearances. Um, uh, there was two shows Michael J. Fox did after Back to the Future. He did Spin City and then also the Michael J. Fox show. Christopher Lloyd was on both. I don't remember the Michael J. Fox show one, but like on Spin City, Christopher Lloyd comes in I think I remember as... He's yeah, he's like his former mentor, but he's kind of gone crazy and he thinks he's God. Uh, but th- when he gets introduced, he comes in and the crowd's cheering and everything, and they start dropping lines where Michael J. Fox is like, "Wow, it's been so long seeing you. It's like going back in time." And then there's even a line where Christopher Lloyd says something about "to the future." <laughs> it's like pointing the camera. They, they, they all love this franchise still. And there was um, the what was a Seth MacFarlane Western movie he did where there's like the in joke. Oh, where million he, ways to die in the West. He walks into a barn and like docks in there. Um, <laughs> you know, because he got Christopher Lloyd to to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it is one of these ones where they they always do relish it, which is um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, just a, such a cult. I mean, you don't see this a lot. Like obviously with Star Wars, mm-hmm. you have it, but I mean, someone like Harrison Ford, you know. Uh, I mean, Natalie Portman's kind of slowly coming around now. Like some of these people just haven't really embraced it. We know Daniel mm-hmm. Craig's never talking about James Bond again. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, it's 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 great to see. Uh, so jumping in the movie, uh, first, I, I I love that this movie just starts like so dead silence. You just hear the clocks ticking. And then that logo, which we could spend an hour just talking about this logo. You want to talk about the DeLorean being maybe the most recognizable car in movie history. This logo is right. I mean, and I think this was the 80s as well. I mean, when you look at franchise from the 80s, like I could just say Star Wars in my head or in, out loud. And in your head, you picture the Star Wars logo, you know, Ghostbusters. How uh, the Duck. We don't have that in. 
Howard the Duck. Yes, everybody <laughs> can picture those famous logos. Weird science. Uh, 1900. <laughs> but uh, Robert De Niro's doodle. <laughs> <laughs> Crossing with Gerard Depardieu's doodle. Uh, <laughs> that's the nine. <laughs> the one and the nine. De Niro and then a curved Depardieu. <laughs> oh, and then the, 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 zero, like, the zeros are the horse's butthole and Robert De Niro's exactly. butthole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but like this logo is so iconic. And nowadays movies, they have maybe famous logos or f- fonts. They have famous fonts. But this is like a full logo. Like it's incorporating a logo and the font together. It's just incredible. Um, so during this opening sequence where you just get all these shots of the clocks ticking, I mean, the thing I'm probably going to praise this movie the most, and I would say half of my notes are just on the little details that they use to build exposition. And this movie is, it's been called the greatest example of exposition in writing ever. In fact, that one of the features on the DVDs that came out like in the early 2000s was they had a commentary track. There was an actual commentary track, but then there was another one, which was just over the movies, uh, they would play when Robert Zemeckis and Bob uh, Gale were, I think, at like USC or something like that. And they did uh, basically Q&As with the film classes there. And it was all about the fact that like they actually teach exposition by having the students study the Back to the Future script. This is now incorporated into education. That's how good the exposition is. And some of the little things you see on the wall, like the mansion, uh, the the Brown family mansion destroyed and everything. uh, we're talking about product placement, Burger King. I mean, Doc's yeah. got Burger King everywhere. There's a lot of Burger King in this, which I never noticed. And when Mar- Marty actually comes in the door, when you see him and is not even panned up to him yet, it's just his feet in the doorway and he's dropping the key. You see Burger King cups outside as well. I mean, obviously Doc lives next door to it, but uh, also doesn't maintain a very healthy diet. Uh, the news that comes on and you think it's just random news because it's not like pausing on a long time or anything and it's talking about like a missing case of plutonium so Libyans, casual in the uh, 80s <laughs> I mean terrorism a missing 80s. case of plutonium Whoa. in Libyans <laughs> I, I, went, I, don't, I don't know what it was like what was the, the situation what was the Libya back in the day but I mean my association with Libya was always just back to the future maybe they chose Libya because it wasn't as like uh, as much of a, a huge hot, but, hot button topic as like uh, Iran or, or some of these other countries at the time they just said oh Daffy? let's say Libya. Was, was that his name the one who the, the Arab Spring Omar about Gaddafi, a decade yeah. they, he was the one who kind of was the, I remember that being a big deal about 15 years ago and then they like changed the flag because their flag used to just be green it used to just be yeah. the, the easiest flag to remember it was just a green flag but uh, I mean it's it's not even I mean Libya's I don't even think technically Middle East it's, it's North Africa it's sort of left it's kind of near morocco so i mean you go left yeah <laughs> middle east it's kind of it's kind of like it's near the middle east but not really that's like saying that i don't know fiji is near australia but it's not part of australia uh or so, canada is in america well yeah it is let's be honest <laughs> we're, we're closer than that uh even when marty kicks his skateboard you see it actually hit the case of plutonium on the floor um, all, all the little things like his gadgets that are pouring Einstein's food. Now, the one thing that I'm like, I, 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 I took an issue with this, but then I, you actually see they may have built a plot around this, a little bit of a subplot, his toaster that's been going off for days and you see smoke coming out of him. What scientist doing these types of experiments does not have a smoke detector in his garage. <laughs> but then when we get forward to his carelessness with oily rags and flames later on, <laughs> you're like, okay, this is just Doc Brown. <laughs> One of the, the best reaction in this movie is when the thing catches fire. It's like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but I actually did a little bit more digging. This started to bother me, so I did more digging to find out when smoke detectors became a thing. <laughs> uh, apparently, they were invented like the 30s. They they started getting like commercialized more in the 60s, uh, but then by the 80s, it was like okay, this is mandatory. You have to have it in your house. And I've got I think six in my house right now. Um, three that were just local ones that came in when I moved in, and three that are actually monitored uh, by one. our alarm company. But I mean, I I live in a very small apartment, so I think if I had more than one, and I've set it off yeah, sometimes, like, so it goes off pretty easily, and it's it's yeah. So we have like one per floor. Well, we technically have two per floor because there's three that came when we moved in, the three that are actually monitored and everything. But uh, it, to me, it's just funny that like Doc doesn't have a smoke detector, but then you see that scene later on, and it actually makes he it even has funnier. Plutonium in a case <laughs> in his living room, Colin. I think safety <laughs> is not his number one priority. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it builds this dimension to Doc's character about his lack of safety, uh, just by seeing all these things. Um, so, uh, you get him hooking up to the amp here, this massive amp. And, and it's also great that like, you don't actually see Marty until like he gets blown across the room and takes the sunglasses That's off. not Eric Stoltz. Uh, <laughs> it, well, and I wondered at, at one point when I was watching this, I'm like, I wonder if any of these shots are actually Eric Stoltz, but I don't think they're allowed to use it. I know that they, there are scenes where they basically had to go back, bring the sets out of storage to just get a close up shot of him because all the other shots are like, well, we'll edit around you know, the shot where you're talking to Lorraine or you're talking to George, but I don't think they'd actually be allowed to include um, uh, Eric Stoltz in this shot here. But like, it, it, it does make you think like, oh, maybe, maybe it's some of these shots just around the room was like a one take thing and they didn't want to do it all over again. Uh, so the amp blows him across the room. Uh, the, uh, the, the phone rings, he digs it out. He finds his doc, doc's on the phone, uh, basically telling me he needs to meet him at the, the Twin Pines Mall at 1.15 a.m., uh, make sure not to be late. And then he says, oh, uh, all the clocks aren't going off. And that's where Doc says, oh, my uh, experiment was uh, uh, working. It, all the clocks are exactly 25 minutes slow. And he says, 25, I'm late for school. Now, I also always kind of took issue with this. I'm like, how far does he live from Doc that like you have a concept of time, but I have another explanation behind that. You, you, you have something to say well, on that? Well, this is one of those... Um... As a kid, uh, sort of, well, a kid, I said I was like 14 when I watched this movie, but this was one of those ones that there used to be that website. I don't know if it still exists. It was like moviemistakes.com. So this was like be yeah. just before YouTube and all these sort of like watch mojos and, and back and um, what do you call it? Honest trailers and things like that where they pointed out things. Um, so I used to always go to moviemistakes.com and I used to always look up like Back to the Future Jurassic Park. So I know all the mistakes in this movie. So um, if you watch when he walks into his house, he's clearly wearing a watch. And then if you yeah. watch like honest trailers and that, they always point out like, how is he that much of a slack kid that he doesn't know he's 25 minutes? Like when he's clearly got a watch on, like that's kind of one yeah. of the things that well, I always look at this scene as like, okay. But and it, it's funny because when I was starting this movie, I said, I have to take notes. And Jamie's like, how do you have to take notes on back to the future? I took like, three like, lines of notes. That's a note for <laughs> before this episode, but that's literally and all I, mean, I took. I've got a page, but my page is all the little things like this where I'm like, yeah. oh, I got to remember to bring this up. And I actually solved this problem about his watch. Now, I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, but uh, he also has to get a phone call from Doc to wake him up because he's running late for the mall now. He shows up. Uh, and then when he's at the mall, when Doc says something, but it's exactly whatever AM, Marty looks at his watch. He looks at it again, and then he shakes his wrist. Ah. And I'm like, okay, his watch doesn't work. But then again, when he's in the uh, the, the the cafe in 1955, 
and he's trying to call Doc's line and his watch starts beeping out of nowhere and he has to cover it. I'm like, okay, the watch is just gl- glitching, you know? Samsung. So it, it, it's, it's a Samsung. That's what it is. <laughs> but I, I'm going to accept that as the thing. that the, I don't see any other reason why they would dwell on he does a double take on his watch and then shakes it. Uh, maybe he just doesn't have a working watch or the watch is like uh, the battery's dying and he's a teenager so he's too lazy to change it. But there's enough he's things later in the movie we could say. He's a slacker, exactly. But there's enough things I think you could you could give him an excuse in this. Uh, so now we get the introduction of the power of love. Uh, oh. Up there, one of the top five greatest songs in movie history. Yeah. Now, do you know the story about um, uh, Huey Lewis and Ghostbusters the year prior to this? No, I thought you were about to go. Do you know the story about Huey? And- <laughs> I thought you had to be Christian Bale. Do you like Huey Lewis in the news? Uh, do you like Huey Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> Which always just reminds you of that um, the Weird Al sketch. Did you ever see the Weird Al one for Funny or Die where it's like, do you what, what I can't remember what it was, but it's like Weird Al becomes like um, uh, Christian Patrick Bale. Bateman? Yeah, like they kind of do a skit with Weird Al no. instead. It's very funny. You have to look it up. But every time I just say he was, do you like Huey <laughs> Lewis in the news? <laughs> well, so the year before this, Ghostbusters comes out. Of course, that's also one of the top five greatest songs in movie history. And uh, the first thing that they did was they approached Huey Lewis to do the song for Ghostbusters. Uh, and Huey Lewis basically said, no, I don't think I want to do that. Or I don't know if he didn't want to do a song for a movie. So they basically went to Ray Parker Jr., played the Huey Lewis song, I Want a New Drug, mm. and said, I want you to make something like this. The song came out. Huey Lewis kind of found out about this. Doesn't get offended in any way. And it's just like, oh, they end up basically just redoing my song anyways. So let me, you know, he basically said, I'm never going to turn down a movie again. So the next movie they approached him with was Back to the Future. And all of a sudden he's like, I turned down Ghostbusters last year. I'm not going to turn down another one. But his issue was, I don't think I have it in me to write a song called Back to the Future. <laughs> and they said, we don't care what you call it. It doesn't have to be about anything. Just give us a song. So he went off, he wrote The Power of Love. And by his uh, claim, he said that it was like one one and done It's like oh i just sat down i wrote the song we performed it like there we go that's the song like it was the quickest song he ever wrote in his life ended up contributing a second song to the movie back in time which kind of incorporates amazing um but i mean huey lewis was huge at the time and they had obviously decided they wanted to incorporate different things of him in the movie we see the poster on marty's wall of the the huey lewis album sports um obviously he's going to have a role coming up here uh but amazing song uh, so he, he, he crosses through the square again, little things, visual exposition where you just see him going through the square and you can see a couple of rundown buildings. They're not dwelling on it, but it's, it's setting the environment so that there's a bit of that, that shock when you see it later on in 1955, you have him go past the, the Goldie Wilson election thing. Um, then when he gets to school, you have Jennifer waiting outside. Now the original Jen, this is not the original Jennifer even. So uh, are you even aware that like when Eric Stoltz was recast, they had to recast the Jennifer as well? Jesus. So that like this one gets forgotten about and there's another one that gets forgotten about. I like this. This is my, yeah. I mean, nothing is Elizabeth Shue, but I, I, I'm quite partial to this Jennifer. She's quite attractive. Well, so the original Jennifer was an actress, Melora Hardin, who, oh. uh, he, he was on the TV show, The Office. I, I, I've seen, I, I'm not like a diehard Office fan, but I've seen it. So when they said that name, I'm like, oh, is, don't I know that name from The Office? Um, but uh, so she was cast. She did all the scenes with Eric Stoltz. When they replaced Michael J. Fox, they recast her. The reason they gave her was she was too tall for Michael J. Fox, uh, which she has now come out and said she later found out that it wasn't like she thought, oh, these are chauvinistic men. A man can't be taller than a woman. Found out later on it was two female executives at Universal that said we can't have this short man emasculated by a tall woman. So recast her. The, there's no footage that exists of her, but there's like one I guess it's a promotional image, you know, before they start filming, they, they take pictures of everybody 
And there's a picture of her and Eric Stoltz, I guess, around the time they made the movie where you can see exact same look and everything. But uh, kind of unfortunate that we lost an actress. I mean, everybody's taller than Michael J. Fox. And maybe in this movie they figured, okay, well, it's a big deal because he's like a 17-year-old boy or something. But on Family Ties, on Spin City and any other thing he ever made, I think every actress Michael J. Fox has ever been in a scene with is taller than him. Claudia Wells is probably taller than him. It's just they hide it well. Peter Dinklage. Sitting on benches and stuff. Peter Dinklage is taller than him. Yes. <laughs> that love interest that we remember from Michael Aww. J. Fox. <laughs> That's a good love story. Peter Dinklage and Michael J. Fox. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I think that uh, Elizabeth Shue, she gets a little bit more personality in the second one, but we also will get to it next week that she was never meant to be in that movie. Like they, what they said at the, um, uh, over and over again was that, they never intended to do a sequel. The scene at the end was always intended just as a joke. And that uh, Robert Smex has always said, if we knew we were going to have a sequel, we never would have put the girl in the car. That's what, that's the famous line. Uh, now by them doing that, they kind of get like some, some, you know, very fun comedy with Elizabeth Shue later on. But yeah, Claudia Wells is great in this movie. Um, I don't know if Melora Harden would have been better, but uh, Claudia Wells, I mean, she, Claudia she, Wells is and not just, I mean, Michael J. Fox is a very attractive guy as well, but um, I, yeah, I think she does a very good job and I think she would have done a very good job in the next two as well. You buy them as a couple, yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, and, and for a few scenes they have, like that's important. Uh, so when they're inside, uh, they're sneaking around because uh, Strickland's looking for him. Uh, she even says this will be like your third late in a row. Strickland eventually finds him right as he's talking about Doc Brown. He's and he's Gun, like, are you still right? hanging around? Yeah, he's in Top Gun. So this yeah. actor, James Tolkien, uh, he, there's going right. to be a Lord very... Of the Rings. The, the guy, and I even told, <laughs> when I was telling the story to Jamie, I'm like, not the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, James, James Tolkien. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, he has kind of an opposite story from Christopher Lloyd. So uh, Christopher Lloyd was trying to get back into theater when they offered him Back to the Future. And James Tolkien's the opposite. He'd gotten out of movies and had been working in theater, kind of thought I'd like to get back into movies, but said he wouldn't do a movie unless somebody actually approached him. He's like, what are the odds after 10 years of doing only theater that anybody's going to ask me to do a movie again? And then out of nowhere, Robert Zemeckis saw him in a play and made a phone call to him almost right after he kind of made this promise to himself, only if somebody had bothered to call me says, hey, I'm doing this movie called Back to the Future. We'd like to come out. And that's why we have him in Top Gun a year later is because he decided to get back into movies because Robert Zemeckis can read minds, I guess. Uh, but now, now you want to talk about a, a minor character that makes an impact. This guy has, I think, two scenes in this entire movie. I think he only has one scene in the next one, one scene in the third movie. But if you're going through, like, who are the main stars? He's up there. Is yeah. when, you, when they do these conventions with the entire Back to the Future cast, he's one of the ones included. Um, I, I love Strickland. Uh, but uh, he's obviously got a chip on his shoulder about Doc Brown, and then he talks about uh, Marty being a slacker, his dad being a slacker too, which is, again, exposition for later on. No McFlyver amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. And then he says history's going to change, which is the first, probably the only reference to time travel we're going to get here. And then he gets the band audition for the hmm. the dance. Uh, now, I'm sure most people are aware the guy with a megaphone is Huey Lewis here which they just thought it'd be funny to have Huey Lewis insulting his own song by saying, I'm afraid it's just too darn loud. <laughs> uh, I had no idea this is Huey Lewis when I was a kid because I only knew of the song. I probably didn't even realize Huey Lewis was a thing outside of Back to the Future. Uh, but uh, yeah, Mar Marty gets cut off pretty quickly. Uh, I always found the other guys in the band to look like they were 40. And I don't know, <laughs> I, I wasn't able to track down who the other band members are. Like, well, Are these members of the news? Pro pro uh, probably. I mean, considering we've got Flea uh, coming up, like it's probably the yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> yeah, this is Anthony Kiedis here. 
<laughs> and the news. <laughs> and the news. <laughs> and, and it's top as part of ZZ. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Z and the other one's top. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of songs in this movie. This could have been one of the Earth Angels. It could have been, this could be Mr. Sandman on bass. Oh, That's who it is. So after he gets rejected, him and Jennifer are walking around the, the main courtyard that we see again. And uh, he's complaining he's never getting a chance to play in front of anybody. And then she's talking about this cassette he's made that uh, it's really good. He spots the truck, which is going to come up later on. They talk about the fact they're going camping. And uh, then she gets a little bit sensitive. It's like, does your mom even know? He goes, no, my mom thinks I'm going camping with the guys. Now, she she says here, like, oh, she gets insulted about it. Like, oh, you haven't told your mom. I'm kind of shocked Marty's even told his dad that he's <laughs> taking his girlfriend on a camping trip. Uh, I mean, 17, George is probably like, good boy. I didn't get laid till I was 25. We've been married for eight years. Uh, but uh, what he says here about, you know, oh, my mom uh, gets uh, really upset about stuff like this. I think she was born a nun. Now, Okay, maybe in terms of this, he's like, oh, my mom doesn't think this is appropriate. There is nothing about Lorraine, what we're going to see in about two scenes time, that makes him think that this lady is a nun. Um, they they have the lady who uh, interrupts them and has the clock tower thing. Now, this is probably one of the only parts of the movie where you know when you're watching the scene, this is exposition. But again, it's fun because this lady is kind of fun. Save the clock tower! <laughs> uh, there is a, uh, a mistake that's listed on IMDb. They claim it's a mistake saying that when she's handing the flyer, you can already see the message that Jennifer writes with her phone number and everything on the back. I watched this three times. I can't see it. Uh, so I'm going to say they either CGI that out later, which I don't think is the case, or that somebody just edited that and has no idea what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, she hands in the flyer. Uh, Jennifer says she's not going to be at home. She'll be at her grandma's or her uncle's. I can't remember what it is. And then writes the, the phone number down on the back. We get the power up playing again. He goes home. The car is totaled in the driveway. He comes in. Now as we get introduced to Biff for the first time. Uh, now, Thomas F. Wilson, have you ever seen him in anything outside of Back to the Future? I've seen him in interviews and, and documentaries and Zoom calls. I, I don't know if I've seen him in anything else. He, uh, I've seen him in a couple of things. There was one time I saw an episode of Knight Rider years later, which would have come out maybe a year or two before this. And I was shocked because... He's the same guy, but like a he he definitely bulked up for Back to the Future, knowing he was gonna be playing the bully. Like he put on a lot of muscle for this movie because he was quite skinny beforehand. But when I saw him in Knight Rider, I'm like, he's playing like this really. He's playing George McFly is what he's playing. And then everything I've seen, I've seen a couple things after this. There was a movie he made with Christopher Lloyd called Camp Nowhere. I loved as a kid, where it's like a bunch of kids who use Christopher Lloyd uh, just to fool their parents into thinking that they're going to summer camps, but they actually just have free reign of their own summer camp. It's a kids all alone for a summer. And Christopher Lloyd's the one irresponsible adult. Thomas F. Wilson plays like the, the police officer in that again, playing like a very nerdy type George McFly type guy. And then there was a TV show called Ed that uh, was about like a lawyer. A who decided to go back to that. That's what it was. Yes. And Thomas F. Wilson played the monkey, but uh, it's like a small town type show, a really good show. I used to like, uh, but uh, he was on that as well. And again, like every time I've seen him, anything else, he is George McFly. He is like the nicest guy you will ever see when you see interviews and all that. Uh, but uh, one, one of the things about Eric Stoltz outside of, uh, you know, the issues with his comic timing not being there is that he apparently was was approaching the role of Marty as very much a method actor. He refused to be referred to Eric Stoltz on set. He would only respond to Marty. And then in the scene we're going to get later on with the physical altercation, 
uh, with uh, him and Thomas F. Wilson. I'll have a story for that later on. But Thomas F. Wilson is basically the opposite of Biff. And that just makes me appreciate his performance even more. Uh, in this movie, if I'm going to rank the Thomas F. Wilson performances, he's amazing in Back to the Future 1, but he just gets better with each movie. <laughs> um, I, I love him, like both Griff and the the young Biff again. And then even the, the 1985 Biff is like pure evil. Like how he channeled that type of evilness in the second one's amazing. And then the third one, he is maybe the funniest villain in movie history. But even this introductory scene here, like there's so much you get to know about this guy where he's, he's bossing around George. And my favorite line, even as a kid, was always when he was talking about uh, that the is oh your insurance should pay for the car who's gonna pay for this I spilled beer all over myself when I crashed <laughs> yeah if the police found out that I think this would go a little bit differently who's gonna pay for my cleaning bills we get the first thing where he's uh, asking George about uh, getting his work so I obviously work together and he's knocking on his head hello McFly which is gonna be repeated later basically George is just bullied around by him uh, he calls, calls Marty a butthead he says very creepily say hi to your mom for me. Uh, of all the old age makeup we get, I think that Biff's is probably the least convincing. Mm. And I don't know why that is. Um, but uh, when I look at this, when I look at the other ones now, I'm like, yeah, it kind of looks like makeup as a kid. I never questioned any of this. But now Biff's kind of looks like, oh, maybe they maybe they Donald lost Trump. some of the budget. He looks like, yeah, exactly. He looks very much like Donald Trump. They, I mean, the second one, they always the next one will be all the Donald Trump comparisons. But um, yeah, yeah, I think he, like, often a lot of the things you read now is that he looks like Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so um, George is uh, basically apologizing to Marty, or I guess he he's apologizing for not standing up to Biff. And this is, again, where that expert exposition comes in. He goes, he is my boss, and I'm not good at confrontation. And then Marty's like, no, the car, remember? <laughs> I was supposed to take it. And then he's like, I'm sorry. And then you get the dinner scene. We get uh, Lorraine for the first time. So we get Leah Thompson. She drops the cake, says the uncle didn't make parole. Uh, I love that we have the, the call back to the uncle later on. Uh, and uh, this is when we get to the, the two actors that were Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale's good luck charms, which are the brother and sister. So Mark McClure, which uh, <laughs> I guess at this point was actually famous for playing Jimmy Olsen in the Superman movies. Uh, but he had been in all of Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale's movies prior to this. And then the uh, the sister, Wendy Jo Sperber, she also had been in all of Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale's movies prior to this. So when they were putting this movie together, like, we need a brother, we need a sister, there are good luck charms, let's put them in this movie. Um, they get limited screen time, but again, like, you kind of just get, like, this whole family. Like, Marty is the one normal one here, which I actually kind of have a theory on, which I'll get more to the end of the movie, as to why Marty is kind of level-headed and these other ones aren't. Uh, George watching the the honeymooners and laughing. Now that laugh of George, like, is there anybody alive who's seen this? <laughs> Nobody has watched this movie and not imitated that laugh at some point. Oh, 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 that's how I laugh. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts whispering that his. Uh, <laughs> it's great. Um, so Lorraine is uh, talking about Jennifer here, where she's talking about oh, girls chasing boys. I never sat in a parked car with a boy, which that's going to come up at the end of the movie. Uh, and then you get the sisters like, well, how am I ever supposed to meet anybody? Which also, you know, we get uh, the reverse of her character later on. She tells a story about the uh, the enchantment of the sea dance. I love that the sister here is like, we, we've heard this a million times. Your dad hit him with the car and then you took him to the fish under the sea dance. Uh, but then when she says, well, what were you doing, George? Bird watching? And he gets all in What, Lorraine? What? <laughs> all flustered. Um. Then the next scene, we basically have uh, Marty waking up. His watch didn't go off again. It's still glitching. Uh, Doc says he needs him to pick up his camcorder. He leaves. 
there's a couple things in this movie that were not intended. You know they didn't intend to do a sequel, but when you watch it now, you can actually connect the dots for the later movies. And one of them is that his window's open here. So we know he's probably going in out the, I don't think anybody cares if he goes in out the front door, but his window being open here explains how he's going to get back in later on. And then there's continuity this, when in the second movie, he's like, oh, I'll just climb in through my window because my window's open. And it's open, in the second movie, it's open like the exact same amount, uh, the, the crack at the bottom of it. Um, he pulls up on a skateboard to the Twin Pines Mall. Very subtle reference there, but like this is where this movie has that rewatchability. When we say that we watch these movies every year, half of it is because you could watch this a mm. million times and still catch new things. And I don't think anybody paid attention to the Twin Pines Mall and the fact they re reference it a couple times. But then when you come later on, it's just that much of a difference when you notice the Lone Pie Mall. Um, so Doc uh, pulls out uh, in the DeLorean here and uh, the doors raise and then you get the brilliant introduction of his character, just that that mad scientist look he has on his face where he's like startled and he's like, hey doc, he's like, oh! <laughs> this crazy look that he has. Um, Christopher Lloyd, I'm gonna praise him so much throughout this uh, entire series here that we're covering. But I remember like years ago, I sat down and I tried to come up with like, what are the greatest, like every, if they were to do an Academy Awards of all time, what is the greatest movie of all time? What is the greatest screenplay of all time? What is the greatest actor? And I could find nothing else that I thought was a greater supporting performance than Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future. And that's saying like, nobody in the Godfather or anything else. I honestly believe Christopher Lloyd, this might be the greatest, single greatest supporting performance in movie history. The guy got no Oscar nomination. He gets no love for anything. And his performance is so brilliant with everything he does. He I think the today, only performance- Surely. Oh, guaranteed. Yeah, now he's, I mean, this movie's nominated for best picture, everything. You know, but Christopher Lloyd, especially, yeah, he's winning Best Supporting Actor. I mean, Kihu Kwan and Jamie Lee Curtis just won it. Why wouldn't Christopher Lloyd? Oh, he's and uh, no I mean, disrespect to them. We love them, but yeah, he's better than they are. So yeah, in this and movie. I remember. It, it, well, yeah, not not everything. I, we're not going to take Christopher Lloyd and Dennis the Menace versus Jamie hey. Lee Curtis in <laughs> True Lies. I don't know. Wrong with um, Dennis the Menace. <laughs> oh, I love Dennis the Menace. I absolutely love Dennis the Menace. But I mean, that's not winning him an Oscar. Uh, but uh, I thought about that when I was watching this. I'm like, oh, yeah, I used to think Christopher Lloyd was like, and I started to think that probably wouldn't hold up today. I, I came up with one performance I could think of, which has probably been this for supporting performance, and that's Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men. And that's it. I, I still think this is one of the greatest supporting performances of all time. Um, he explains that this is uh, the experiment that he's been working on his entire life. And then Marty's just like, well, it's a DeLorean. <laughs> like, yes, I built a DeLorean. Nobody's thought of this yet. Check it out. Doors come up. Um, so he uh, he has the camera or he tells Marty to roll the camera. This is where we get that thing where he mentions the time and Marty looks at his watch twice and then shakes it. Uh, he puts Einstein into the car. Now, um, Einstein was originally written to be a chimp in the movie. Mm. Uh, and there's, uh, there's an executive at Universal who uh, I couldn't find the name of the guy, but I, I think I found it yesterday, but I forgot. But this guy was like the problem executive when they were filming the movie where... Every single day, he had something new he complained about. Um, he's the guy who worked the California Raisin sponsorship into the movie, I think, uh, which has one brief bench shot later on. Uh, he is uh, the, the guy who proposed a title change of this movie, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but he insisted you can't have it be a chimp. It should be a dog. And his reasoning is no movie with a chimp has ever made any money. And King I've never Kong? seen these movies, but... Well, well, they should have mentioned that. Yes, but but I, I when I when I finished, you're going to get why his, what his argument would have been. So Robert Zemeckis basically said to him, like, there's these movies Clint Eastwood made. There was like two movies 
was like comedies about Clint Eastwood. Like, imagine Turner and Hooch, but with a chip. Mm, I think I know you're talking about. And Any Which Way But Loose or something. He says, well, what about Any Which Way movies? And then he just sort of goes silent. He's like, that was an orangutan, not a chip. <laughs> like, that was his argument. Today. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, there'll be another mention of this guy later on. Uh, but uh, so they basically settled and said, fine, we'll make it a dog. We'll call it Einstein or whatever. Uh, so Einstein gets into the car. He does the demonstration about the clocks being completely synchronized, which I don't know if this is meant to be tied into Doc's experiment or all the clocks running slow. Uh, the fact that he figures out how to completely synchronize clocks. Um, the car pulls out on remote control. This is Q with James Bond in the back seat. Bit of a mistake. Whoever dies. When he, when he, uh, uh, what's, what's the mistake? Well, how did he get in that car when DeLorean doors open vertically? He would have had to get in the car, drive up into the truck, and then come back for dramatic effect. Like, is that what he did? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, I, I never De- even thought about that. DeLorean doors open vertically. In that truck, they wouldn't. Yeah. Have, yeah so. <laughs> in the trailer, there's no way of getting in and out. Yeah. So it was for dramatic effect. That's the way Doc Brown rolls. But but again, uh, as I point out, I think in the Everything Wrong With video, like he didn't know that Marty was like, because he, he's shocked to see Marty. He's like, oh, hi, Marty. Unless he's just acting yeah. like, Marty's here, Marty's here. <laughs> oh, hi, Marty. Run for it, Marty. I didn't see you rolling up on your skateboard. Oh, <laughs> just waiting for me because he's coming down the street, dramatic entrance. Here he is, Rick. Get in the car. Which, <laughs> get in the car. Which, which I love the side of the truck. It's like Dr. E. Brown, 24 hour scientific services. <laughs> yeah. Three o'clock in the morning. I need a beaker tested. Call Doc Brown. <laughs> I mean, if you get high, that's how he met Marty. Oh, I really don't know what to do with this physics assignment. Hold on. Phone book. Scientist. This guy's 24 hours. Excuse me. How do I solve this equation? He's on some mad drugs, Doc Brown. I mean, it's like, what, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I mean, uh, you know, I was going to mention this when I have a chat about this, but like, like, why is it 1.15 in the morning? Like, well, even Marty's yeah. like, 1.15 in the morning. Like, I'm sorry. This just makes it more creepy. Old man. Hey, Marty, come to the mall at 1.15 a.m. <laughs> Meet me in the dark par- corner of the parking lot at 1.15 in the morning. <laughs> he's pinging. He's, I mean, I he's get, on some drugs. <laughs> I get that he wants, like, nobody to be there, but, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of malls that close at 1 a.m. So he's like, all right, the mall closes at 1 a.m., so we'll do it at 1.15. Valley. It's a metropolis. It has adult 24-hour oh, adult stores. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> all the pornography that is <laughs> taking over this town. Uh, this is the this is the pornography mall. That's what this is. We're Pines we're here in the penises. pornography. Just <laughs> Robert De Niro and Gerard Depardieu's greatest hits in this show here. Yep. But uh, so uh, he's operating on remote control. They're standing in the path, and then the car starts to come towards them. And uh, Marty tries to get out of the way. And he, I love the doc pulls it back. No, no, no. Watch this. And then when the car disappears, we get the lightning effects and then all of a sudden disappears the shock on doc's face is one of these things on a repeat viewings when you're going to see him where he's insisting no 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 stay here he was ready to get hit he didn't think this was going to work he's so shocked it worked something i invented actually works but he was about to get hit by a car going 88 miles per hour very strong car and kill Marty as well and he was going to kill a 17 year old boy in the middle of a dark parking lot and his dog in the process. He's well, the dog survive. Nuclear parts from Libyan terrorists. This guy's <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. No wonder his imagination has been taken off him. Strickland really has Marty's best interest at heart. I want you to stay away from that guy. <laughs> yeah, Strickland is honestly not a bad guy in this film, Marty. He's he a is. Slacker. He's late four times to school. Meanwhile, Marty's mom is drunk, doesn't care, cares that he's, you know, sitting in a parked car with a girl, but doesn't care that he's with this creepy old man who's willing to run him over in a parking lot with plutonium. I want this to go another way. Like, just the ultimate cut of this is that DeLorean comes out, kills them both. 
Next day, you got that woman on the news. And another news, mad scientist, Doc Brown was killed. A 17-year-old boy overnight. It was investigated to still think. And good news, they found the nuclear plutonium, which is now back in the hands of the Libyans. I mean, that wasn't in the Libyans. It was totally a mistake. Moving on. And if anybody has an unclaimed dog, one was found roaming the Twin Pine Mall's parking lot. Still alive. Not a, not a chimp, though. Not a chimp. Not a chimp, no. <laughs> no movie with a chimp ever made money. Uh, so Marty's shock. This is where I feel like you needed that mix of comedy. Because the only way, like all those clips of Eric Stoltz doesn't actually give you much other than just the visual. Like you don't hear the dialogue and everything. But what they have described is like Eric Stoltz was playing this so straight. Like you would get that very animated, like where do they go? Like what, what did you just, you disintegrated Einstein. But there's this humor that's like, it, it's bordering on panic and humor with Michael J. Fox that I don't think anybody else could have gotten. Uh, Doc explains that he's the first time traveler. Um, we we get the, uh, um, the back and forth that they do now. I, I, this is going to come up in all the movies. So when he's explaining everything about how the, the time machine works, and he's saying, I sent him into the future. You, you have this thing that repeats throughout all the movies where Marty will be standing in the background, Doc's in the foreground, and then they basically switch places. Marty comes up to meet him, and as soon as he does, Doc turns around, and then he's like, oh, there he goes again. He's basically pacing back and forth chasing Doc. This was invented because of the height difference between the actors. Now, why they couldn't do this with Jennifer, hmm. I don't know. But uh, when you see this throughout all the movies, when we watch the other movies, watch for every time they do this. This was only invented because Christopher Lloyd is a very tall man, and he he actually, in this movie, has a hunch. You'll watch it. He kind of like bends down a lot throughout the movie. But even still, to compensate for the height difference, they're like, well, let's make it clever. Let's have him in the background, and then we'll just build it into a gag where Marty's chasing him. And then they repeat it several times in this movie and the other ones. Um, so when he's uh, demonstrating the car and everything, right after Einstein comes out, you see it's like covered in the ice and all that. And then Einstein's uh, watch is one minute exactly uh, behind his now. Uh, he starts showing the, the the time circuits and everything, how this works. He mentions the flux capacitor. Uh, then he starts going through dates if you want to do this and this. And I love that he's saying, if you want to witness the signing of the Declaration of Independence or witness the birth of Christ from California. Mm. <laughs> so are you going to drive to to Washington or wh wh where is the Declaration? Is that Philadelphia or something like that? You're going to drive to Jerusalem and uh, across and the water? And also, I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on Exodus, but even I'm not religious, but everyone knows that Jesus actually wasn't born on December 25th. That's just a placeholder. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a made up date. Yeah. yeah. But either way, he's like, ah, here I am in sunny California. A couple of thousand kilometers that way. The Messiah is being born. There's another one. <laughs> ah, dude, where am I? There's nothing here. Where's Jesus? Like, you're in California. Oh, damn. I knew and that. And that's the whole reason he, he got it fitted for flight at the end of this movie. Yeah. I just want to see the birth of Jesus and the sign of the Declaration of Independence. Is that too much to ask? Give me flights. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, it's all just sort of like him demonstrating. So, again, he's not being serious that this... Maybe he is. He's a mad scientist. He doesn't even realize, where am I right now? Um, <laughs> but uh, when uh, he puts in the date, uh, an unrelated date in the history of science, November 5th, 1955. Uh, now, I, I read some trivia on this, which I, I think I saw the movie once. There's this movie called Time After Time with um, Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour, uh, and Malcolm McDowell. Uh, funny enough, and that's somebody we talked about, uh, that uh, it's like H.G. Wells. It's it's kind of spin on like the time machine, but apparently in the movie, time after time, they use the date November 5th. So they kind of use it as a nod in this movie. Uh, but the, the, again, just the dramatic acting of Christopher Lloyd, where he's reminiscing about this and he's talking about, you know, hanging the clock and everything. And then he had the picture of the flux capacitor. Um, 
Then uh, when he's explaining about it, how everything works, does this run on regular unleaded gasoline? Oh, unfortunately, needs something with a little more kick. Plutonium, like with excitement. And then Marty's like, oh, wait, wait, you tell me the sucker is uh, nuclear? And then he's like, no, 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 this sucker's electrical. I love that line. This sucker is electrical. <laughs> and then he mentions the 1.21 gigawatts, uh, which do you know the story about gigawatts being incorrect? No idea. I didn't even know what a gigawatt is until I saw this movie. And I still don't think I know what a what? gigawatt is. When they were writing the movie, they came up with, uh, they wanted to come up with some type of increment to like a, a number to actually uh, illustrate like the power of this thing. So they talked to a scientist who basically told them about gigawatts. Now this scientist kept saying gigawatts. So they wrote it into the script. And it was only after the movie came out that they found out it's actually pronounced gigawatt and that everybody, including Doc, mispronounced in the movie. But they said in like, at the time, I think that I saw this documentary was like the 25 year anniversary, said nobody in 25 years has ever complained. Oh, you got gigawatt wrong and you pronounced it gigawatt. And people, again, just they just accept it in this movie. Uh, so he explains how he uh, stole the parts or he was hired by the Libyans to build a bomb and he gave him a shiny bomb casing with used pinball machine parts and his excitement there too is just great. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'll go right up to the end here. So when he's uh, loading the plutonium in and he's about to go on his trip, he says he's going to go 25 years in the future. Another thing that actually checks out when you watch the second movie is so subtle that it, it will it'll subconsciously start to make you think they have these future movies planned where he says, oh, I'll also get to learn who win the next 25 World Series, which is essentially the plot of the second movie. I love his double take where he's like, oh, I almost forgot my luggage. Uh, I, I'm allergic to all cotton. Uh, it's like, uh, uh, what if they don't have synthetic underwear in the future? But then, of course, he says I, he almost forgot the extra plutonium, which is important. And then you have the van coming across the parking lot and it, the dramatic music. And the, dun, 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 dun. Uh, which you see the Libyans. The, I don't know how, but they found me. Uh, run for it, Marty. Like oh, every line in this movie. <laughs> Who do you think? The Libyans. <laughs> Uh, you get this chase scene, Doc uh, with his gun. I'll draw their fire. Like even the way he's like brandishing his gun. Yeehaw! I'll draw their fire. Uh, his gun jams. I love. He points it directly in his eyes. <laughs> oh, let me see. There's something jammed in there. Real good. Uh, they gun down Doc. Marty flees into the DeLorean. Starts speeding across the parking lot. Uh, of course, he's forgotten about this whole time travel thing. He, he accidentally hits the the time circuit thing. So it goes back to that November 5th date. Uh, the the music, well, the first time that music kicks in where it's like, dun, 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 uh, during the chase, it's just amazing. Uh, he is, uh, sees him pull out the rocket launcher. So he's like, oh, he goes 90. He's like, oh, I'll go 90, which I, I don't know miles. I mean, I kind of have a, an idea about the difference in miles and kilometers. 140 kilometers an hour? I don't think I've ever driven that in my life. Are you going to get to that speed driving across a parking lot in a mall? You haven't made a hard <laughs> oh, and there's, there's 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 a lot of people there's a lot of people who say there are plot holes in this movie revolve around the whole time travel thing, right? And I think every one of those plot holes can basically be explained away. But the plot hole in this movie is how little road they need, with the exception of the one time that they get to 88 miles an hour uh, for the clock tower, and then Doc allowing it to reach that speed before he releases the brakes. Uh, every other time, it's like you're driving about 50 feet. And you hit. It. This is like Britney Spears type speed, where you can go a zero to 88 in you know 0.5 seconds or whatever she runs it in. Uh, but uh, this activates the time machine. Uh, I love that Marty was even before this comes on, he was making no intention to to pull away from this booth he's about to crash into. Crashes into a barn uh, in the middle of nowhere. First, he crashes into a pine tree. No, no, the pine tree comes later. He crashes into the barn. Uh, I love this scream that Michael J. Fox had, like this girlish scream, like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the family comes out of the farmhouse and uh, they're, they're looking. It's like, it looks like an airplane without wings. And then you have the boy. That's not an airplane. Look. Now, this is the, the second story about that studio executive. Um, so the idea of this, the whole idea of them using a DeLorean when they decided not to use the fridge was because they... They, they, they figured we need a, a car that can go places if you're gonna do a time travel movie, but we need something that we want this joke. It was all built around this joke. The only reason we got the DeLorean is because they figured what modern car is gonna look so alien to a family in 1955 that would look like a UFO. And the DeLorean is the only one that actually fit the bill. So we get the DeLorean because they wanted this one thing about showing the, the magazine with the spaceship and everything. And then you get Marty coming out with uh, the the hazmat suit on the radiation suit, uh, and um, the the family flees, and the guy comes back in with the shotgun. And says, Sorry about your barn, and he's shooting him. And I love the kid; it's already mutated to human form. Shoot it! <laughs> Die, you mutated uh, son of a bitch! <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then Marty speeds off. This is where he, he uh, crashes the pine. You killed the pine, which I had no idea what that guy was saying. It was probably years after I watched this movie where I realized that whole oh, he's talking about the pine tree there. Um, but, uh, we'll cap it there. I just want to quickly mention that the story about the, uh, the, the ship here that they have. So this studio executive wrote a memo when they were filming the movie about how he didn't think the title back to the future would bring people into the theaters. But he said, I propose that you rename this spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> and he, he said, we've, we've got the, the magazine or whatever that's in there. And then later on, when he is tricking George with the Van Halen tape and everything, instead of identifying himself as Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan, he should say, I am a spaceman from Pluto. And that should be the title of the movie. Now, you can find this actual memo, a copy of this memo that has been released online, where this guy is detailed. Like There are like five different bullet points that he has about it. Robert Zemeckis gets this, goes to Steven Spielberg, says, I can't deal with this guy anymore. Like, he wants us to call it Spaceman from Pluto. Spielberg's like, let me handle it. Spielberg types up a memo back to him, says, dear whatever your name is. Max Dawson. Dear Max Dawson, yeah. Um, I can't tell you what a great laugh we had at your suggestion of the title. It's like, we were were in stitches. We thought it was so funny. It's like, thank you so much uh, for this joke. It really brought some levity to our very stressed out set. We appreciate your joke. Never heard from that man again with any objections. Basically took what was a serious suggestion, said, let's pretend it's a joke, and then he'll be so embarrassed he'll never bring it up to us again. Uh, There you go. That's probably about a good quarter of the movie there. I just want to say quickly before I forget that um, the couple in that barn, like because the the kids are like, I don't know, 10. They're the oldest parents in the world. I know it was the 50s and everyone was yeah. old and stressed, but, like, that woman's, like, 80 and that man's, like, 70. Like, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but also, just quickly, before I forget, I always thought, and this is no disrespect to Alan Silvestri, but I always thought that this was, like, a, a Danny Elfman, a John Williams, like, like oh. one of these, like, incredibly, and again, no disrespect to Alan Silvestri. I know, looking at his filmography of what he's scored movies for, very esteemed but he's not one of those names that jumps out for you. And this is one of the most famous film scores in the history of movies. But, um, I mean, he's obviously a long-term Robert Zemeckis uh, collaborator. He wrote the Forrest Gump. And he apparently wrote the Avengers, like, score. Mm -hmm. Um, The the main theme that, the only theme that's in all the Marvel movies, yeah, that... Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote the Bodyguard, The Mummy Returns, Stuart Little, Eraser, Volcano... He wrote the music. Look at all their faces. They're all the same. That was his music in the background. (laughs) 
Young Guns 2. I mean, this guy's actually done a lot. So The Mummy uh, Returns. Yeah, I mean, Judge Dredd, the, the original. Long Kiss Goodnight. There's a movie that we always bring up. Mouse Hunt. <laughs> um, so... Anyway, uh, he wrote the dun, 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 yeah, which didn't win an Oscar. Apparently, he's been nominated for two Oscars. Also, Power it, of Love didn't win an Oscar. Lost to Lionel Richie. Boo. Uh, well, Lionel Richie and Blacks and the Commodores. Um, it's <laughs> our backup movie uh, franchise of the month. But uh, what? Just quickly commenting on the the score. So this was the only dispute that Robert Zemeckis said him and Spielberg had. When they were filming this movie, Robert Zemeckis had worked with Alan Silvestri on *Romancing the Stone* the year before. And that movie had a very different sound. Like it wasn't this big orchestra like this. And he said he wanted to use Alan Silvestri. And Steven Spielberg kept saying, no, that's not what this movie needs. You need to get John Williams. You need to get John Williams. And Zemeckis was so adamant. He's like, no, I'm putting my foot down on this. It's going to be Alan Silvestri. And then when he first played this theme, the, when the, the score piece here, like the dun-dun-dun-dun into the, the whole chase, the dun-dun-dun, Steven Spielberg was like, okay, you are 100% right. I apologize. I take it back. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of these ones that it's just... It's like a Jurassic Park score. You just put it on loud sometimes when you're feeling shit, and it just—it's really good. Um, the the opening bit with the guitar—I don't know how familiar you are with Michael Jackson film clips, but when he's like plugging in his uh, his amp in and his guitar and everything, and he's turning up the do- the Niles, the di- the Niles. <laughs> Hello, Fraser. <laughs> there he is, David Hyde Pierce, getting turned on. Um, that's when he discovered he was gay. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> he is gay, by the way. This isn't a Tom Cruise joke. David Hyde Pierce, a very yeah. proud, openly gay man. Um, but when he's like turning up all the knobs, um, it, it just reminds me of the black and white film clip with Macaulay Culkin when he's like turning up the knobs and he's got that one where it's like 10, oh, 20. White, yeah. Are you nuts? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's, I always just think it's that. Um, but I love it when he like crashes and he's like, rock and roll. Um, <laughs> which again, when you read the synopsis for this film on like, uh, you know, wherever you watch it, it's like, Marty McFly is a typical American teenager from the 80s. So he's got his skateboard. He likes rock and roll music. He's a slacker. Wears a life preserver. Wears a life preserver. Like, I mean, your typical teenager from the 80s, which you were just not a typical teenager. You missed out a few bits. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the thing, like, again, I hear I was saying, like, this is a perfect movie. But, I mean, just the little things as the old network that we're going to nitpick. Marty is a slacker. He's, he's grabbing... <laughs> rides on the back of jeeps yeah and like i mean and police cars and police cars and like like literally this guy like looking at his mountain jew hat he's like what are you doing there um but like it's it's so fascinating that this is a movie that was never meant to have a sequel because this is what they do so well in the second and third one is obviously and we know that you know they were filmed back to back but there's very i mean there are plot holes but they they do it in a way where it, it feels like it's now we talk a lot about this on 24 with some of these seasons that the good seasons where it's like, well, we know they don't plan these out, but you, you don't know that because they do it so yeah. well. Breaking Bad was an example of that. Only season two was the only one that Vince Gilligan planned from start A to start B. Everything else was just as they went along, but you could never tell. Back to the Future is maybe one of the best examples of any film franchise where the entire three are almost seamless because there are references mm-hmm. in this. And I don't know about you, but when I saw the second one and you talk about rewatchability, I always rewatch the first one now with that notion of like what's going on in the background, like the second one. Oh, know? yeah. So, where's the I think he took his wallet guy? That's what I'm yeah. actually looking <laughs> he took for. His wallet. <laughs> he definitely took his wallet. <laughs> Love that guy. Um, but yeah, so like just all the little things like you've got obviously like the, the, the mayor here, you're going to be mayor and. Uh, things like, and then I love that reference later on where, like, the mayor in the 50s is the homeless guy and, and things like that. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, again, he's a, he is a slacker. Um, the, mm. the principal's right. You're a slacker. Although, I mean, you shouldn't be grabbing him. Like, no, no McFly's <laughs> ever amounted to nothing. That's a bit, you know, 80s. Okay, let's grab the children. Lucky it wasn't old um, uh, Rooney and Ferris Bueller. That would have taken a different <laughs> meaning. Uh, <laughs> Rooney! <laughs> um, but I love, I love the the guitar scene. My favorite bit, like I just, I love Huey Lewis there when he's like, I think I knew when I first saw this, like I didn't, I hadn't read anything about it, but I think I knew what Huey Lewis looked like when I'm like, Hey, is that Huey Lewis? Um, you saw it at an older age too. Yeah. yeah. I was like 14. So I think I knew what Huey Lewis looked like back then, but I love it when he's like looking to the left or right. And these three other judges are just sitting there. Like, I love that. And it's like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to stop. You're just too down loud. <laughs> Which, in a way, they are kind of shit. So, again, Marty, not great. They're playing the power of love. What's wrong with him? Yeah, well, you know, he just doesn't like his own music. Have you heard of Huey Lewis in the news? <laughs> um, but even, like, the thing that's great about Jennifer, and, like, I'm not, obviously, me, I'm not condoning, like, looking at other people. But, like, if you've got, like, I've been in relationships before, too many of them. And, like, if you've got, like, there's a level of, like, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. You obviously do with Jamie, though, because Jamie openly is like, oh, Keanu Reeves, he's hot. Oh, look at that shirtless man, he's hot. You've got a bit of an open, like, oh, look at them, they're attractive. Like, you've got here, like, Marty walking down the street, like, checking out the women, and then, like, Jennifer just kind of, like, grabs him and is just kind of like, hey, like, I'm Jennifer, I'm hot too. Like, yeah. it's just kind of just, like, a cute little thing. Because I, I like the bit when, like, Marty's on the back of the car and he's, like, waving at the the aerobics people. The girls, yeah. Um, But it's just, you're right, like, these two have really good chemistry, so I kind of, I like that. But it's just all the little setting up things and, like, yeah, the save the clock tower. It's, I mean, it is, the, the one thing you say when you watch this and you know everything that's alluding to, like, this dinner table scene and everything, like, it is very obvious when you've seen this movie 50,000 times. But it's not, like, there are some things with exposition where it's so obvious that that's coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas even outside of the clock tower, like, it's still just done in a way. Um, the everything are wrong, everything wrong with Back to the Future does point out a very good point. How on earth is Biff George's boss? Now, I know it's kind of like this bully, you know, thing like in that, but like George is a smart man. Biff is not a smart man. So what sort of company do they work for that George is a smart like person who's done very well in school and Biff's just a rapist uh, that he goes on to be like, his manager, like I, I don't get. Well, he's it's it's be. I think it's because George is doing all his work for him. You know, I mean, if I if I had somebody working underneath me who was smarter than I am, I don't. By the way, I hope they don't listen. Uh, but <laughs> people underneath me were your smarter than I am. Idiots. Is what he's saying. <laughs> Not even smart. Well, actually, they are smarter because they don't listen to this podcast. Uh, if they listen to this podcast, I'll know that you're dumb. Like I say, I'm not saying they're dumb. Anyways, my point is, yeah, well, if I had somebody who's like, this podcast, you're stupid. So um... exactly, yeah. But if uh, if 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 I had somebody working underneath me who was much smarter than I was, and I were the type of bully where I'm like, hey, they could do all my work for me, they make me look good, then I get ahead. I think that's basically how it happened. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of one of these things where, like, I assume that George is going to go into, like, an accounting firm or something like that, and yet Biff, like, yeah, I don't know. I, just, I guess you never know what they're doing. The, the, I mean, you talk about here just, like, kind of some of the lines and everything that is said here, and just one of my favorite bits here that Thomas F. Wilson does is when he's just, like, you know, going on here, and when it's when Marty's kind of standing in the door, and he goes to that little jar and gets some, like, like candy or something out oh, of the candy, jar, yeah. and he kind of just, like, puts it in his mouth and kind of just gives that little, like, nod. Because, like, you, you never really have, like, outside of what you see with Marty, with Biff in the future and the past, these two kind of never really interact. So, like, kind of you only yeah. just have this, like, little sense. So you never really know, does 
does Marty stand up and protect his family or whatever from it? Like, um, yeah. It's, so I kind of just like that little moment that he has there. Um, I love the dinner table scene that George is eating a bowl of like... Peanut brittle. Peanut brittle. I thought, is that a mm-hmm. cereal or is that just like peanut brittle? Like it's not peanut brittle. It's, pe- it's just peanut. Because I think you actually see on the box, it just says peanut brittle. Okay. Because I'm thinking. I don't know. I don't know if they sell it in boxes, but. Because I'm thinking he's pouring a bowl of cereal at dinner because like they're eating like I always a thought loaf. the same thing as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, I mean, again, like not trying to like nitpick things here, but like, I just like, why has their life turned into so much shit? I get George is bullied, right? So I guess that's the implication. Mm-hmm. I get they've got to have this kind of like, you know, turn around, like one punch can change things, which again, the simplicity of the, this is the most simplest time travel movie you can make. There are, there are many a plot holes you can nitpick as with any time travel movie. But I think this does it in such a fun way that even when we can sit here and nitpick little things, like you're even just like, ah, but it's so much fun. Who cares? Um, mm-hmm. But like, I will say like, why? Like George still meets Lorraine. They still fall in love. So why is she like a raging alcoholic? She's she's obviously still in love with him. This is Jamie to you because it's not like <laughs> she's just like, ah, my life. If I didn't meet you, George McFly. Because she's still like, oh, and we met. She's oblivious. And- just like Jamie, she's oblivious to the fact that I'm such a loser. <laughs> and that you you were in a tree perving on her getting undressed and yeah, stuff exactly. like that. Um, but it's just like, I don't know. Like, it's just, why is she an alcoholic? Why is he? I think it makes sense. Uh, like, look at their life. I mean, her husband, for one thing, this guy who... Now, the other thing we have to consider is that Biff never tried to rape Lorraine in this original timeline because she well, just went with George. You know, they were never parked in the car for Biff to show up, her up when she's had the lunch. So like, it's not like he hasn't yeah, got he, he, he has done stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but like, imagine, imagine if that had never changed and George's. I mean, for all we know, there is something that's not seen in the movie where, where you know, Biff is constantly sexually harassing her or stuff like that, and she's like, oh, I just wish he would stand up. My husband would stand up for me, but. Oh, just look at him. He's so sweet. Like that. I think that's the way it is. Like this isn't the life that she wanted. She's like, yeah, but it is what it is, right? And she she drowns her sorrows with alcohol. <laughs> Colin's sounding like this. I think I know Colin secretly an alcoholic. This is fine. He, she's <laughs> this got is, a this shit is, life. This is life, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's got three kids. <laughs> the um the sister she reminds me of Jamie. Can I just say that she kind of looks a bit like Jamie? The she glasses. Me, yeah, she kind of reminds me a bit of Jamie there. So there you go. I like the brother. I like him. He's just you know working at a fast food restaurant, I, whatever. I sort of met him once. Um, so the, the last time I actually went to a Comic-Con here, he was here. And uh, now these Comic-Cons, it's outrageously priced. I mean, I'm talking as we've been covering 24, that Sean Astin's here and like time we're recording this a week. I still don't know if I'm going to go because it will cost $100 to get his autograph. It'll cost $120 to get a picture with him. I'm already paying $100 to get into the Comic-Con. Am I going to spend that much just yeah. to meet Sean Astin? Sean Astin maybe. But anyway, so you go and you're like, oh, I can't meet everybody. Uh, but a lot of these, like, they're basically working. They're like, uh, you know, how do I get people to notice me? And I'm walking past Mark McClure. And Hi, I'm he Mark just sort McClure. Of, you might remember me from uh, such films as Back to the pretty, Future. <laughs> it's pretty close. He just looks at me and goes, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, good, good. Nice to see you. <laughs> you know? It was like a brief thing. I'm like, oh, I, I, I would love to meet Mark McClure. He's Jimmy Olsen. He's Dave McFly. Uh, but I'm like, but yeah, he's just like people walking past. Hey, how's it going, guys? All right, stop by, get an autograph sometime. The one I went to, I remember, told plenty of times. It was like William Shatner, two of the Charm Girls, like um, Carrie Yule's. Um, but I remember the one because uh, like we were, you know, we were media, but we weren't allowed to like do really anything. So we like 
stood near Carrie Yules and like had a brief, like said hello to him and said a couple of lot words to him. Couldn't get near William Shatner. We got near Admiral Akbar. We saw Shannon Doherty oh, and Holly, Holly Marie Combs and sort of looked at them. But the one that I like, you talk about work in the room. You're sort of walking around and you're doing this sort of stuff. Tia Carrera was just walking around <laughs> going, hi, I'm Tia Carrera. You might remember me from Wayne's World. <laughs> and that one weird episode of Nip Tuck where I played a dominatrix. And she walked past and was like, hello. I'm like, hi, Tia Carrera. And she just kept walking. And I'm like, that was Tia Carrera. She was in Wayne's World. It- <laughs> Did you happen to drop in your conversation with Carrie better than what you sniff? No, no, but I wanted to do the, the claw. Nothing could hold the claw. Because, <laughs> again, everybody would have gone up to him and would have been all like, ah, oh, the princess, princess bride, bride yeah. and ah, oh, sore, and like, you know, all of those sort of ones. I would have been the only one going, liar, liar, and twister. Yeah. <laughs> That's and now what... Mission Impossible. Yeah. The, the real holy trinity of his, his career. Um, but again, like all the little moments, like uh, going there. But yeah, Marty going off at one. Yeah, but like, why? Why is Lorraine? Oh, back when I was, no one would call a boy and going for a boy. Mum, can I go out at one fifteen a.m. to hang out with an old man uh, for no reason? <laughs> yes, Marty, you can. Oh, the eighties. As long as you take a jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a life preserver i want two layers it's cold in october oh boy a jacket uh, jacket <laughs> i'm gonna be doing a redux of academy award winner brendan fraser <laughs> um but i mean so many like iconic moments in this mall bit just like yeah him getting out of the the delorean the the bit when it like goes through his legs and you see like the fire i mean that's iconic i mean you talk about other things that i love and like, this would be another one when i've got a bigger man cave um, the posters for this movie. Like, is this the most iconic oh, yeah. trilogy of posters? The way that it's just the yeah. same movie poster. Like, the first one's just Marty. The second one's got Doc on it. The third one's got Mary Steinberger. Like, it's just mm-hmm. the way they add them. Like, iconic posters. Even just the black Back to the Future with the DeLorean. That was the T-shirt I used to have was with the font and the the, the DeLorean with the fire underneath it. Um, everything here is just fan. I mean, the special effects, again, it holds up. Like, there's only... There's only a couple of bits I can think of in the second and third ones, which yeah, look dated. There's maybe there's one scene in this movie with his hand, which to me yeah. looks a little dated. But outside, even Robert Zemeckis calls that one out. Yeah, but like I mean, this scene with the DeLorean with the sparks and everything, like it looks incredible still. And this film is what nearly forty years old. Um, but like just like I couldn't imagine this being played seriously. No disrespect, Eric Stoltz, you need that kind of like subtle humor to it because I mean, you know, you build a time machine. Out of a DeLorean? A like, <laughs> like things like that, which actually almost like age better with time with everything that happened with DeLorean yeah. now. Like I'm sure in the 80s, like this was just, oh yeah, DeLorean. But now it's just like, this is just, it's hilarious. Um, but like all little things that he just does here. And again, you just explain it with a couple of things. Again, little mistakes you could point out when he's filming this and he watches it back in the 50s. There's certain bits that Marty hasn't filmed, but you see it in the 50s. Like, little mistakes there. If you watch this movie enough, you tell. But again, you pass it off. How do the Libyans find him? I mean, <laughs> it's okay. Because he's listed as a 24-hour scientist. It's on the side of his van. What do you mean how they find him? <laughs> but also, like, the, the mistake that they always point out as well is, like, later on when Marty's back comes back here, you see when he's rushing to meet Doc and you see the Libyans go past, the headlights are on, but here they turn the headlights on. Like, it's kind of like little things like that. Um, but like, I, I, my biggest thing is these Libyans are shooting Doc Brown with an AK-47 and he just falls to the ground with a couple of bruises. He should be ripped apart. Like his arms should be over there. His head should be over there. His guts are everywhere. It's an AK-47 at close range. He's yeah. dead. 
Um, his we, stomach lining is currently blocking the 24-hour part on the side of his decals. I, I mean, we, we talk about a 24 just some of these casting that they get for, like, Middle Eastern man to play terrorist. What was the MO for the 80s? Slightly <laughs> Middle Eastern man. I mean, Libya, again, not even Middle East technically. I, I, I mean, again, If it is classified as Middle East, I apologize. I consider it North Africa because it's not, like, look that up for me. Am I being inappropriate by saying it is actually the Middle East? But um, oh. I, I think it's not. I mean, it is North Africa. But, like, I don't call Morocco the Middle East. That is North Africa. And Libya is its neighbour. So, anyway. Um, but, yeah, I also love... The, the one thing that always irks me about this scene is the rocket launcher. You know when you, you talk about, like, movies and you got, like, they're drinking coffee and it's so obviously an empty cup? This, this plastic rocket launcher, it's so plastic. It looks so fake. Yeah. <laughs> like, because this Libyan's, like, holding it and he's, like, moving it around like it is, like, this pen. <laughs> like, it's got no weight or anything to it. But, yeah, everything about this... Goes in uh, back in back into the past, which if you watch that um, the John Mulaney sketch is like we're going to call it Back to the Future, but they go back in time, so shouldn't it be called Back to the Past? <laughs> yes, but we're calling it Back to the Future. Um, and the other mistake here is when he crashes into the barn. How is the DeLorean facing the door that they open? There's no possible way that car turned around because there's no other door on the other side. So that's another well, but does mistake. he? I'd have to look at it, but does he go through a door? Or does he just go through the back side of the bar? Yeah, but if you look, just... but if you look at the other bit, the, the whole wall is still intact, and he's cr- that's, that's the side he's crashed oh, into. Oh, I, I get you. I get what you mean. There's yeah. There's no. There's no giant hole behind yeah. him, and because he's gone straight okay. forward, it's not like you hear him spin yeah. around and whatever. And also the other mistake too, which you point out, is sometimes you look at uh, when Doc first got the DeLorean and it came back, and he's like, "Oh, ah, cold." Oh, ah, there was running and screaming. Uh, that's how it starts. Uh, he's Jeff, Jeff Goldblum is Marty McFly. I would have bought that. Um, actually, that would have been all right. Uh, oh, uh, you built a uh, time machine out of a DeLorean. Mm, yes. <laughs> I see. I see the ice. And, mm. uh, and Marty McFly is the fly. Hey, Marty McFly. <laughs> I should have been an 80s movie executive. Uh, but when, when the DeLorean comes back the first time, it's like it's frozen and covered in ice. Here it's not. It's just got steam on it. But later on, when he comes back in the 50s, ice. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, I this, the, the whole, the whole uh, Lone Pine, Twin Pine thing, that blew my mind as a 14-year-old. Yeah. Like, I was like, whoa, that's clever. <laughs> um, these people are smart that write movies. <laughs> wow. Um, but... Uh, yeah. Is it, is it Middle East? Am I right or wrong? Uh, well, it's not labeled as Middle East, but yeah. if you look on Wikipedia, you know how you have like all the, the links at the bottom to, to refer, the reference section. There are multiple articles and everything uh, that relate to Libya that are articles about the Middle East. Or, yeah, so we're not going to be insensitive being the first ones to say Middle East about it. It's just it's technically not. It's, it's part of the Arab world because that was like the yeah. Arab Spring. And it's sort of the Middle East is kind of that to the right east of Africa. To the right, to the right. <laughs> like if you look at the top of Africa and if you know where Iran, that, that's the Middle East. And then slightly to yeah. the left in the north part of Africa, you have like Egypt and, and Libya and Morocco. I think Tunisia. This is the middle. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's. There's it's, the middle and then the Middle East. It's, 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 the, west, it's the Western Middle East. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a wall between Libya and the rest of the Middle East. <laughs> it is according it's, it's the Arab world. It is part of the Arab. It sounds like a mm. theme park. Come to Arab world. 
Um, but yeah, the Arab state or the Arab homeland. So it is part of Arabia. Isn't that um, yeah. Aladdin? That's Alibaba. That's well, that's that. Yeah, back now to the I got future. <laughs> back to the future. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, actually, I I just thought of something, and I'm, we're gonna have to check this out in the other ones. Well, we probably won't because the whole thing gets retrofitted with like the the what do they call Mister Fusion and everything in the next one. But maybe the whole ice thing is only if you travel into the future. Hey, look at you we only solving see ice. all these there plot holes. Yeah, Colin Hilding. Um, Thank you. I'll be here for the next three weeks. Yeah, you're back. Uh, you become smarter. <laughs> so he's driving along this wide open road, saying it all must be a dream, a very intense dream. And then he just slams on the brakes because he sees the entrance to his street. These are like the the, the big stone pillars where we saw Lions him go again. State. The Lions Estate. The, the, the exposition that is sometimes just visual uh, by just creating a really clever shot that's going to stick in your mind. And then I love that the sign, which is saying like uh, breaking ground this spring or whatever, mm. it is an exact duplicate. The painting is exact duplicate of the house that Marty lives in later on. Uh, but uh, uh, he gets back in the car and uh, well, before he gets back in the car, we get that couple who's driving past. Excuse me, you got to help me. He's like, don't stop or we'll die. Panic, <laughs> old grandma. <laughs> uh, so he can't get it started now. Uh, so he pushes it behind the sign, covers it up and then walks into town. And this is where we get Mr. Sandman. Oh, fuck. This- oh. So good. This is a favorite song. I think of everybody's watched this movie, but uh, uh, two, two, my two favorite memories of Mr. Sandman. One is my brother. Anytime this song would be playing, he would always answer it. Like, I don't know if he heard a version of this somewhere, but maybe he's even listening. Cause he, he loves back to future too, but uh, not just part two, but as well, but uh, he would always do the same. Mr. Sandman Eagle. Yes. <laughs> like, this answer. I think it was like when um this is a weird thing like I don't um before I ever sort of really had the internet or could like download songs not that I still do that today but um <laughs> when like my dad worked with a guy who obviously had like a limewire or whatever it was back in two thousand and one so he would be like give me ten bucks and um give me a list of songs I'll download and burn you so that was oh, like, yeah. that was my thing as I did as a kid so I was obsessed. So once I saw this movie, it was like Power of Love, uh, Back in Time, uh, ZZ Top. Mr. Sandman. Mr. Sandman. But the one that like I still, and I need to do it now that I've watched this, like the one that I actually really like, because like my mum used to like growing up, you know, she'd play Brian Adams, Queen, all those sort of things with my dad. But she was really into, I think we talked about that when we did White Christmas. She loved Bing Crosby. So she used to mm-hmm. play a lot of like 40s, like 50s, like swing, Ella Fitzgerald, yeah. all this type of music. So 50s music just, and the older I get, as a kid, I hated it. But now it actually gets me quite emotional and really nostalgic now since my mum has passed. So like, I love this song. And then later on, Earth Angel, Earth (laughs) Angel. If I ever get married again, that might be my first dance. Like fucking that song's amazing. (laughs) I have have an appreciation for like that whole 40s, 50s stuff as well. Uh, A lot of it just comes from Christmas music, right? Oh, shit, yeah. all those classic Christmas songs. And then you're like, Oh, they've got other good songs here. Perry Como. We're going to get in the, the next movie. Right. Uh, <laughs> Blast from the past. Wait, it really I picks could up die. here right now. I could die. And here it goes. Guys who wet their pants at Perry Como or whatever that line was. He was but, the, uh, uh, the, um, What's it called? Uh, Harry Styles of the fifties. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but like Jamie actually loves playing play. Like she has entire playlists which are just you know th- this era music, 
And the twins love the Mr. Sandman song. Sometimes oh, song. they'll be singing that song. Like she'll be changing them for bed and everything. And they'll be like, Mr. Sandman. <laughs> they, they really like that song too. Uh, but uh, seeing this whole town square here again, like the little differences that they got. Now, this is where I feel for what they had to do after letting Eric Stoltz go. Because you have the exact same back lot here that you have to dress twice. You have to do, well, you have to dress four times because you have to do the 1985 version. And then you got to do all the sets in the 1955 version with Eric Stoltz. And that's some of the footage that's available is like this reveal of Eric Stoltz walking through the town square. And then you do it all over again with, with Michael J. Fox. Like that's insane amount of money and time this likely would have cost him, which is one of the reasons that uh, this movie didn't actually, we'll get to the end, why this movie didn't actually have you know a lot of trailers or promotion built into it. And one of the reasons why the song was so important for them getting the movie out. Um, but um, seeing all the little things throughout the town here, like, the differences in the gas station where you have like 16 attendants come out for one car. I don't know how gas station made any money in the fifties paying all those salaries, they, slave labor. Who knows? But, but you like, I'm sure as a Canadian thing too. Like I remember, like I don't remember like these people coming out as a car, but I mean, I at least remember as kids where like the person would come out and fill the fuel up. And there was, I know there was one in Hobart where still to this day, I think like it's, they still have a sign up going like, we will still like you stay in your car. We yeah. will give you old style service and come out and pump your gas for you or petrol as we call it. There there's two, uh, there's two major chains here. Well, you're probably familiar with both of them here in Canada. There's co-op, which um, maybe you don't have co-op there. I don't know. It might be I, a no, we, no I, I, when I was, when I lived in Canada, uh, we would go to co-op all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And co-op, like you, you basically have a membership and you get like discounts yeah. and everything, but they, they give you your choice. They're like, you pull into these lanes if you mm -hmm. want full service. And then the other one is Domo, which uh, growing up Domo, probably around, I guess we're looking at the, the 90s or whatever. They started advertising like their slogan. You see commercials with Domo, we jump to the pump for you. And I never quite understood like why that was a big deal until you know you look back on it like, well, I guess everybody else stopped doing that around the 80s or 90s. So you start promoting, hey, we'll actually fill up your car and you know you get extra business or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we see the, the thing for the mayor, Red Thomas, which is of course our hobo we're going to see later on. No, he's really uh, old in this photo. So 30 years in the future, he looks younger as a homeless man. So he does. Yeah. Everyone in the fifties. He's got to be like old. 90. That's the fifties for you. Um, <laughs> uh, baby Joey, uh, yeah. he's the only, he's only one 50. who he, 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 well, I was going to say he was newborn and looks too, because everybody ages quicker in the fifties. But uh, yeah, I love the, the, seeing all the little differences in the square, especially the the one that he passes by in the movie theater, which is like Cattle Queens of Montana with Barbara Stanwyck and Ronald Reagan, which, uh, which is I, I, and honestly, this is one that I had to get my dad to explain to me. And I like when the, the Ronald Reagan joke in this movie went way over my head because I, I did like yeah. I, as a 14 year old, you barely know who Ronald Reagan is as a 14 year old in Australia. But like I knew yeah. enough that he was president. I didn't know he was an actor. So I'm like, Dad, I don't get the joke. I'm like, oh, Ronald Reagan was an actor. I'm like, was he? What? Yeah. Like, it blew my mind. I mean, I was still, I, I was young, but I can still remember, like, the late 80s, which was still Reagan era, knowing him as a president. It might have been this movie as well that kind of introduced me to, oh, I guess he was an actor as well. Uh, I think I've seen, like, one or two Ronald Reagan movies ever. What's interesting about him is that he he was not, like, movie star in terms of this guy was never getting nominated for an award. You know, he was one of these actors, like, uh, not Ryan that he was Felipe. all comedy, like, Ryan Phillippe, I would say more like an Adam Sandler, just in that his movies make money. He was like, he was a box office draw that probably even in the fifties, people didn't take that seriously. And, and actually he had a series of movies that he made with a chimp, which is why they had originally written the chimp as Einstein. 
because it was all going to tie into the whole Ronald Reagan thing. Wow. So there you go. That that executive ruined it. Well, I, mean, I like it wasn't Einstein. Wasn't orangutan. Yeah, <laughs> that was an orangutan. Uh, but uh, he goes into the uh, cafe here, and uh, he doesn't even notice George at first. And I love this shot where they're both like they're resting their heads in the same way. Um, also, we get the phone call where he he's digging through the phone book and his watch goes off. Now his watch is st- suddenly working again. Uh, but uh, he comes out and he's asking where Riverside Drive is, and the guy's saying, "Are you going to order anything?" Oh, I, 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 I thought the whole idea of the fifties is like you're not nowadays. That's that's what you do in the eighties. You're like, hey, order something or get out. You know, but it's <laughs> but like this is the fifties. Yeah, but I love. Sorry, if you're about to say this, but I love like. I mean, again, I I wasn't. I mean, I'm a child of the eighties. I was born in the eighties, but I was three by the time they ended. So I, you know, never mm-hmm. got to that. But I just love these little bits here where the, it's those. And I've always been a fan of these. Like, you know, put you in an interesting situation where your cultures clash like a body swap movie or a time travel movie so i love this yeah. bit when he's just like oh yeah i'll, I'll have a tab like you want to you gotta have all something if you want to <laughs> have a pepsi free. if you want a pepsi you have to pay for it like, <laughs> yeah like i just love these like, like subtle things like that and again like it's it's a joke but at yeah. the same time you're like you well it. if you had to go back in time like these are the things you just would take for granted you know yeah. and there's so many and that's um, what i really like about this movie again it's just like it's dated now because the 80s is such a, like, dated for us. But, like, it's at the time, like, even later on when he's watching TV and it's like, I've seen this one before. Like, it's brand new. It's like, I've got two. No one has two What's televisions. What's a rerun? What's John yeah. F- Who's John F. Kennedy? Like, it's just little things <laughs> yeah. like that, which is just, it's just funny. Ronald Reagan, the actor? Who's the vice president? <laughs> Jerry Lewis? Yeah, like, you you wouldn't think about it, especially as a 17-year-old. I think that I, I never watch these movies from the point of view of a teenager. Yeah. You just assume Marty's just a character. And I think that's kind of the intention. But then if you actually pick these movies apart, you see things where it's like, okay, somebody who's 25 would probably be like, I travel back in time. I need to think about these. Somebody who's a 17-year-old scared kid yeah. would just be like, uh, give me a tab. I don't know. Um, but uh, th- this is where you get that <laughs> reveal where he comes in and, hey, McFly, and both of them turn. And Marty even identifies this as Biff or whatever. And Billy uh, Zane! And, <laughs> and Billy Zane from Academy Award Best Picture winner, Titanic, the hero of Titanic. <laughs> there he is. Oh, it's just, uh, it's just Zoolander. I, Listen to your friend Billy Zane. He's a cool dude. <laughs> uh, I like Biff's gang here. I like all the gangs that they have in these movies. These guys in part one don't get anything other than the one guy who says, take a look at this guy's life preserver. The Dirk thinks he's oh, going to drown. The, the racist later on. Beat it, spook. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We get a little bit for them. But like we get more humor out of the second movie and then definitely the third movie. The the uh, the, the gang. Oh, in the second movie, it's more Griff's gang who gets mm. all the personality. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So uh, when they're replaying the scene from earlier on where Biff was talking about uh, getting his work. Uh, and handing in his work in his handwriting. So now it's his homework in his handwriting. I get kicked out of school. You want that to happen, would you? Uh, and I, I also love, though, that um, when the the other guy in the gang says, look at the guy's life preserver, the dork thinks he's going to drown. The very sincere laugh where where the loser, George, is like, yeah. <laughs> look at this guy. Yeah. He does <laughs> really, nothing to make Marty feel more out of he place. He does like a really good, like, um, like, I mean, it was the 80s. It was the era of the geeks. We just did weird science. We talked about this. But, yeah. like, he... He does it in a way where, like, it's believable. If you're getting bullied and somebody else is getting bullied, you're just going to play along with it because you're like, oh, ah, yeah, exactly. that's, that's more of a loser than me. Like, I was a loser. I was a loser in high school. Take attention off of me. I got bullied, but there was, like, I wasn't lower tier bully. I, there was at least a tier below me at high 
You were tier two. I was like, <laughs> tier two I loser. was second rung of the ladder of the low of the socio the social uh, ladder <laughs> in high school. So there was one tier below me. Now we didn't bully them. I'm not saying that, but like it was more of a case of like, well, it could be worse. I could be those two. Uh, so yeah. See, I I I I was never low tier either, but I I was cool. I was lucky enough that I was like. No, I mean, I was I was the lower tier where people would basically forget about me for the most part, you know, like, oh, he's now. tier two, but he, he's tier two, but he's OK. Just leave him be. He's from Eric LaSalle. It's all right. Yeah, exactly. Eric LaSalle, Manitoba. Uh, but uh, after Biff leaves here, uh, we get that like, brilliant act from Chris and Glover. Now, I, I can see from. Roberts and Mex and Bob Gale's side, when they explained that the issues they had with Chris McGlover was more just, he was never consistent. They're like 50% of the time he would do a take and he'd be doing something that's like, no, that doesn't suit this at all. And it's like, and occasionally you get him focused enough. We do it right. But I have to imagine like some of these things, like where he's eating his cereal and he knows Marty's watching him. And he just does the thing. We're what? Like he's stressed out. Yeah, I think this he's whole, amazing in this movie. You talk about like Academy. Well, I watched this movie and I think Chris McGlover could have got nominated for an Oscar for this oh, 100%. movie. 100%. But when you hear the stories about him on set, though, especially mm. the, I don't know if you heard the story where he insisted that his hair be standing completely upright. Yeah. And they're like, okay, interesting idea, but we already filmed three different angles with your hair straight. And Crispin Glover wasn't like, let's go back and refilm them. He was like, well, why does it have to match? He's, <laughs> you know? he's like, a weird he, guy. He, He's Doc Brown at the age of 21 or whatever he was he's, filming this movie. He's, he's to me, he's he, on something. To me, he's the OG Tommy Wiseau, Crispin Glover. There's, yeah. a, there's a comparison yeah. for you. Watch the famous David Letterman incident, which basically blacklisted yeah. him from a lot of things when he nearly kicked David Letterman in the head. Um, yeah, like to me, he is the OG Tommy Wiseau. He's just an odd dude. We'll talk more about like the fallout from this, but like, there's something still there with Crispin Glover. I mean, because Robert Zemeckis used him in in the the movie Beowulf, where he actually plays the monster Grendel in Beowulf, which was just insane that he actually went back to this guy that he had this falling out with years later. I know you've never seen the Charlie's Angels movies, and I still recommend we do them one time because they're just fun. Um, but like he is literally his character is called Creepy Thin Guy in uh, Charlie's Angels. So like when I as I said when I saw this movie the first time, I'm like, hey, it's a Creepy Thin Guy from Charlie's Angels. <laughs> Um, and then I think, didn't he go on to play, then he just ended up, the last thing I think I saw him in was when they did like those epic movies, disaster movies, those, those, mm. when parody films turned bad, I think he played like the Willy Wonka character in the one that was trying to pretend that he was Michael Jackson. So, um, I think he like he had, uh, Michael Jackson parodies later on. In the early two thousands, th- there was an attempt to make him a thing again and kind of capitalize on this is after the back to future DVDs had came out. And people were like, wow, what a weird guy. He's kind of interesting, though. There was a movie called Willard, which is a remake of a mm. 70s movie about a guy who just has, like, basically trains an army of rats or something like that. I never saw the movie, but I remember all the promotion. They they people, they people, were actually building this movie around Crispin Glover. And there were a lot of people online at the time who were like, that crazy guy from Back of the Future, he's been given another, but the movie kind of bombed. And then I don't think he ever got anything major again after that. I think it needs to be like a... Um... Just, I just want to point out, Colin heard his back, and it's just kind of yeah, like, I feel for the guy. <laughs> but he just, um, it's just funny kind of watching him in the background trying to not be in pain. But, you know, like uh, Jack and Jill a couple of months ago, Dunker Chino, I just feel like Crispin Glover <laughs> needs to be like a KFC spokes, like Crispin Chicken with Crispin. Like, <laughs> at the moment in Australia, they've got like a big campaign for like a crispy chicken burger here, which I think the guy who's like selling it is meant to be a famous person. I don't know who he is. That's how old I am now. I don't know who celebrities are anymore. He's probably like a TikToker or something. But um, where's the Crispin McGlover burger? Like, it just sounds Cr- like... Crisp, crispy cream donuts? Yeah, it just sounds like a food. 
like Crispin, yeah. get your McCrispin <laughs> burger. Uh, so this is where we get introduced to the mayor, the the future mayor who had the billboards, could be mayor. Goldie Wilson. Yeah, <laughs> love I this could guy. Be Mayor. A colored mayor, racist. <laughs> mayor Goldie Wilson. I like the I sound like, of like, that. It's a subtle, like, this guy's great because he, like, he adjusts his little, his little uh, bow tie. He's like, Mayor. Yeah. I could be Mayor. <laughs> I want to be that guy in real life. He's great. Uh, don't do not do any painting then. <laughs> Not like that. I've told my blackface story about how I nearly did blackface, but I, I was I was a twenty one year old smarter than Trudeau. I was I was my twenty first birthday going as Michael Jackson. I literally bought blackface paint. I was looking in the mirror about to start, and I literally looked at myself and I'm like, "No, I don't think this will work." And I didn't do it. See, Justin, there is a moment before you put no. blackface on that you can say no, and I did. See, Max Dawson. Yes. Listen. Exactly. Oh, I bet you Noah's still doing blackface. I could have been the most racist thing in my life. I could have gone blackface to my 21st party. There were <laughs> lots of photos. I put them all up on MySpace back in the day. They would have existed. I would have never been able to escape that. But I said no. Just say no to blackface. You're not going to tweet about that, are you, Max Dawson? Oh, Ben's not a racist. He said no to blackface. <laughs> say no to blackface. <laughs> we we got to add that as a t-shirt. No, we're not going to add that as a t-shirt. <laughs> I think that would be the equivalent. Yes. No, we, why not? When that could take off, it would be like the next Black Lives Matter. Say no to blackface. Well, in all fairness. Hashtag say, we'll do the same font as hashtag say no to blackface. In all fairness, no disrespect to the Black Lives Matter movement, but there are people in this planet who have literally gone, yeah, black lives do matter. So like literally, people could be walking around going, yeah, no to blackface. Okay. I'm going to say no. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to do another one. Say no to Max Dawson's face. There you go. <laughs> I can shave it Same off, mate. Boss's beard. <laughs> 2023. Shave it off. All right. Uh, I, I love uh, every time Marty gets stumped on names here right after he sees George leave and he runs out. He goes, hey, dad, George, <laughs> hey, you in the bike. <laughs> oh, I remember later on. It's like, that's all right. Dad, dad, daddy-o. Dad, daddy-o. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite one's uh, the one where Lorraine comes to Doc's shop later on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. But uh so uh, he's running around this residential street. He can't find him. He looks up at the trees, sees him with binoculars, bird watching as he's staring at a woman changing. <laughs> Massive window. And I love that uh, Marty's like, he's a peeping Tom. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he drops out of the tree. Uh, the car comes up. He pushes him out of the way, but he gets hit by the car. And then another one of these lines where you're like, it's kind of oh, like Biff when there's like, I spilled you. I spilled beer all over myself. Another one of these yes. kids just shut down my car. How many times has this happened, but Mr. That's Beans? A, that's one of the few notes I've taken down. It's like literally, because he says like, doesn't he say like I hit another one or something like that as well? Another one of these kids jumped in front of my car. But it's like, again, how many is he hitting? Is this just a regular Tuesday night? Like, yeah. oh, I hit another kid. Because then, But then it's like, the, um, what's the the famous play with the Stella? Like, because he's yelling out Stella, oh, right? Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, yeah, so like he's yelling that out. So I'm guessing that's a reference. But like, it's just like, who are these kids that are just like, and because is that Lorraine changing or is that another girl? No, I think I, I tried to figure that out. Well, it's not by staring at the, the body, but I tried to figure oh, out. I, I think he's he's actually looking across the street. Right. So it'd be Lorraine's neighbor is the one he really wants. No, yeah, well, I mean, why not? It's the fifties. You didn't have porn, so I mean. <laughs> another one of these kids jumped in front of my car. I'm just pointing out the positives of pornography. All right, with pornography invented, <laughs> no peeping toms. 
There you the go. The positives of pornography coming right See after this in my hand? I can type in porn right now rather than going on my... I've got a very good balcony. <laughs> I can see into any apartment I want. I just need a pair of binoculars. I'm a peeping Tom. I'm George McFly. But I don't do that because I've got porn on my phone. Thank you, technology. Say no to bird watching. The positives of pornography. <laughs> bird watching has dropped uh, since pornography <laughs> became a thing. That's why I mean, without without with, with pornography back in the fifties, we wouldn't have got James Bond. So I mean, you know, like nobody buys binoculars anymore. <laughs> they just buy a new phone. <laughs> they go incognito on Google. Exactly. On their phone. Um. So uh, here we get the first of three scenes we're gonna get in this series. That I love that there's there's a couple of scenes that they play out in every single movie, which is one of these yeah. other things that makes you connect this. Like it was always the plan to have three parts. Uh, the scene where he's waking up and mom, mom, is that you? Uh, now I'm not gonna say it's a plot hole, but like she's doing her old lady voice here. I don't yeah. wonder what is Cotton Lorraine, 17 year old Lorraine's voice. Oh, it's all right. Uh, you're no okay. <laughs> Even at 17, you're going, oh, 1955. <laughs> uh, but uh, this this look where he has 1955. Now, I don't remember, is this on our abruptly sitting up after a nightmare? Because it would it would fall into that category. Uh, I don't think it was. If it was, it wasn't in the top four. But um, uh, Well, it's going to be out now since we covered it. But <laughs> 1955, <laughs> abruptly you're, sits you're up after a nightmare. You're safe here. Good old 1955. Now, I, I remember seeing this the first time and wondering if this was a different actress because i don't know how old, i would have been like six or seven when yeah, i saw this I movie and, and it's funny because i i think for years afterwards until i ever saw leah thompson in something else obviously i never saw thomas f wilson or crispin glover or anything else but for years until i saw maybe caroline the city or howard the duck or whatever i just assumed that they aged her down in mm. this like i mm. thought oh maybe she's somewhere in between so they put a little bit of makeup here because the, the old age makeup looks very convincing i'm not saying she looks old here i mean but uh, this, oh, good makeup job. They made her look quite young. Uh, but uh, this is where you start to get the indication that there's something wrong with this lady because uh, she's slightly coming on to her son. Uh, wear my pants <laughs> over there. I've never seen a guy with purple underwear before. She comes over and sits next to him. I love when she's Calvin, why do you keep calling me Calvin? That's your name, isn't it, Calvin Klein? It's written all over your underwear. She not only says that, she tries to <laughs> pull at his underwear to see. Uh, and then my favorite what line, which Jamie, when you think about, well, when you think about the context, this is going to sound weird, but there's this put your pants on line. I, I don't say this to my twins, but when I'm getting them dressed, this is going to be like, oh. put your pants back on secret. But when I'm getting, I, I always used to do this whenever I change their diaper and I'd be putting their pants, I'm like, here, put your pants back on. I always say it like that. It's like the secretive thing. I say that to um, Jen or Casey, whoever's in the background that you could just get, uh, get the wrong name. <laughs> put your pants back on. When Noel's here in a couple of days, put your pants back on. Exactly. Well, no one never has his pants on. <laughs> trying to get a date. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Put your pants um, on. No, you might get a date. So uh, she leads him downstairs. Uh, we meet the the mom who's pregnant with, I guess, supposed to be the fifth child that they're having here. Uh, this was the 50s. They're just breeding every year and a half. New kid. Uh, the, uh, the, the one boy here, the oldest boy. So uh, he's in the... You, have you ever seen the TV show The Wonder Years? Oh, I would have seen it, but yeah, this boy does it's, look familiar. Yeah. He was in the, he was the older brother, like Fred oh. Savage's older brother in the Yoanda years. And that's a show that like still to this day has such a huge following. I actually showed it to Jamie for the first time and she really liked it. But yeah, this would have been like him. He's the Elijah Wood in this movie. <laughs> Young kid before anybody knew who he was. Not that like anybody knows him. What he's known as. He goes to conventions. Through. Hi, I'm the Elijah Wood. <laughs> I'm the Elijah Wood of part one. <laughs> 
Uh, but uh, uh, the dad setting up the TV, and then he's like, "What are you doing in the middle of the street? A kid your age?" And I just want to be like, "I don't know. What did the other kids say? <laughs> what did the first five that did this say?" <laughs> uh, they, they, I, I love the rain saying, "Sit here next to me, Marty," and it physically shoves him down. Uh, they got the TV rolling, and then they're watching the honeymooners. Uh, and the, the mom's asking those questions. You look really familiar. Do I know your mother? And he looks at Lorraine. Yeah, I think maybe you do. Well, then I better give her a call. You can. Um, cause nobody's home. And then something that probably took me like way too many viewings to actually get is after she's like, Oh, he goes yet. <laughs> As he looks at her again, like yeah. time travel joke there. Uh, and, uh, they, oh, I also love that the mother basically says, uh, I, I guess you're a uh, lifeguard cause you're wearing that life preserver. <laughs> There's so many of these life preserver jokes in the movie. Uh, which I, and, which I always, uh, as a kid, I think I, I'd never got, but it's kind of like vests like this. Cause I mean, obviously these are just commonplace now, but obviously this yeah. was like an eighties fashion choice. So I never got that as a kid, why they kept making that joke. I have always wanted one of these and I'm like, I like one. I don't actually w- I, I think I own a winter jacket and maybe one day a year I'll wear it. But like for the most part, I just wear, if, if I'm really cold, I'll wear two hoodies. You know, uh, I, I hate having my body restricted. Like anything <sighs> I wear has to have some type of give to it. I'm like, I'm a, I'm hit and miss with vests. Cause like, I like them and I like the idea of them, but I also don't get like, I, I don't know about you. You're Canadian. You get cold all the time, but like you're used to it in a way. Like I don't get this idea that just your torso is going to get cold. Like generally when I get cold, and I put on, oh boy, a jacket. It's mainly because it's coming through my arms. So I'm kind of like, well, why do I want my arms to be free and my torso? I, I, I can't think I've ever sat there and gone, oh, my torso is cold, but my arms are snug and warm. Well, I think I think scientifically they actually say, like, if you're ever in a situation like that, warm your torso first because everything else will kind of follow. tomorrow, so- right? When Emmy Rossum and Jake Gyllenhaal's getting a little bit old. Uh- <laughs> But yeah, no, like I'm Sorry, not, but I, I, but I, I, I blanked out there. Um, no, Jake Gyllenhaal, who wouldn't want to get close to him? <laughs> um, beautiful man. Um, he's a beautiful man, actually. That's not meant to be sarcastic. Good on you, Jake Gyllenhaal, for being a thing. And fuck you, Taylor Swift fans, for hating Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm sorry. I hate this bullshit around Taylor Swift with every single thing that every guy that she's fucked, which is 97% of the population, that everybody automatically has to hate them because it's their fault because she wrote a song about them. She's written yeah. a song about me and I've never met the bitch. Like, seriously. <laughs> like, Jake Gyllenhaal is innocent. Hashtag leave Jake Gyllenhaal alone. Um, the- <laughs> sorry, I don't know why I'm doing that rant. <laughs> I'm sick of this fucking NFL guy. I get it. She's with him. Who cares? Oh. She was dating Fernando Alonso earlier this year. We get it. Like, get over it. She'll be dating Jamie uh, next week. <laughs> Actually, can she? Uh, we'll get listeners. No, no, please no. <laughs> She'll write a song about Jamie and then I'll have to explain but it. We'll get listeners. You know, I, I, I hate her, but like, seriously, at the end of the day, like, I mean, if Taylor Swift I love, dates I love one that for of you, us, the end of the I love the end of the day, prostitute your wife out for infidelity, Colin. <laughs> I might even take one for the team, you know? <laughs> <laughs> infidelity it improves the podcast <laughs> does it <laughs> we're speaking from experience here <laughs> it still hasn't improved in the last two and a half years has it really i don't know I'm we more hit our peak two and a half years ago <laughs> but uh have you ever seen the honeymooners ah oh, again it's one of these ones that was on tv when you came home as a kid i i was more of a I dream of genie get smart yeah. guy. That was they were the ones that I used to watch. So these other ones like Bewitched and this were on, but I would never really pay attention to them. 
I, I've seen the honeymooners, but I don't think I've ever seen this episode of it. I also know there's a lot of like lost episodes where there's like lost. portions of it that are available. Yeah. <laughs> With Jack and Kate that was on the honeymooners. That <laughs> <laughs> was Dominic Monaghan. <laughs> was that eventually uh, Lily in that scene? <laughs> but this is where he recognized the episode from earlier. I, I love that he says this is a classic. Uh, I saw it on a rerun. What's a rerun? You'll find out. And even we we also had the line, like you said, about the we have two. Nobody has two television sets. Uh, how, did you have two TVs as a kid? Uh, yeah, we, we we had the the lounge room one, and then um we had like a little rumpus room where Dad and I would hang out. We had two. I remember when I got my first TV in my room. Like it was, we went to a garage yeah. sale and got there was like a little black and white TV that was you know whatever. And so like it was my sister and mine. Like we would alternate, kind of like oh we get it. And eventually I ended up with it because she moved out. But um, that to me only could pick up two channels because it was one of the old analog TVs. And that's where I would watch like Formula One on black and white until my first job as a uh, 16-year-old when the first thing I ever bought with my first ever paycheck was a Pornography. Color, well, that. And a <laughs> color television and all those Matrix things that I think I talked about a couple in years ago. color? Pornography in color. It was great. <laughs> like, oh, that's what a boob uh, looks like in color. I mean, technically, I didn't have a second TV until we were into the early 90s. But you actually reminded me of one little TVs I had. Uh, my my aunt had uh, one time her and her kids had come over for like a sleepover. And they they gave us this thing. It was basically a mini TV. Um, I, I, I I can show my hands, but nobody else can see how big that is. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it, it was said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it was an alarm clock, so it had a radio and a TV all built into one. And it was black and white, but it was like this little mini thing. And my sister had it first. And then I remember uh, around the early 90s, I got this because I needed an alarm clock. And it was the coolest thing ever because it was small enough that like you could just pull it into bed with you and watch stuff at night. And nobody knew that your TV was on. And you also could set it as alarm. So my alarm would be set for like 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning and it would turn on by turning on the TV. Isn't it amazing though that, right, all these stories, here we are, oh, well, I got a TV, we have two TVs, do that. <laughs> right now, I can like watch TV on this thing, a phone. Like oh, it's yeah. just, it's it's stupid ridiculous. That, that That's Your where we're Your biggest concern is I've got five uh, five devices I can log we, into. What if I hit my five? We don't, like, I remember back in Australian Survivor Archives, we talked about this back watching the, the OG Australian Survivor season when like we, we talked about a thing in Australia called G-Code, which I don't know if you had in Canada. Basically like when you had your VHS uh, machines and you used to want to record it, you could obviously like set a time. So I want it to record yeah. 7.30 to 8.30. Every TV show on your TV guide, you would look in your newspaper and it would say like, mm-hmm. Back to the Future was airing at 8.30. So it would have a number afterwards and you would enter it into your into your G-code enabled VHS machine. And then basically it would sync up. You'd always have to set it a bit early and a bit later because it's never perfect timing. But like you used to have to like work around your schedule of like, oh, I'm going out with, yeah. you know, whatever and said, oh no, but I can't like, so later in this, in this movie, this is all related to Back to the Future. When George is like, I can't go to the dance because my favorite television show is on. People now, kids these days are like, oh, why would, like whatever. Like, everything's catch up. It, like I don't even barely have an aerial connected to that TV. Everything's internet now. But like mm-hmm. back then, back in the day, like you used to have to like 7.30, I've got to be home to watch this. Otherwise I'm going to miss yeah. it. Yeah. I, I don't know how networks actually like, it, does it matter what night a show's on now? Because that used to be a thing where it's like, well, you don't want to put shows on Friday. Then. Yeah. Friday nights and Saturday nights. If you got moved to that time slot, you're going to be canceled third, in here because nobody watch. watched TV. When third watch got moved to a Friday. It's, yeah. the, it's the death knock. Friday night death knock, yeah, right? Now, who cares, right? Um, so uh, after Lorraine puts her hand on his leg, he, I got to go. I got to go. It was uh, uh, nice meeting you. I'll see you all later. Much later. <laughs> 
And then he runs out. This is where you get your opening line of the dad saying, he's an idiot. His parents are probably idiots too. You ever marry uh, somebody like that'll disown you? Uh, Is that a subtle reference to the fact that like... (laughs) Oh, yeah. I never put that together. Yeah. Uh, So who is... Who is the real father of Dave McFly? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, But uh, we also did have Uncle Joey here, but you see these bars kid, which is kind of just a fun little joke. Uh, And then the mother even says, oh, yeah, he he cries whenever you take him out of there. So we leave him in there all the time. Uh, So this is where he uh, finds Doc's house. And we get that reveal where he sees the garage, which we see here is the garage or workshop or whatever it is, which is Doc's house in 85. And then he looks to the left and you see this giant mansion. He's like, what? (laughs) Uh, Now, I actually thought that this is what I kind of have my geography mixed up here because I always thought that he sold the mansion after it burned down to Burger King. But Burger King's actually on the other side of his garage. So I don't even know. I'll have to go back and see what what he sold his property to on the left-hand side. This is probably the porn theater. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, he knocks on the door and here you get Chris. Nobody can have like an introduction to a shot like christopher lloyd like every time it's different and every time it's hilarious like he put this thing on his head and just that, that look don't say anything he pulls him again this is an old man who grabs teenage boys at the door pulls him and said don't say anything he's like yes <laughs> <laughs> i've been waiting for you uh he's putting these suction cups i love just the shot of him putting the suction cup on his head and marty just looking up on his eyes on his head. you should have seen where he put the other one <laughs> uh but this is doc trying to read his thoughts and uh, at first, he's just mentioning these random things. And I, the one thing that took me a long time to catch on where he goes, he looks at his life preserver that he thinks, he goes, donations, you are you're you want me to make a donation to the Coast Guard Youth Auxiliary? <laughs> uh, and then this is where he takes the suck, suction cup off and uh, he says, I'm from the future. I came in a time machine you invented. I need to even get back to the year 1985. And at first he's like, oh, you know what this means? It doesn't work at all. <laughs> he starts freaking out. And this is where he starts trying to convince him because he's showing him, look at my driver's license, expires 87. Uh, look at my birthday. I haven't even born yet. And then he says, uh, you know, oh, who's the president in 1985? Ronald Reagan. And this doc, Ronald Reagan, the actor who's the vice president, Jerry Lewis. And as he's going off to garage, he starts rambling through all of the, the people. Jane Wyman's the first lady and uh, Jack Benny's the secretary treasurer. Uh, so most people probably have heard this story as well. Uh, the White House obviously has like their own movie screening room and everything. And Ronald Reagan, when he was watching Back to the Future for the first time, uh, in his screening room, when this line came up, he started laughing so hard that he asked the productionist to stop the movie and rewind it so we could watch it over again. <laughs> uh, I, I can't imagine, like, Ronald Reagan just be like, Ronald Reagan, the actor, which is actually kind of a shot at him. And he's just like, ah, that's amazing. Because <laughs> I was an actor and now I'm president? <laughs> what <laughs> world do we live in? <laughs> Isn't Donald Trump watching these movies nowadays and everybody makes references <laughs> to him? Uh, so, uh, when Doc basically, uh, slams the door on him, this is where Marty talks about the bruise on your head. He tells the story about the clock and all that. This is where Doc opens the door and he's got that shock look on his face. Uh, he takes him to where the DeLorean's parked. He turns it on and he shows him the flux capacitor or after Doc says, this is what I drew when I fell off the toilet, shows him the flux capacitor. Um, and, uh, Doc gives a, we got to get you home. Uh, she shows him the video here. Well, well I guess we'll cap it up for this video here. Or we'll do the video and the school scene. Uh, yeah, so he shows him the video where he hooks it up. And I love Doc here, like subtle jokes that I probably didn't get at the time. Maybe, again, I didn't realize Ronald Reagan, the whole actor thing, uh, when he's like, it's amazing, a portable video device. No wonder your president's an actor. He's got to look at it on television, <laughs> which is not that far off. Like uh, you get more appreciation of it when you realize Ronald Reagan was an actor. But then you realize it's actually true when you learn some of the history about like the JFK Richard Nixon debate, which would have been only five mm-hmm. years after this. Yeah. And how everybody who listened to him on the radio said Nixon won by a landslide. 
and everybody who watched the video said JFK won by a landslide. What's the difference? I mean, two things. One, JFK, a little bit more presentable. And the other thing is that there's that story where they they turned up the heat. JFK, his people said he's suffering sweating. from a cold. So if you could, yeah, it's the Richard Nixon sweating, which was only because they turned up the heat. So yeah, there, there's actually more to this than just a joke about Ronald Reagan being but, but an there's actor. other little bits too, which he'd like, and I, I'm again sorry if I'm jumping here, but you're touching on because it's all these little references that, again, kind of seem a bit silly and on the nose, but like, it's also like a, if this was the fifties, like imagine if one of us went back to 1985 right now, I mentioned that Donald Trump was president and like, we've got a TV on our phone. Like these are things that people yeah. are going to question. So like when he says like, Oh, you need plutonium. And he's like, Oh, I'm sure on the, uh, the eighties, like, like plutonium. <laughs> Every just corner like, drugstore. And it's like, why am I wearing a radiation suit? Oh, of course, because of all the atomic wars. Like, <laughs> the, I mean, the fallout from the atomic wars. <laughs> yeah. Like just little things like that, that are just actually really funny and clever. Yeah. Uh, and even his expression was like, look at me, I'm an old man, which is hilarious because when he goes back in time, it's like a little less wrinkles, but he's still an old man. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't wait till we get to next week, the actual story behind Doc's makeover that they have. Uh, but uh, so when they're going through the video here and he mentions the 1.21 gigawatts, is like, 1.21 gigawatts? Probably I used of, to quote that all the time. <laughs> oh, that is hands down one of those famous line readings ever is a 1.21 gigawatts. And then when he storms out and then Marty falls and when, he, when he's actually, how could I have been so careless? It can't be done. He calls, he says, Tom, it can't be done. It can't. I don't know how long it took me to pick up on the fact that he's looking at a picture of Thomas Edison speaking to it as yeah. this real person. Uh, but, and, and there's other pictures there of like Einstein and other you know scientists and everything as well. Uh, but this is where he has that. Uh, I'm sure in 1985, Plutonium was available at every corner drugstore. Here it's a little hard to come by. Um, Marty starts saying, oh, you know, I got a life in 1985. I've got a girlfriend. Girl. Uh now this is this is maybe a little bit creepy on Doc's part. He's talking clearly about a teenage girl. Is she pretty? Can I see? <laughs> Can you excuse me for a few minutes? There's a box of Kleenex with them. It's <laughs> <laughs> so that Friends episode where Joe in that just every time like Ross is talking about someone, Joe is just like, "Hey, so I like," and just like points at his chest. <laughs> uh, and and another thing of like very clever exposition was like, "Oh yeah, look, they're just talking about his girlfriend," which is of course what Marty would be. Marty wouldn't care about. I got to go back to 1985 because yeah. I don't know. I've got an assignment due. He's like, I got a girlfriend. 17 year old then, boy. Yeah. He's like, she drew hearts on this. Like, this is what he's worried about. But you use that to give that reveal to the audience, the clock tower thing. And then the audience is a little bit ahead of doc when he says, uh, Oh, it, it needs to be a bolt of lightning. And then Marty, what did you say? Uh, this is another one where they do that sort of back and forth pacing thing that that's to compensate for their height. Uh, and then uh, they talk about the, the clock tower at exactly the time. Uh, we're going to send you back to the future, which this is why the movie's called Back to the Future. I always kind of got confused as a kid too. I'm like, it's actually back to the past, but I'm like, but when he's in the past, he needs to get back to the future, but you get the back to the future. I love it points into the camera. Like it's kind of. Yeah, exactly. Addressing the audience. Uh, and then he says, okay, uh, I can hang out for a couple of weeks or a couple of days. You could show me around and no, you can't interact with anybody. Marty's like, uh, Hey, <laughs> you didn't interact with anybody, did you? It's like, well, I might have bumped into my parents. Uh, one of the other lines that, like, on multiple viewings, you start to get more and more appreciation for is where he says, show me a picture again of your brother. Because earlier on, when he showed him the picture of his sister's shirt that said, like, class of 1984, he says, oh, it's a really poor uh, photo doctoring. They cut off your brother's hair, which it took me forever to get. Like, in a very brief glimpse, you see just the top of Dave's head has been erased. Uh, and then this is where you see his entire head's been erased here. He's being erased from existence. Um, so they have to set right everything with the parents. So they go to school the next day. Uh, and and again, Marty, one of the things I appreciate more about him just being a teenager, because he's being sincere here where he's like, wow, they really cleaned this place up. It looks brand new. And he's not actually thinking 
That's because you're here when it's brand new. Uh, he uses the phrase heavy for the first time, and Doc's like, wait, it has nothing to do with it. Um, and this is where I walk in. It's like, which one's your pop? That's him. It's like a bunch of guys are kicking him, and he's got the kick me sign on his back. This was essentially what inspired Bob Gale to pitch this idea to Zemeckis when he saw the high school yearbook photo of his father, and he's like, man, I probably would have been the guy kicking him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's the difference, uh, which I would... This is an interesting little sidebar here. Do, do you think you would have gotten along with your parents as teenagers? I can say 100%. I, would, I wouldn't I would have gotten along with my parents. My parents would not have gotten along with me. Um, Yeah, probably that. I mean, my I think my dad was kind of... um, My dad, I think, was a bit of a bully and a bit of a troubled child. Um, he, he was Biff. Lot, he lived in a pretty rough suburb and, and had brothers. And the stories he told me as a kid, yeah, not me. Um, and my mum, uh, I think I've also told the story about how she was like, uh, kind of like, uh, if, if you ever, there's a, there's, I told that during Swing and Safari, kind of that period, there's a TV show here called Puberty Blues, which is just about girls who hang around surfers trying to sleep with them. And my mum would oh, always yeah. tell me the story <laughs> about how, yeah, the girl who wrote that book went to my school and was like two years older than me. And that's what we used to do as well. So every time I watch Puberty Blues, I'm like, my mum used to just hang around with surfers and try and sleep with them. So um, <laughs> she was kind of cool. No, you're not hanging out with them. So like, like it's, it's, it's more of a, I think my parents were a lot cooler than I was uh, and that I wouldn't yeah. fit in with their social circles. So probably not. Same here. Um, I, I'll also say I like, your you know, mum's my... fucking cool. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I definitely, definitely would have hung out with my mom. Your mum's the fonds <laughs> of parents. <laughs> Get off but, the, uh, the car, mom. <laughs> but uh, this is funny because just last night, Jamie was sort of asking me uh, about like, um, you know, oh, you know, is there anything like that you know, you remember your dad really liking for music? And I'm like, ah. I'm like, I mean, there's a couple of things I remember him listening to, but it, it wasn't like I'm like, my dad wasn't interested in things. But I, I sort of explained to him, like, my dad was basically the type of guy where if he was interested in something, he didn't want to, he was antisocial in the way that he wouldn't want to talk to anybody. So he, I, I found out like years later, like he was a massive Star Wars fan. When we did the Star Wars movie, I talked about how he basically used Star Wars to, you know, go out with my mom the first time by, because he was a huge fan, but he lied about that because he wanted to, you know, let her win in a trivia thing. Um, but uh, when he showed us the Star Wars movie, he never said, I'm a big Star Wars fan, you know, and, and other stuff he was into. So he was one of these people, he would have a big interest in something, he would never talk about it. The fact that I'm doing this podcast is the opposite of my father because he would love Back to the Future. Be like, I don't want to talk to people about that. Yeah, my dad, my dad would look. I mean, I, I, when I was back in Tassie a few weeks ago, I was telling him how I went and saw like Live and Let Die on a big screen, and he was trying to work out like, oh, was that the first one that I saw at the movies? And he was like going on, he's like, what's the one where they go to like Egypt and they do all this sort of stuff? I'm like, oh, the Man with the Golden. And I was like, oh, I saw that at the movies. And like. Again, my dad raised me on James Bond and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Star Wars and things. Spy who loved me. <laughs> what did I Not say? Not Man with a Golden Gun. He's a Man with a with... Golden Gun. Oh, Spy who loved me. Thank you. <laughs> Don't listen to Lost 7. I know nothing my about James My dad never would have corrected you. He wouldn't have cared enough to. I have to. You have to. It's part of our uh, contract on our <laughs> 007. Download now. But yeah, like it's it's things like that. But it's, it's I think that, you know, maybe back in 1977, going to a James Bond. I mean, nowadays going to a James Bond movie isn't geeky and a loserish thing. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. The other thing that uh, came to my mind was uh, I'm like, what movies was your dad interested in? I'm like, I don't know. Like he, he watched movies with us. He would record movies to show us, but he never told us we were interested, but told him that uh, Jamie, that I remember one time my parents going to see a nightmare on Elm street movie in the theaters and somebody screaming upstairs. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned nightmare <laughs> on Elm street. Ah! <laughs> ah! 
But uh, my dad was like a, apparently a big Freddy cat when it came to movies. My mom was the exact opposite. Exorcist was her favorite movie of all time. And Probably she, she half the actors. It was exactly. I mean, she was like 12 when that movie came out, but she was like obsessed Again, with the actors. You have the actors. <laughs> My dad watched a Nightmare on Elm Street movie and probably considered one of the goofier ones. And he couldn't sleep that night without having the light. He didn't sleep even with the light on, but he insisted on the light being on. But uh, uh, yeah, he, he he's he, he was not he was not a very social person. <laughs> we'll say. But anyway, so yeah, this thing with, with Marty being like, oh, that's him. Like he's almost ashamed. And and Doc again, Doc. This is like. Flipping around when George was laughing at Marty for the life preserver earlier on. You get Doc, who guaranteed Doc was not the cool guy in his school. And he's looking, what does your mom ever see in this kid? <laughs> like, he's judging George. That just tells you all you need to know about George. Uh, so he tries to introduce him. Uh, and um, uh, instead, Lorraine's just checking out Marty the entire time. And then when they actually walk past and she says, isn't he a dream? And Doc says... Uh, it, it seems as your mother's uh, infatuated with you instead of your father. And this is where Marty gets that line. Are you telling me my mother's got the hots for me? Uh, so that's what the entire, if you go back to watch the trailers for Back to the Future, the studio desperately wanted to promote this as the sex comedy. So it was uh, that line was the line that every TV spot had. You're telling me my mother's got the hots for me, oh. which really is like, it's a, it's a part of the plot, but like that doesn't sell you on what this movie is. Um, but uh, you know, that that's, probably by the time this movie came out that's what every, this is that your mother's my mother's got the hots for me movie is what people assumed it was uh and then doc say we have to come up with an idea to get them together and one of my other favorite doc lines of this entire movie is where he what do your parents like to do together and marty's saying nothing but then he he looks at the poster and goes there's a rhythmic ceremony in ritual coming up. <laughs> yeah and then Mark, Mark, Mark comes to the conclusion. Marty comes to the conclusion. Oh yeah, that's where they they fell in love. Uh, okay, so we need to you know get your parents together, whatever. Uh, I'll stop it there. We'll pick up after that. Yeah, the rhythmic <laughs> ceremonial ritual. One of my other favorite lines is when he keeps saying heavy because like when he's like, "Well, there's that word again, heavy." He's like, "Is there something <laughs> uh, wrong with the gravitational pull?" Earth's gravitational. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Um, yeah, like oh, the Mr. Sandman bit, just dum 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 dum, and then just like all the little bits where you see like all seats fifty cents, and like obviously you know I've seen like some complaints that these movies are repetitive if you binge them together because of like these repetitive scenes, like you know the whole like oh I had this terrible nightmare, or like the 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 cinema bits here where like the you know like he's gonna get the jaws bit, like. Some of these things are brilliant. The chase like, scene, skateboard, yeah. horse, whatever. But that's what makes these so endearing. You can watch, like, yeah. you can watch these back to back, and they're so good. Like, I, I just couldn't disagree more. Um, yeah, the old like, uh, what do you call these uh, milkshake shops? Kind of like um, diners, I guess. Um, which, yeah, like I just kind of like just I went over that line before when he's like. Oh, yeah, I'll have a tab, all that sort of stuff. I, I remember when I first found out that this is Billy Zane. Every single time I watch this movie, whenever he's in a scene, I don't look at anyone else but Billy Zane. I just stare at the phantom himself. There he That's is. That's the power of that face. He is oh. a beautiful... When are we doing Billy Zane month? Um, <laughs> We're doing it right now. I just... I seriously, like, just... I don't know why I love this man so much. I've literally probably only seen Back to the Future, Titanic, and Zoolander with him in it. Um, You've never I, seen The Phantom? I think I, my dad used to love The Phantom. That was like his like comic that he... So I think I like watched bits of it. Um, and I think I was tempted to watch more of it because I used to just love Cal Hockley from Titanic. Um, oh. oh, I've got... No, I got one for you. I, I, I forgot he was in this movie. Dead Calm. Wow. Somebody is really upset upstairs about Billy Zane. Uh, Dead Calm, the movie with Sam Neill and Nicole Kidman where they're like, 
Uh, they're on a boat together, and Sam Neill's like, uh, they're trying to. It's a very good movie. You should check it out. <laughs> so an Australian and a New Zealand on a boat featuring Billy Zane. Um, it's an Australian movie too. I was that. I, oh, I, Billy I don't Zane's think that in was an Australian a, movie. Come on. It might have been Peter. Well, it might have been Peter Weir who directed it. I gotta see here. Uh, uh, no, Philip Noyce directed it. So the, the same guy who Rabbit Proof Fence did this movie in 1989. Oh, well, Billy Zane in an Australian movie. I'm excited now. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know. I just love Billy Zane. He's a cool dude. Listen to your friend Billy Zane. Um. Yeah, the whole Dino stuff. I love the the mayor guy. Although, like, one criticism this film gets is, like, again, kind of a whitewashing, white saviour. We're going to get this later on with, did Marty McFly write um, Johnny B. Good? Uh, and is Chuck uh, Berry just a plagiarist? I, I, have, um, I, I thought about that, and I actually have picked something up I never had before. We'll get to that soon. But, I mean, so I'm just saying this. So the town's first non-white mayor was given the idea by a white man. Um, oh, which, and like, okay, this isn't Ben defends racism because hello, Max Dawson. It was the fifties. So like when this guy says, oh, a colored mayor," and later on when they use the word spook, like it was the fifties. Unfortunately, we had a time in our lives where the world was like this and that's how it was. And like they could, I mean, I'm sure this was made in 2023. It's, it's like the green book effect. Oh, you showed racism, but it wasn't racist enough. You needed to show more of that. Like, they show it, but this is a family movie. Like, I don't think people in the 80s were going, oh, they should have been more racist to that guy. That's not how the 50s <laughs> yeah. were. Like, come I on. I mean, if it, like, if you actually think about it, this movie, they have lines like that, but w- when we get to that scene later on, it is the band who gets the upper hand. Like, oh, it, shit, it, yeah. like And I guarantee that's probably not how it went most of the time in the 50s. But, of course, nobody's going to complain about that. Let's not erase Back to the Future from existence. And also, just want to point out, Biff, yeah, bit rapey in this film, okay? Not good. Ask for consent, Biff. That's how it works. Lorraine, bit rapey. Uh, Yeah. She's removed. going to call her out? She's moved her pants. She's (laughs) trying to grab down his crotch at the table. She's literally placing her hand between his legs. She's shoving Mm -hmm. him down on a chair. She, he can sleep in my room. Like, Oh boy. Yeah. Put this around the other way. If Leah Thompson goes back in time and Michael J. Fox, her father is doing this. uh, 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 Cancel back to the future. (laughs) No, not good enough. Leah Thompson, bit rapey. Just saying. (laughs) Works both ways. Women need to ask for consent too. Okay, there you go. Um, Especially if it's your son. Exactly. No, no, wait, wait, just don't even approach it. Just don't. No, don't even get to the point where you ask for consent. Just As don't a Tasmanian, do it. Tasmanian, I'm not seeing any issues here, but just <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I, I love, I love the the dad and the mum that will, I guess, Marty's granddad. And he's is the grandma meant to be like Lucille Ball? She's kind of got the hairstyle and she's kind yeah. of like, like, you know, kind of that very 50s uh, sort of style of it. Um, the whole Doc Mansion stuff is just brilliant. And, yeah, like I, I kind of like the the ongoing joke about him when he looks at himself. Look at me, I'm so old. Like he never ages in his entire franchise, does he? Um, but, like, I mean, I know a lot of the people do plot holes and contradictions around sort of, you know, Doc talks about, oh, don't do this, you could alter your future and all this kind of stuff. And he contradicts himself later on by reading the notes. And then later on when he goes into the future to bring Marty back into the future, why is he doing that? Like he's meddling in the future, like he's meddling with time, like he's going against what he says. But, I mean, I don't know, he's a kooky old man. This guy's stealing freaking plutonium from terrorists and 
inviting teenage <laughs> boys to the mall at 1.15am. This guy doesn't have logic. He's, he's, he's high on drugs. He's fucking whacked out this entire franchise. Come on. He's on some heroin. He's on some coke. Like, I mean, this guy is off his tits. Um, and the other, I love how people complain about this movie too. Oh, how do they connect a 1980s uh, video camera to a 1950s TV? I used to have that black and white TV that I had was old. I could plug in like, uh, yeah, like the C, they had the, the cords in the back and like you could do that. Like you put a Sega Master System. We used to have a Sega Master System and an old TV that we could work. Like it's the aerial connection. Yeah, they used to have cords for them. Yeah, and there's like a little screw that you would tighten when you just, hmm. it's just a metal clip that goes on it. Yeah, like because I, I, I think even the first video camera, the first video camera I owned personally was probably in like the mid to late 90s. And it came with all of those attachments in case you need to connect it to something like that. Yeah, like, I mean, nowadays, HDMI, AV cords, like, I mean, it's just the, you know, the the step of how cords work to your TV. But, like, I remember a time before AV cords where, again, yeah, you would plug it in the aerial slot. And that somehow worked as a video auxiliary as well as an audio. I don't know how it worked. I'm not a, that good at technical shit. Um but yeah, like just uh, the the school stuff. Um, I love what they wear, like these kind of like you know jacket things. Also, you know that George McFly is not cool when he is getting beat up by a guy with red hair and braces, um, which obviously we <laughs> yeah. will get later on at the dance. <laughs> like, no disrespect to our redheaded people listening to this with braces, but if there's a totem pole of popularity in the fifties. You are at the bottom. You're tier one. You're tier one. <laughs> Literally called redheaded stepchild for a reason. And if you've got braces, at the bottom. So George McFly, loser. Um, yeah, the, the rhythmic uh, ceremonial dance line is my favorite bit. Did you, you didn't cover the lunch scene, did you, where George is no, like I'm getting get rapey? But um, yeah. Amazing. George gets rapey, what? Uh, well, I mean, Biff gets rapey. <laughs> Well, Crispin Glover might have. Uh, so, yeah, the, the lunch scene here, this is where Marty uh, sits down with George and starts trying to talk to him about Lorraine and then realizes he's writing something and he uh, says he's writing science fiction stories. And this is kind of the fun of the movie about, like, if you went back to your parents, your parents are completely different people. You know, there's interests that they might have had that they never explored. Like, you know, we, we probably both had something at one point in our lives. We all want to be a race car driver or uh, a policeman or an astronaut, you know. If you went back to the right point in time, you're like, I'm going to be an astronaut. And your, your kids would never realize that. Uh, but he even says, I didn't know you did anything creative, but he doesn't let anybody read it. Uh, this is going to pay off at the end of the movie. Uh, and uh, when he's talking about Lorraine again, he goes, oh, I don't think that I have the confidence to ask her. Besides, I think she'd rather go with somebody else. And he's like, who? Biff. And that's when you see Biff. I love that point. Literally, he that like slow, yeah. like Biff yeah. <laughs> back to the future. <laughs> but yeah, Biff's getting a little bit handsy here with Lorraine. Uh, which I'm sure everybody did that in the 50s, right? I'm <laughs> well, sure everybody did with Lorraine. What are you saying? She's not that type of girl. I just love this. Strickland is doing nothing to stop this, but when Marty and Biff start pushing each other, he's like, hey, boys, cut it out. <laughs> uh, and then when a guy throws a paper airplane, he's like, hey, yeah. who just threw that paper airplane? <laughs> Go feel up that girl. Get the paper airplane out of my kitchen. <laughs> he was here. feeling up girls too. Come on. <laughs> Um, he's off drinking so, alcohol in his office. We see it in the second one. Oh, yeah. Well, let's get to the second one. We're looking at porn, exactly. right? 1950s pornography. Uh, but uh, Lorraine has that line of the, get your meat hooks off of me. And then Marty, comes, he said, get your meat hooks off. So they start getting a little physical. Now, this is where Thomas F. Wilson um, had a bit of a run in with Eric Stoltz, where Eric Stoltz was too into character that he continually kept pushing. And again, Thomas F. Wilson, he bulked up for this movie. Naturally, he was much skinnier guy. So this is the first time where he's actually quite strong. And I think that, I don't know whether 
he he was the type of guy who ever would have pushed back, but he basically went to Robert Zemeckis and says, your, your boy here, Eric, is getting way too physical. Like, tell him to back <laughs> your off. Boy he's, here, Eric. <laughs> your boy here, Eric. Your boy here. So yeah, he actually, had, Robert Zemeckis had to have a conversation with Eric Stoltz because Thomas F. Wilson was getting like really upset about this. And uh, Thomas F. Wilson, whenever he does fan conventions, one of the fun things that he does is that he, um, he basically will come up with uh, talking points. Like, I've been asked all these questions a million times, so let's just start off with this. Yes, Michael J. Fox is a very nice person. Yes, Leah Thompson is a very nice person. Yes, I had problems with Crispin Glover, but it's all behind me now. Yes, I enjoyed doing all the Back to the Future movies. Yes, it took three hours to do the makeup. He basically covers all those questions to get them out of the way. And one of them is about the Crispin Glover thing. It's like, I'm over it now, but whatever, we had problems. Uh, the other person who apparently had some problems with Crispin Glover was uh, Christopher Lloyd, uh, which is probably more of a joking thing than anything else. The, the night that uh, Eric Stoltz was fired... Uh, whoever on the crew actually told Christopher Lloyd, they said to him, oh, so just letting you know, Eric has been let go. We're going to be replacing him. And he said, who's Eric? And because <laughs> he would insist on being called Marty on set. And so like the, the the actor, the other lead actor. And he goes, oh, I always thought his name was Marty. And of course, Christopher Lloyd was probably joking with that, but still kind of shows like, yeah, didn't quite get along so well. Uh, but uh, yeah, you, you got to wonder this scene here. Uh, it, it looks to me, this looks like one of the most realistic pushing matches in movie history mm. like this doesn't look like they're holding anything back so i can't imagine what eric stoltz was doing to giant thomas f wilson here um and michael J. fox being a smaller guy too like this also tells you a lot about marty like marty just being the opposite of his father being the guy who's willing to stick up for himself because he is the small kid in class this is not the guy who'd normally pick a fight but even he kind of backs off where he's like get your meat hooks off and then he kind of straightens his shirt <sighs> sorry about that you know um uh he he says he's going to cut him a break, make like a tree and get out of here, which I think is the, the I don't know. Did he have that line with George earlier in the cafe? Uh, yeah, I think that's, oh no, maybe this is the first time he says it. Yeah, I thought this might've been the first time. I mean, it'll be the line in pretty much all three movies here. Uh, so uh, that scene's over. He starts uh, uh, following um, uh, George home and he I even love the point. Like, again, sometimes the physical comedy of Crispin Glover is what's so good. When he turns out and sees Marty, and again, he does that point. He's like, why are you following me around? Which is true. <laughs> he's like, he's stalking him. Um, and why aren't you using binoculars? <laughs> you do it from afar. You don't get this close. Uh, so he's basically saying, you know, I, I want you to go to the dance with the rain. He says, but I'll miss my favorite television program, science fiction theater. And he even says, uh, uh, I'm not going to do it. And not, you or anybody else can help me. And this planet can help me change my mind. Uh, and that's when he's like science fiction theater. Eh? So he uh, uh, next shot is basically George asleep. And he's got one of his sci-fi magazine books there. Like the kid had in the barn. And uh, uh, Marty's in his radiation suit. And he's got the, the cassette of Van Halen that he pops in there. Now I always assume this was a Van Halen song. Are you that? I know you human being. Of course we talk about, you know, Twister and all that, but are you, are you really familiar with Van Halen's music? Uh, I like Jump. It's a good song. Here we go. Very simple. But there's like an instrumental, like early Van Halen song called Eruption, which is like now considered one of the favorites of the band, which I always assumed this was a song Eruption, but then I, I actually played it right after. I'm like, oh, is this like Eruption? Did they actually have Eddie Van Halen, you know, uh, in, the, in the movie? Apparently it's not. This is just something that sounds like Van Halen. But for years, everybody assumed that this was just because it wasn't an actual Van Halen song that they like, we can put the name Van Halen on the cassette, but legally we don't want to pay for the rights of the song. And then Eddie Van Halen himself before he died actually came out and said, yeah, that was me. They asked me if I could write something just for the movie. So then they wouldn't have to pay licensing for the song. Remy's trying to tell me about it. Yes, Remy. Remy I'm Van getting Halen. that part. 
I'm getting to that part, Remy. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, so uh, he just said, okay, well, it'll, maybe it'll be cheaper if we just get Eddie Van Halen to come in, do some quick thing on the guitar himself, and then that will be in the movie. So this is actually a non-Van Halen song that Eddie Van Halen composed for the movie. Uh, and I just love like George's expression, sitting up abruptly after a nightmare. Almost. <laughs> uh, the music's playing again. The pointing he does. Who are you? <laughs> uh, Silence, Earthling. I'm an extraterrestrial from the planet Vulcan. <laughs> My name is Darth Vader. <laughs> so good. And they're just leaving the scene like that. And then the next day, when Marty's uh, you know, struggling with it, things you wouldn't realize, like the tab and Pepsi free, flip it around, not being able to get the cap off of it because he didn't realize there's like the cap openers on the the Coke bottles. Uh, last night, Darth Vader came down from Planet Vulcan and said, if I didn't ask Lorraine to the dance, he would melt my brain. And then Marty, all right, let's just keep this brain melting thing to himself. Uh, he's showing where Lorraine is in the cafeteria or the, what, what do you want to call this? Diner, uh, malt shop, uh, which by the way, I, I, I love these things. I can't, I think we talked about this on another episode. Uh, but there's, um, there's a place that's called Wayback Burger here. Uh, and it's sort of designed to be like a throwback to these types of restaurants, the only unfortunate thing is that it opened during COVID. So it's like you would go there to pick up your meal. Like, I want to sit down here at the counter and order a milk chocolate, you know, and uh, you never got to. And now I'm just so used to just ordering from there. Like one of these days I got to go in there. Uh, but uh, this is where Marty feeds in the lines about to tell them that destiny has brought you together. She's the most beautiful girl you've ever seen and everything. And then I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. So when he walks in there like this, wow, brilliant. Give me a milk chocolate. chocolate. Uh, you've probably years ago seen the blooper reel for this movie. Yeah. There's two that always stuck out in my mind. One is the amount of times they had to throw this where it would actually get thrown. And then all of a sudden the whole thing would splash all over Crispin Glover's arm. Uh, like the dedication to get this one shot where the, you get this chocolate milk that stops exactly in the spot, doesn't hit him, doesn't fall off, doesn't... How many changes of clothes they went through <laughs> to get this one shot is crazy. Because uh, yeah, there are definitely bloopers where <laughs> it missed him completely. Uh and then, yeah, he takes the one sip and just puts it down. <laughs> and then strut the way he struts up to Lorraine's table, too. It's just hilarious. Uh, then he starts reading the lines about, this kind of mind, my, the density has popped me to you. <laughs> this uh, is me I'm when George. I talk to girls. <laughs> uh, I'm George McFly. I'm your density. I mean your destiny. And just her like, oh. <laughs> and then Biff coming in. Hey, McFly, uh, I told you not to come in here. Uh, Marty trips him, uh, and then we get this duplicated shot, which will come up in all the other ones too, where he gets up off the ground and then he just towers over Marty. Uh, and Marty's like, Hey Biff, what's that? Which is another thing that kind of repeats. He punches him, runs off. Uh, we get the, the first of three chase scenes that all get repeated in these movies. And I, I kind of agree with you. I, I, I think there was probably maybe one time where I watched like back to the future two and I'm like, uh, it's, it's just kind of the same scene over again. But then for the most part, like, especially when you watch this as a trilogy, I just agree. I feel like I get more appreciation for these repeated scenes yeah. if you watch them binge watching it all at once or like three days in a row. Yeah. Uh, but he's running from Biff. He gets the uh, the the kid on the skateboard. Like I don't. I, I guess this is what they did. Like these little scooter things, and then eventually became a skateboard. Maybe the sixties or seventies or whatever. Well, it wasn't um, Roger but... Moore inventing the uh, snowboard in in a view to a kill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, he he takes the skateboard and then uh biff's gang's chasing after him uh you get people from the 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 diner who are watching this like what's he riding? it's like a board with wheels uh and lorraine's still even more infatuated with him uh, i love the guy with the 3d glasses which i think his character's name is actually called 3d yeah. in biff's gang when they're driving he does this thing 
<laughs> he, he sounds like he's doing a stereotype of a Libyan or something like that. Uh, but uh, Marty's uh, getting run into by the car and then he jumps over. There's an incredible looking stunt too, where he jumps on top of the hood, runs over the car and then back down the other side. It looks great. Uh, and then he crashes right into the manure truck. Uh, you get the the Goldie Wills, the future mayor coming out. And he just does that take where he's like, whoo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, Lorraine, when people are asking, who is this guy? Where does he live? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Um, Doc uh, is watching the the videotape on Rewind over again. This is the, they found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Run for Marty! Rewind. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been my opening line. Run for it, Ben! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's uh, it, it should or he, he interrupts him. So Doc's just like, oh, I was just checking out this video equipment. Obviously, Doc's got on his mind and everything. Um, so uh, he shows him the model. He goes, oh, so this is what we're going to be doing. I figured it all out. And then he, this is something they repeat, not in the second movie, but the third movie. He's like, I apologize for the crudeness of this model. It hasn't been painted or made to scale. <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's great, Doc. Don't worry. So he runs through this thing with the little toy wind-up car and the uh, the electrical wire going across the road. Talks about how you're going to drive up to 88 miles per hour. And then as soon as the lightning strikes, they run it and the car catches on fire right into his pile of oily rags. <laughs> <gasps> right by his... <laughs> no, you're <even> like, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a gasp in. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I can't do it without so choking. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Jesus. How does Doc do that? Man, give this man the... Back. Yeah, exactly. This is why he deserves the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor of All Time, because he can gasp in like that, breathing in. Uh, there's a knock at the door, peeks out, and he says, it's your mom. Quick, cover the, the time machine. Uh, which another scene your pants. Put your pants back on, Marty. <laughs> uh, and this is another one of these, like, constantly scripted. And, it, and I, I don't think I quite appreciated the fact that it's like, Marty screwing up like, hey, mom, dad, dad, George, you and the bike and stuff like that. Because Lorraine actually does it too here where she's like, hi, Cal, Mar Cal Marty. Like she keeps correcting herself. And he says, oh, this is my uh, doc. I mean, my uncle, doc, brown, <laughs> awkwardly. So she's actually doing it too. So obviously she doesn't think much of him doing it. Uh, she's asking him all awkwardly to the dance. And he's like, oh, what about George? She goes, George McFly? <laughs> really? Well, she's just uh, a horny so teenager. But, but she's just like, but even then she's like, well, he's cute. Like, I mean, she's yeah. just horny. She's like, I'd go there, but just not now, okay? <laughs> Maybe in another 30 years <laughs> uh, when he's cool. <laughs> but uh, uh, she's she's talking about, uh, yeah, Remy, uh, now I'm past point of caring, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> Remy, get over it. <laughs> put on Back to the Future. You'll like it. Put some pants uh, on. <laughs> put some pants, put your pants on. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, she's basically talking about a, wanting a guy that stands up for himself, which again, you don't, you don't immediately get this the first time we watch the movie, but like, then you re this is Marty coming. To, why does he agree to this? I always wonder like, why does he say, why did he just say, no, I'm busy. I'm out of town. And then she's like, well, I guess it's going to be George. But when she says, I want a guy who stands up for himself. That's when he's like, I know how to get them together. So he goes to George and he's talking about, okay, so this is what we're going to do. Uh, you know, you're going to find us in the car struggling and uh and then you come in for the rescue and then i look jordan again the physical stuff of crispin glover is so much funnier than what comes out of his mouth he's, oh so you're gonna touch her on her and he's holding the panties he's like <laughs> c3po it's actually, it's actually how colin reacts every time jamie's like in front of him like you know oh colin it's time like, oh 
Uh, forget that. Every time I'm folding the laundry, I'm like, oh, panties. <laughs> My mum used to uh, hate the word panties. You could never say the word panties. Like, oh, I hate that what word. What do you call them? Undies. What does she call them? Undies? Undies. Okay. Uh, I mean, what's like a slang for underwear there? Like uh, dick togs. Um, <laughs> dick togs. That's a good one. <laughs> red, red, red grundies. Um <laughs> Yeah. I, I was gonna say the the uh the, the one from Airheads movie that I always loved was when uh Steve Buscemi calls Adam Sandler running around the apartment all day in your fudgies. <laughs> like fudgies Fudge. is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Would you call it a dick clamper? What was that? <laughs> Stamper? Dick togs. DTs. Dick togs. Dick togs. togs is like a, uh, one of the you know ran, rare things in this country where like you know depending on where you are in the country there'll be different like swimming costumes is called bathers and togs and cozies. It depends on what yeah. part of the country you're in. Um, some people call them togs. So like underwear is often called dick togs or like, um, speedos, DTs, dick togs. Uh, yeah, this is, so this is also where he says, you know, you're not going to be picking a fight. Dad, 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 daddy. Oh, dad, dad, daddy. Oh, <laughs> uh, so they, they run through this and then an important line in the movie, which again, multiple viewings before I really caught onto it where, uh, he's saying, you know, you can do this, George, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Of course, that's something that that uh, you know is going to come up later on. George is going to say that to Marty when he gets back. Uh, which does George even say that earlier in the movie, or is this? I think that's this is the first mention. I think it's the first mention. So it's yeah, it sort of ties together at the end of the movie when he says that to Marty again. Mm. Um, we get them quickly prepping uh, for the clock tower. Uh, now, this is another scene that I always connect with part two, where you got Doc uh, starting the experiment and everything like that. And I'm just imagining the other Doc in the background talking about the weather uh, <laughs> and everything. Uh, can you hand me that one-eighth uh, screwdriver or whatever it is the deleted scene where he actually, like, um, bribes the cop. with The, the like, cop, yeah. Because you see him, like, in the background going, oh, I've got a permit Let's for that. Let's see where it is here, yeah. Yeah, but he's actually, he pays the cop off if you see the deleted scene, yeah. Yeah, before he lost his family fortune, obviously. Uh, so they're at the dance. And again, like, this movie's so... And, like, I tried to imagine this movie released nowadays, and it would be two and a half hours. But, like, you move so quickly from, okay, these are your parents. Like, the second you get to, you've got to get your parents together. He goes to the school. You have one quick scene where he sees him interacting, finds out his mom has a hots for him. There's the cafeteria scene. There's the one in the diner. There's the scene, the two scenes with Lorraine asking him to the dance, him saying, George, this is a plan. And the next thing you know, they're at the dance. Like it all happens in the course of just a few minutes. And yeah. then you save the good stuff at the end. But like nowadays, they feel the need to connect this with like a million different scenes and subplots. And, and kind of on that note, what we're going to be getting here with the dance, um, Robert Zemeckis said in one of the many documentaries that uh, uh, what makes this movie unique is that the lead character has no story arc. He says all the story arcs are other people. You have Doc's story arc. You have Lorraine and George's story arc. You have Biff's story arc. And then Marty is simply a guy who's there. He, he acts like the droids in Star Wars. You know, he's just the vessel that the story is told towards. Indiana Jones. But, like Indiana Jones, yeah. Like there's no story arc to these characters. But I think it, one thing this missed is that there is the thing about him playing the, the music and being able to play in front of people. So I guess that's the closest thing to it. And I don't know if they specifically wrote that into the movie because they're like, oh, we need to have some type of story arc for this character. Uh, but when they pull up at the dance here, and uh, the first line, too, where Lorraine's like, I, I love to park. And he's like, huh? <laughs> this is maybe, I, I might say this is Michael G. Fox's funniest scene. Just everything in this scene here. Uh, <laughs> where she says, it's not like I've never parked with a boy, which, of course, goes back there saying, I've never sat in a parked car with a boy. Uh, you, you get the 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 spit take he has with the, the bottle, which he also has the thing that you might regret this later in life. 
uh, which that's one of the other bloopers yeah, I remember. I was about which, to say, that's the one I always remember yeah. too, when they put real alcohol in the bottle. They put real alcohol in which Michael J. Fox basically is he's laughing so hard you can't even hear him. He's all, basically on the verge of tears laughing because they did this, this little instead of prop alcohol, whatever it is, they put the real one in there. But I wonder if that's actually the take in here, the spit take, whether that's, you know, from the, the real time they did that. Um, so she basically jumps him here. <laughs> this is where she gets a little rapey. Uh, and the, the look on his, like, if there's one part that will always crack me up, it is the look on both of their faces. Like his obviously is like this shock thing. Even when she stops kissing him and she pulls away, his wide bulging eyes is just like so hilarious. But even her expression, like, cause you see her before you see him. And with her, it's just like, there's something really wrong here. <laughs> like, it's almost like a horror movie. Like, wait a second. Uh, and then she has that line about, uh, you know, it, it's almost like I'm kissing my brother. I guess that doesn't make sense. He goes, believe me, it makes perfect sense. And then he thinks that when she says somebody's coming, he thinks that, George is coming, but it turns out it's actually Biff. Biff throws him to his goons. The goons tie him up. Uh, Biff starts getting into the car, trying to rape Lorraine. Uh, the guys throw him into the trunk. Uh, and of course, this ends up being the trunk of the, the band, the Marvin Berry band. Um, and they chase the guys away after they get a little bit racist against them, uh, which again, that's something that nobody wants to point. Oh, how come these guys got the upper hand? How come they weren't being more aggressive towards these black men? Uh, but uh, but I love that the band's just uh, uh, I mean, the, who are you calling Spook? And then they just chase them off. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he says, oh, where the well, but I like his comeback. Cracker head or something like that. Well, yeah. Who are you calling Spook? Cracker like, head. He, he just races back to him. Like I love these. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the band guys. Like I mean, this is just like the you know retrospective history where it's like these guys are you know races against him, but they're like, well, fuck you. We're gonna be racist back to you, Pepper Boy or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Your name is. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is one part that I'm like I I. I I probably should have actually freeze frame to see if what it is, because when they say, where's the keys, the keys are in here. I'm like, well, how, why are the keys doing the trunk? But I'm guessing the keys, it's like, you know, you put your key in the lock and then you leave mm -hmm. it there after you mm -hmm. unlock it. So there's, if you look closely enough, I'm sure you could probably see one of Biff's goons, take the keys out and toss it into the trunk. So that's for messing up my hair or whatever. Um, so then we go back to, now, now this is the two sequences of this movie where everything is like, everything is at a hundred. You know the the scripting is perfect. The 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 dram, the way it's edited, the uh, the actors' performances, the music, where where you get this buildup of Biff twisting his arm and Lorraine jumping on, and leave him alone, and he shoves her down, and just Crispin Glover, the, the look on his face where he's all of a sudden like, no, you did not do just do that. Uh, while this is going on, Marty gets unlocked from the trunk. Uh, he's trying to race to the rescue, but he races there just in time for George to punch Biff out, and you get this very exaggerated spin around where the, the camera is like doing a triple spin or something like that. He hits the car, he passes out and you get Crispin Glover again. Like I, I will not argue with you. This is Oscar worthy acting here from Crispin Glover where he's like all shocked and he's like gasping. Are you okay? <laughs> uh, picks her up. They go off. Marty sees this. So he's all happy. And then the, I'm always looking in the background for the, the, is I it? I think he took his wallet gun. He definitely which, took his wallet. The, the the couple who comes up here is like, who is that guy? Is like, it's George McFly. That's George McFly. They're like 45 years old. <laughs> like, are they chaperones? Are they no, supposed to be the kids? That, that's me and a friend going to a, oh yeah, let's go <laughs> to a high just, school dance. Yeah. This is where Ben picks up his girls now. Uh, maybe that's, you know, if no one just lowered his standards like you, he'd get a date. That's all he needs. <laughs> go minute, to the high school. No standards. You know, teenage girls are hard <laughs> to get. 
talking oh, okay. about? So you, you're like, you lower standards for yourself, but not lower standards for who you Sorry, aim for. girls my age are easy to get. They're all single mothers. <laughs> oh, my husband left me and I've got a baby. Please, someone else. Fuck off. Like, I can get you tomorrow if I want to. I want a challenge, Colin. You got to challenge yourself. The young ones are the challenge. Candy ones. doesn't work anymore, all right? That was so the 50s, you know? Kids are smart these days. They know about stranger danger. Give them a milk chocolate. And they, <laughs> come on, kids, you like a milk chocolate? Exactly. <laughs> you want to come see my plutonium? <laughs> my DeLorean? <laughs> want to see my new TikTok video? That usually works. <laughs> If you just add 24-7 scientists to your Tinder profile, you'll probably get more. It's like my worst subject in school, so I don't think I'm going to pass as a scientist. I mean, my worst subject was sewing. That was 100% mine. I gave up on sewing. I went to an all-boys high school. We did not do sewing. (laughs) Um, Okay, so yeah, he saves the day. Lorraine's now in love. She, now I'm not... I think that the point of this movie is that George and Lorraine were the ones meant to be together, but Lorraine definitely has a type. She either she's saving the day or she's this day saved her. If there's some other guy who does this, does she just instantly forget? Cause she doesn't even go up to Marty and be like, sorry, can I go off with George? She says at the end of the movie, like where's her like, okay, by the way, Biff's guys dragged him away and he's probably like suffocating in the trunk of a car right now. Should we go get her? She's completely forgets about the guy. Yeah. Uh, true love, whatever. Um, so uh, he's, he starts seeing the picture still racing. So he's like, you still got to sing. You still got to play the dance. If they don't dance, they can't kiss. And then I'm history. And then, whoa, I can't unless you know somebody can play the guitar. Uh, and then you immediately cut to Marty just play. Duh, 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 duh. Uh, now, one thing I actually, it took me several years to figure out uh, was that the look that he gives him here, I always thought he just looks at him as like, because he first looks at him like, that's weird. But then he's like, oh, it's working. The reason he says that's weird is because what Marty's actually doing is he's playing what's called a power chord. Uh, which uh-huh. is, it, it's a way of playing music where you keep the same fingering. It's like one finger on one fret. You move down two frets to cover the next two strings. So it's like two fingers on on three strings. And no matter what chord you play, all you're doing is sliding it up and down and then just moving it up and down. But you never change the position of your fingers. Uh, and it was only like, you know, years after I saw this movie where I learned to play power chords, where I'm like, wait, that look he gives them is because Mark, Marty's playing power chords, which is something that, only I actually looked up the history of power chords and the kink song you really got me, which was a couple of years after this, was the first one that popularized using power chords. So when he's looking at Marty, he's actually giving like, what is that chord he's playing? Which is something that 99% of the people watching this wouldn't get. Um, also, the other fun thing with this is that there's a there's a, a guy who does videos where he plays what the actors are miming. Because when an actor is doing this, they kind of learn this is what it should look like. We want it, we want it to look realistic, but when you're on set, you're just okay. I got to move somewhere around here and somewhere around here. You never get it completely accurate. Uh, so there's a guy who actually has dubbed the audio of what they're actually playing, what they're, which is pretty close because Michael J. Fox, like the rush of him coming in to make this movie, no prep, having to do family ties during the day, back to the future at night. He still had to learn how to play. So this is one of the last things they shot with him because he had to learn to mine this well enough. So. Uh, this guy actually played it and it's actually pretty it sounds awful it sounds hilarious if you can find the video i'll I'll share it with you probably when uh we're we're done with this but uh it's it's really funny to actually listen to what the guitar he's playing is because it's like wow that's hilarious but for a guy who never played guitar prior to this to get that close with his miming is not bad because i've seen the same guy who does other videos where real professional guitar players are playing guitar players and even their miming is like well that's a little bit off 
Uh, but Michael J. Fox never learned how to play. He never knew how to play guitar before this, but he actually still to this, I don't know if still to this day, if his hands can take it or whatever, but he continued playing guitar. And I think when he rapped back to the future three, when he rapped the whole trilogy, uh, I don't know whether they gave him a gift of the guitar from this movie or something like that, but he became like a big guitar guy after these movies, just because of the dedication of how to do this one scene. Uh, so they're playing Earth Angel. Here we get the redheaded braces guy. <laughs> Nobody likes Noah. Who's still trying to pick? You got Noah trying to pick on George. Uh, and this guy's a little bit overacting. But again, I, it kind of creates like this weird, weird dream thing where I'm cutting in. But then I'm always wondering, like, are you seeing from Marty's perspective? So like the world, the room starts spinning as he starts erasing. This is where you get the one shoddy shot of his hand mm. where it's clearly like you got to have another actor's hand over with blue screen or whatever that and erasing it. Uh, I remember on the commentaries, Robert Zemeckis said uh, that that's the one shot he wishes they could redo. But he says, but we promised we would never actually update anything in this movie. We will remaster, but we would never change any shots in this movie. But even he kind of hates that one shot of the hand uh, just kind of floating there, disappearing over <laughs> Marty's face. Uh, but uh, always crouching on the ground. And then th that guy goes, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I love this guy's over the top laugh. This is a movie of laughs, you know? George is, ah, 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 ah. And then this guy, <laughs> It's like so maniacal laugh that I'm like, is this in Marty's head? Like, this doesn't seem real. Uh, George turns his back at first, but then all of a sudden you get that moment where he turns around, he pushes, excuse me, pushes the guy to the ground. That's where he kisses Lorraine. And another one of these, like, only Michael J. Fox can have an expression like this where all of a sudden he kisses her and then the earth angel and he starts slowly springing up and his eyes are still in that bulging on his face. He's getting a bone watching song. his parents make up. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, song ends. He says he has to go. Marvin Barry is like, oh, let's do another one. Let's do something that really cooks. And he's like, huh, I, this is his story arc. He gets to play on stage. So he says, this is an oldie. Well, it's an oldie where I come from. Uh, and this has, of course, become like that big meme. Uh, one of the most famous ones is the Star Wars thing now where there's the obi-wan saying uh you know uh oh years ago i served with your father in the clone wars and then it cuts to marty being like uh, uh i guess you guys aren't ready for that yet but your kids are gonna love it <laughs> all right whispered something no 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 i thought you were about to say never mind you were going somewhere with that i thought it, i was about to correct you and say anakin Band? but um oh okay <laughs> yeah anakin anakin but uh but yeah like this has become like a recent meme thing that uh, you're not ready for that yet but the kids are gonna love it uh but uh he goes into Johnny B. Good here, and um, uh, now, couple couple trivia things about this. One, the uh, the guitar is actually closer in this than it is in Earth Angel. Even in Earth Angel, he's only doing power chords, which is very simple to do. Uh, but the other thing being, the vocals for this is not Michael J. Fox. You don't uh, say. But, <laughs> well, but here's the funny thing because they they said uh, one of the trivia bits of this is that they wanted to get a vocalist who sounded like Michael J. Fox, so they basically did all these tests for trying to find somebody who, this is what Michael J. Fox sounded like he was saying. I'm sorry, this to me is the biggest mix in the movie. This sounds nothing like Completely Michael J. Fox's agree. sound. And then I actually did some digging because I found the guy who did it, his name is Mark Chapman, not mm -hmm. Mark David Chapman, uh, <laughs> uh, or is it Matthew Chap Matt Chapman or something like that. But uh, I looked it up and this guy, are you familiar with the group uh, Jack Mack and the Heart Attack? I just happened to watch they their uh, biopic. Well, Two hours you, ago. you would know uh, slightly about them because they were the band that was famously playing at the Olympic Park when the, the bomb went off in uh, Atlanta. It, it was Jack Mack and the Hard Pack was playing. So the Richard Jewell thing. Yeah, exactly. So they're the band that was playing. Uh, but now I've listened to, I've never seen Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. I listened to them. I always assumed like this guy sounds like James Brown. If you listen to Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. And when I'm listening to this, I'm like, that is not Michael J. Fox. 
I looked up a picture. I'm like, this this guy is like as white as Billy Zane, uh, <laughs> as white as Michael J. Fox. Like, I assume this guy was like black who sang this song, but he's not. Uh, but th- this is where, as he's playing Johnny B. Good, you get uh, the the reveal of him calling his cousin, uh, your cousin Marvin Barry, that new sound you're looking for. Now, this is where I'll I'll put to rest the myth about he actually invented Johnny B. Good because that's the way I always read the movie. But when you, as soon as he says that new sound you're looking for, listen to this. That's when Marty starts going a little bit too over the top. That's when the, he starts playing behind his head and everything. So if he played this over the phone, Chuck Berry, the conversation probably ended with like, I don't know what I just heard, but don't ever call me again. <laughs> you know? If he had called him 10 seconds earlier, Marty invented Johnny B. Good, but he calls him 10 seconds too late and he invented Eddie Van Halen. That's what he invented, you know? Uh, but uh I love just the, the actions of Marty doing this when he's doing the Chuck Berry, that famous Chuck Berry like leg stomp thing as he's hopping on one leg. And then when he's like jumping off the ad, <laughs> sliding on the floor, that's my favorite, uh, which all of the choreography they do here, they basically incorporated a lot of famous guitar players. Like you got the, uh, you're, you're obviously familiar with the who, but I don't know if you know, Pete Townsend has that, that strum thing where he like winds his yeah. arm all the way around uh, and so they, the they AC, moved out of there. walk thing as well. Yeah, the, the ACDC Angus, thing. Yeah. yeah. So they they basically used all these famous things. And the music, I love the music slowly stopping where at one point, all you got is a drummer playing the beat. And even the drummer's got this look on his face like, what? And then Marty finishing on that one note and looking out and everybody in the crowd is just staring at him. It's hilarious. And this is where he has a, I guess you're not ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. Um, and of course, Marty is up there hitting Biff's guys with, uh, with sandbags right now, which... We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, so just as he's leaving here, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of stop before we get to the clock tower a bit, but just as he's leaving here, this is where Lorraine's like, Marty, that was some very interesting music. Uh, the first time she's talked to the guy, like, how about, I'm sorry, Marty. Uh, I don't think that it's going to work out between us. Uh, she does say George is going to take him home, and he's like, oh, I had a feeling about you guys. Now, this is my biggest issue with people calling plot holes on Back to the Future. Because the number one thing people always talk about is, well, how do they not remember him? I'm sorry, they knew this guy over the course of one week. It's Saturday to Saturday or here. Over the course of one week, they've each seen him maybe two or three times for a conversation here and there. They they haven't interacted with him. It's not like he's been in school all week with them. It's not like they know him. And I started to think about like, how many people do I know from 30 years ago that I could recognize? You know, maybe like my best friend I would recognize down the street. I remember um, I have an aunt who I hadn't seen since... I think I saw her when I was 15 and then I didn't see her again until I was like 30 or 31. And I was walking down the street and she was walking. I just saw this lady who just stopped in her tracks and she's staring at me. And then all of a sudden she's like, Colin. I'm like, yeah. She goes, I'm your auntie. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) but she said she, even though the last time she'd seen me, I mean, uh, I was basically a child. She instantly recognized me, but I was like, oh yeah. Okay. Now I can see it. Um, But people I went to school with, like, unless they were like my best friend, I'm not going to recognize the street. I remember even as a kid, there was one school I went to and um, I, I still remain friends with, with two kids that were, I was in class with, but you know, four or five years later, I'd moved away and I hadn't talked to anybody else. And I was sleeping over at one of my friend's house back in that area. And there was a guy we ran into. He goes, Oh, do you remember this guy? And I'm like, what's your name again? And then he mentioned his name, like kind of sort of but i couldn't have told, i was that was four years removed and i couldn't have recognized this guy walking down the street until somebody said oh this was his name we went to school with him remember and i'm like oh yeah hey how's it going right none of them are going to remember him years later and then people even try to say that oh he says his name is marty they didn't think that was weird. she says marty that's such a nice name 
So she got the name Marty from Marty here, whatever. But they do not remember what this guy looked like 30 years later, especially when you're growing up with this baby who's slowly growing into this man. That's the only thing you associate with him. So I'm not calling that a plot hole at all. Uh, he basically just runs off here. But yeah, comment on everything there and including the plot hole. If you actually agree with these people who think that they should recognize that this guy, to me, this is the equivalent of what we talk about in Star Wars. People say it's a plot hole that Uncle Owen doesn't recognize C-3PO. When the Star Wars universe clearly establishes droids are nothing more than appliances. And mm-hmm. then it was like one week, like he doesn't know who this is and they wouldn't remember Marty either. I had a family friend last night send a photo of um, a, a team shot of one of my hockey teams, which I think was the last year I played hockey when I was 14, probably around about when I saw back, I saw back to the future. I retired from hockey. I'm like, I do not need to play hockey anymore. I've yeah. seen back to the future. But, um, I want to take up power chords and guitar. <laughs> I mean, I look at this photo and I like I don't remember getting this. I never thought we got photos taken as teams back in those days. We well, I never remember it. But I'm looking at this photo, looking at my team as I would have played for these kids like across a season, which is what like March to like August or something. So would have seen them at training and games. I would have seen them for multiple weeks of the year. Mm-hmm. I look at half these kids and I I remember the name, but I do not remember what they look like. like yeah, like. You know, because then you're younger. And that's you're... not even 30 years. Exactly. Uh, well, that'd be 20. Hey, how old am I? No. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> Fuck, I thought I was older there for a moment. Uh, so yeah, that I, was you know what, uh, 22 the, the, years I, ago. I, was, I just got to add something in here because um, um, obviously you get to a certain age where you're like, how old am I? Like, Jamie actually says she remembers how old she is because she always remembers how old I am. But she's like, then I just have to add and subtract because I know how much the, the age difference is between us. But I have a nephew who is um, 19, and uh, this isn't Patrick, the one who actually is probably listening to this episode, but another nephew. And when, when I was talking to him recently, when I was talking recently, You're we said shit. something. Uh, somebody somebody said something about uh, uh, how old he was, or we were talking about how old Patrick was, because they're they're like uh, 364 days apart. Um, so one day a year, they're the same age. Parents and somebody have said sex something the same Patrick. day each year. Good for them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> it's that That's time of the year. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> birthday. Was it on their birthday? <laughs> but uh, somebody was saying something about Patrick is. They're like, Patrick's not 20. And they're like, yes, he is. And then my nephew, Elijah, he gets this look on his face, almost like Marty when he has that shock look where he comes back like, am I 19? <laughs> You have been the last, I don't know, month, month and a half. <laughs> well, I don't get that because as a kid, like you get to a certain point where you stop remembering your age. But when you're like a kid, yeah. you know, you know, how, like people don't have to ask you. You walk into a room. Hi, I'm Ben. I'm 19. Like, I mean, it's just like, and a half or three quarters, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it's like you hit 21 and you're just like, ah, fuck it. I'm old. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I commented, but I mean, I, the beef being a bit like, rapey and handsy and i mean it was the 50s um me too didn't exist back then um so but yeah i like 3d glasses guy um just because that's a cool thing to wear um i'm kind of on team george mcfly here like why are you following me who are you (laughs) like go away um but yeah i love the whole i am darth vader from the planet vulcan and he does like the the thing which again it's like Ha ha, they didn't know what Star Wars was back in the uh, the 50s. Like, ha ha, they didn't know what Star Trek was. Um, I love the, yeah, the milk chocolate, uh, the density <laughs> scene. But, like, you kind of see, like, Lorraine here. Like, again, I think her type is anything with the pulse. She's your wife. I'm sorry, no disrespect to Jamie. But, like, it literally, even here when he's like, I'm your density, I mean, I'm your destiny. Because even then she's like, 
Oh, like she's like into it. So, yeah. But I, one of my favorite like random lines is like when Biff comes in and he's all like, McFly, I thought I told you not to come in here before. He's like, oh, and it's like, well, it means you're going to have to pay. And I love you here, George, like so confident going, well, how much do you want, Biff? <laughs> like, yeah. He, he, he's not like, well, how much do you want, Biff? He's just like, well, okay, fair enough. I'll give you some money. I've got, I've got a 50. Will that do? Oh, 42.99. <laughs> That's cheap. All right. You got some change. Um, one of the other little mistakes here, which again in the, uh, the chase sequence is when he goes to the two boys with the, the scooter things or whatever, if you pay close attention, the, the boy, the, the one who he like doesn't pick up off the thing, the other boy, you actually see him as soon as Marty picks the boy off the thing, he goes to Marty's, what's going to be a skateboard. And you see him helping Marty like rip the box off the cart and then oh, the yeah. next scene, he's kind of standing in the background going, huh? Like there's a scene with Strickland later on in uh, Johnny Be Good where if you're paying attention to the crowd, you see Strickland with his hands over his ears and he removes them. And then when they yeah. cut to Strickland, he's got his hands over his ears still. So mm-hmm. um, a couple of little things there. Do you do you know, like when we get to the third one in a couple of weeks, you know about the little boy on the train, right? You've seen that footage, haven't you? Of the creepy the little, little boy. Oh, yeah. Pointing, pointing his at his dick. bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Is that what he is? The bathroom. I just thought he was just a creep with a look in his face. He's kind of like, "Hey, baby, come and look at my doodle." Like, I mean, yeah. Apparently, apparently. Well, we'll talk about it in part three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm glad. Uh, you, I'm glad you know what I'm talking about because I thought, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, the chase sequence is great. Again, like the whole like repetitive thing. That's what makes it funny. The manure. Like, we're gonna get that little manure. I hate manure. <laughs> um, but like in all fairness, like there's two ways to look at this. Okay, first of all, Biff, school bully, right? But at the same time, rapist and a, a kind of a murderer. Like he goes from like <laughs> bullying people to wanting to run him over. So it's like, yeah, okay, bit full on Biff. But then secondly, well, he crashes his car and covers it with shit and Marty just buggers off. So in a way, I'm kind of with Biff here. <laughs> like you ruined my car. Like this is a 50s. He worked in a milk yeah. bar or whatever. So, you know, not earning that much money. So, but again, don't try and kill kids. But like that, that bit with the, the, uh, the skateboard under the car and the, dun, 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 dun. Oh. like, I mean, so good. Uh, that's, that's perfect use of movies in a scene. Um, I, yeah, I love the bit where Doc's just like, apologies for the crudity of this scale. I didn't have time to build it to size. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, <laughs> so good. Um, but it's kind of like, like Doc, like when, when Lorraine comes over, like, you know, Doc's kind of in the background, just kind of like trying to play whatever. Like, Doc's awkward because he's like, ugh, teenage girl. Like, ugh. Like, <laughs> ugh, girls. All right, all right. Hurry up and talk. Like, okay. Um, but, yeah, I, I love like the the whole, what's the bit when he's like teaching um, George to be like, and what do you say, George? You get your damn hands off her. Do I really have to swear? And it's like, yes, God damn it, George, swear. <laughs> <laughs> like I love that bit um, But yeah the, the, I guess you didn't really touch on the whole like Marty keeps trying to tell Doc about the future So he sits there oh, and he, yeah. he writes down the note Which you know Kind of Doc's going to go against it a little bit later But um, I mean this is a unique thing About this movie kind of like One of the main people in this movie gets killed In like the opening couple of seconds of this film um, Only to obviously have it explained away George dances how Ben dances You know the like he's at the Is that the <laughs> Yeah, 
Um, totally me. Um, I do like the whole bit in the car when he's he's kind of just like smoking and drinking. It's like, oh damn it, you sound like my mother. Um, <laughs> when Biff's like trying to rape Lorraine, like get out of here, this ain't no peep show. Like, yeah, I mean, do they just always watch him like rape girls? Like, I mean, like, <laughs> I've told you before, Aww. Billy Zane. Well, last time you said I could watch. Yeah, it's like I guess it's the fifties. Um, I love I love the bit when uh, Marty gets locked in the trunk and it's like. Oh, kid, where are the keys? They're in the trunk with me. Say that again. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> I love these guys. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the Earth Angel scene, it still gives me goosebumps to this day. It's such a great scene. And I've seen people criticize like, oh, like, why is he still disappearing? Like, did it, you know, have to be the kiss to pu- to prove that they were whatever? Yes. Like, like, they turned around and they're like, oh, you know, they were always going to kiss at this scene. Like, it's dramatic. Like, it's, you know, like... Well- Oh, I, I was just going to say, I, I, on top of that, because there's a couple things, like you don't see anything change, right? Like we're wearing the same clothes. I'm like, well, some things in your life would have been different. A lot of things in your life would have been different because of this, this change. But especially the one thing that I, I more than anything wanted to come to the defense of was the fact that it did need to be that moment. Because if they didn't kiss until the next day, well, maybe everything is delayed a day. Maybe them getting engaged is delayed a day. They're getting married is delayed a day. Them conceiving their children. If you conceive a child five minutes later, it's going to be a different child biologically. You know, it's like everything has to be done exactly the same way. So yeah, 100% it had to be the exact same time. I mean, the argument is that they still met a different way because Marty prevented that, but then the life gets better right but it's that one moment of when they because she says that's when i fell in love with him and if she doesn't fall in love with her if she falls in love with him on monday morning and it's probably not gonna be monday morning it's gonna be a week later then everything gets thrown off which i mean again i can't criticize christina rael this is the moment she fell in love with him she's met him twice and this is just one kiss like he punched a guy and then she's like fucking horny for him on the dance i'm sorry it's 10 minutes later lorraine jesus i guess it was a 50s you kiss a guy you're in love (laughs) But it's also about these. This whole series is about chain of events, right? Mm. Uh, they even they'll mention that I think in the next effect. one. So, yeah, it's a butterfly effect. So George stood up for himself once, which was in the heat of the moment. When he stands up for himself the second time, he's hesitating. So until George has that moment where he decides to become the guy who's going to stand up for her, nothing's set in stone. You know, if he decides to walk away here, then Lorraine's on to the next guy who stands up for her, not George. I did like the uh, everything wrong with video though, when like you got this scene here and and Lorraine's like. Marty, that's a good name. And they're like, yet you waited till your second child to call him Marty. So you're third. obviously third. Well, I mean, I guess you're not going to call him Marty. Yeah. Uh, no, look, Marty's a girl's name. Why not? Okay, fair enough. Uh, but like, yeah, like it's kind of like, well, you yeah. didn't like it that much. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I mean, how many how many other nice guys did they meet over the course of the relationship? Which is like, Dave. that guy who changed our oil. Dave, <laughs> that's such a nice name. <laughs> um, I'm going to name after my mechanic, Dave. <laughs> Dave the mechanic coming soon to cinemas near you. <laughs> Um, I'd watch it. But yeah, I mean, Johnny Be Good again was another one of these songs that as soon as I heard it, like, ah, oh, got to listen to this. Um, I don't know if I like fully agree with you on the whole thing on the phone bit, because like, I mean, my biggest criticism is like, he calls him up on the phone. He, he's just like a quarter. He's Chuck Berry in the back and going, oh, I like that. Hold it closer to the thing. What's he saying? Johnny Be Good? Like, how does no, he write it? What I'm saying is that this movie, again, it's all about you change the past, right? And then that changes the future. Johnny B. Good already, Marty only knows it because Johnny B. Good already existed, which means Chuck Berry was able to write it without Marty going back in time in the first place. I think the fact that when he holds the phone up, that's when it stops being Johnny B. Good and starts becoming Van Halen eruption, you know, that 
Ch this doesn't change anything with Chuck Berry. It's kind of a fun joke, but it's not meant to imply that I think he got the sound. I think very specifically oh, the fact agree. that it kicks in. If, if you're hearing this song, if you just hear this song from that point on, you're not going to say that. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying, but like he literally says, you know, that new sound you're looking, listen to this. And that's the well, joke. And like, but also, like, did John? Did he write Johnny Be Good? Because this is another thing that, like, a lot of songs were covers at the time. I'm gonna I look get, that up. If he, I, I like, to me, it's more that people are it's just the so sound. I, he people are just more you know? anal, like, oh, whitewashing rock and roll music and all this sort of stuff. I mean, if we're to take this completely seriously, rock and roll history would have changed in this one moment. So we talk about like things changing. Okay, Chuck Berry didn't come up with Johnny Be Good. He heard a white guy playing it. So how the hell does that change music? Is Chuck Berry not well, that good when it comes to writing shit? But again, like he never hears the lyrics, Johnny Be Good and hear or anything like that. He's hearing some instrumental stuff at the end that goes a little bit crazy. If anything, he says that new sound, you're looking for just in the new song, you know? So I'm guessing he has the song somewhere in the back of his head. And it's what what it is, it's the blues riff and B is what he, he just, is the sound he's looking for. Oh god, how geeky we're I'm defending the music How this geeky one. have we become? Ben and Colin debate did Chuck Berry steal Johnny Be Good from Marty McFly and Back to the Future. Who, who, Whoever it is, Dave Jenkins, whoever is the singer of the kinks, if they had called him up when he's playing the power chords, you know that new chord you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. To me, the biggest plot hole is in all, you know, where it's whitewash rock and roll music. It's it's all well and good. Like, again, I know music is kind of based on, like, the same four-chord progression, all that sort of stuff, when he's just like, oh, watch me, watch this. Like, it gets to a point when he just starts going ding, 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 and then the guy's like, oh, yeah, I get it. So, like, yeah. they still got to know a melody and a tune. Like, the guy on the saxophone and the drums, like, you can get a bit of a chord going, but there's still, like, bits where you've got to kind of go along. Like, there's... It's a jam session. Yeah, sure. The, 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 the tempo never changes. So, again, I'm defending the music in this one. <laughs> My favourite bit of the dancing is when they, they do, like, the overhead shot panning over the head of all the, the kids dancing. Mm -hmm. you got that one guy, like, leaning back, and on he's, like, ground? thrusting yeah. his, like, things up in the thing. I'm like, this is the 50s. They didn't do that back then. This um, is like if you're watching watching the Elvis movie. This is where one of the girls is watching that. And she's oh, and this is pre-Elvis, isn't it? Elvis was like a few years after 1955, uh, right? Mm, good question. Yeah, I cool. will research. Um, but um, yeah, I mean the I, and I love the whole bit where Marty's like, oh, if you ever have children and one of them at eight years old burns the carpet, yeah, <laughs> go easy on him, will you? Oh, that's all you had to add. I was still looking up Elvis stuff here. <laughs> I'll do it. You do uh, that. Yeah, you find Elvis's. Well, it says Elvis's breakthrough 1956 was his commercial breakthrough. There you go. So this uh, so guy he was, thrusting his hips, Elvis saw. That was Elvis. That's him. There he is. Yeah, he went to Hill Valley High. Uh, I mean, I don't actually have that much notes left here, uh, but I, I just, the main note I put here is that this might be the most perfectly edited sequence in movie history, the whole clock tower bit. And I'm not just talking about the actual editing itself, like we cut from this shot to this shot, but the way everything's put together, the way the sound mix is incorporated in there, the way that the 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 light flashes, the lightning come, the the way that the music is, the 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 ADR, because you know this is something where an ADR is something we don't talk about very often, but like sometimes it's pretty obvious. Like when we watch old James Bond movies, and it's like yes, hello, like it's clearly somebody in a studio because when James Bond's on a beach, it does not sound that clear. But like they're filming this, all of this is done ADR, but like it is the most convincing ADR I've ever seen. Everything about the sequence is perfect. I mean, Marty comes, I, I do love that he says, I couldn't go back in that zoot suit. Like you're going to show up, like that's your biggest worry? You're showing up at 1.15 in the morning, there was nobody in the parking lot. Who's going to see you, the old mayor? Like he's going to be the only one who cares what suit you're in. Uh, but Cherry I guess daddies? Just, 
The Cherry Poppin' Daddies? Yeah. Love that song. Uh, Brendan Fraser is going to be there uh, watching uh, Zoot Suit Riot. Throwing was that one in Blast the Past? Do, do. No, it wasn't. But um, that was sort of in that period of swing music. The Squirrel Nut Zippers, I think, was the one in that one. I love Zoot Suit Riot. Oh, Bring back Zoot Suit That was Suit so much Riot. fun. The late, one of the most, uh, people talk about like, oh, unheard of things in music. No, nothing will ever top the most unheard of thing ever where swing music became popular music in the late 90s. Well, I, I remember like just before that, how you had, and it's not really music, but it's sort of related, how we had that big Irish dance, like Riverdance, Lord of the Dance. I was walking to oh, the supermarket yeah. the other day, there's a big sign, Riverdance, 25th anniversary, get your tickets now. And I'm like, it's not even at the biggest arena in Sydney. It's dropped down to like the third tier. I remember as a kid, <laughs> came to Hobart. That was like the biggest thing to ever come to Hobart, Riverdance. My sister was obsessed with it. Now it's like, pff, no one cares about it. Uh, the, the zoot suit would have thrown everything off Aww. when he came back. Cherry Pop and Daddy. <laughs> or he would, he would have made, he would have made swing music popular in the mid '80s as opposed to late '90s. I, I just want to point out, Cherry Pop and Daddy is not a very appropriate band name if you know what cherry popping means. And Daddy's yeah, in that constant connotation. Years later. Yeah. Years later. I imagine people literally like stomping on cherries to pop them. Yeah, but Innocent yeah, it means something else. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, so everything about the sequence is great when uh, the he's running through everything. That, the, the way that Christopher Lloyd's delivering the speech, like this is more than just a funny guy. This is a guy who gets, it's almost like Christopher Lloyd can hear the sound and the music in his head long before they film it. Like the way he's like, you know, you got to go all the way back there and when you hit uh, 80 miles per hour, exactly the moment the clock strikes the tower, he has this thing where he's like, everything will be fine. <laughs> it's just a perfectly delivered line, a perfect moment. Then all of a sudden, uh, the the wind comes. It uh, breaks the uh, the cable. You get dunk whatever he does. Um, so he's uh, going up the clock tower. He's feeding the line down to Marty, and this is where he's at the top. Uh, I love where he where he comes out and he sees that 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 dog or panther, or whatever that that statue is at the top there. Oh, it's <laughs> a lightning flash. Uh, and then Martin. Now this is where you know that like Doc's conflicted because he's telling Marty earlier, "Don't tell me anything about the future." And then when Marty's yelling from the bottom, he goes, I have to tell you about the future. He goes, what? What? I have to tell you about the future. He says, no. But then as Marty keeps talking, he cups his hand to his ear and he's trying to listen. So this is the guy who's like, I know it's wrong, but I kind of want to hear this still. Uh, he gets interrupted here again. Uh, the clock goes off. He's got only four minutes. Now, Doc did say, I'm, I'm going to assume Doc's not familiar with like the acceleration system of the, uh, the car and everything because he says, taking into account the acceleration and the wind resistance and all this, you'll be timed to this exact point. There's a 60 second delay that Marty goes through to get to 88 miles per hour. And it is also significantly less speed than he had to reach to, to, in order to hit 88 miles per hour in the parking lot and way less than Doc's going to hit later in this movie. Uh, but uh, still, he's like, you got to go. You got less than four minutes. So he rushes in the car. Again, the music's amazing. Like Michael J. Fox's physical moves he does, like when he hops over the hood of the car is amazing. And then when he peels in, like, and he obviously had to do a lot of his driving because it's done in one shot where he speeds the car around, it spins, and he comes out and he puts like the, the what do we call it, the antenna or the hook in the back there. And that music cue, hello, whoever this is that's down here, Casper. Um, do you have something to add on Back to the Future? No, well, Jamie does. Is, well, that is, the movie is about a mother, yes, but uh, I don't think you're ready for that. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you're not ready for that yet. Hello, Casper. <laughs> but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> your kids are going to love it. <laughs> uh, as Casper gets ushered upstairs. Uh, so No, oh, Asha. You can do a puppet show upstairs. Sure, go do a puppet show. Uh, with Asha. So uh, he's Usher. Well, you said ushered upstairs. I oh, said Usher with Usher. Upstairs. I thought, Super Bowl like, Did Usher have a song? 
Usher had a song called Puppet Show? What's this? Thank you for turning <laughs> off the lights and turning them back on. <laughs> oh, I really hey, wish who we, off the lights? <laughs> I really wish we did video episodes. It would be so entertaining. <laughs> Casper's the star. Uh, so, uh, it, yeah, when he gets in the car and he's like, oh, I, I can't believe you tore up that letter. Oh, we don't have any more time. And this is a teenager again. Wait, I got all the time I want. I got a time machine. I'll go back early warm. He sets it for 10 minutes. So that should be enough time. Do it, do it, do an hour, you know? Uh, there's so many things you can do differently. Ben sneezes. Uh, Bless me. <laughs> only we had video episodes. Uh, but yeah, he goes, and then just as he's a, I love his line here. He goes, all right, time circuit's on, flux capacitor, <laughs> fluxing, fluxing. <laughs> engine running, and then the car shuts down. And um, this intercutting back and forth, like, again, about the editing, just the choice of when to go from Doc struggling to get this cable reattached to marty trying to start the car the music playing over it uh the the fact that as he's struggling to start this thing and then like a minute later which by the way kind of blows doc's theory about the acceleration of this car out of the water but where he, he just bangs his head on the car, ah, and he bangs his head in the car again that michael j fox bug-eyed look where he's like oh, <laughs> it worked and he just peels out of there um maybe the greatest uh use of music ever in an action scene uh, I'm going to say this might be the most exciting action scene in movie history. Like, doesn't matter how many times I watch this movie, I'm on the edge of my seat as the car is speeding. Like, dun, dun, dun. And then Doc up at the top. It, it has to come down the last second. You're cutting back for between two guys for, for it to get that much suspense right at the last minute as he's coming up. And Doc has, you know, got to now go down to the ground to plug it in because he yanked the cable too hard. And then that hero moment where Doc's like, dun, 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 as he's swinging down on the cables. Oh, it's just beautiful. It brings a tear to my eye. I was just talking about this. Not even more watching it. More than he's wedding. Uh, exactly. Way more emotional than when I had the children. Uh, but he plugs it in just the moment. He gets zapped with 1.21 gigawatts yeah. or gigawatts of electricity. Survive? He gets struck by lightning. I mean, to me, this explains Doc in 1985, where yeah. he's like, uh, oh, let me hang with teenage boys and a pinball machine parts for a bomb and oh, just a little plutonium. Uh, yeah, it's all the electrocution that causes it. Um and then that classic Christopher Lloyd take two, which we get to see again in part two, where he's like, whoop, <laughs> as he's spinning around. Uh, you get back to 1985. Um, one of the few plot holes in this movie that I'm going to call, which is actually a plot hole, is that 88 miles per hour, which for anybody outside the United States, the rest of the world, by the way, United States metric system, uh, 140 kilometers an hour. He speeds directly. Now, we see the geography of where the clock tower is and where this theater is that he plows into. He is dead, okay? <laughs> I don't even know if I saw him put his seatbelt on, okay? Um, and, and if he's not dead, he has gone all the way through the back of this theater, and he's right now taking out the Lone Pine that's left at Lone Pine Mall <laughs> before he can actually come to a stop. Uh, there's no way he stops or survives this. Uh, but, of course, he he crashes in there, and then we get the, the hobo on the bench, which, of course, as you mentioned, you know, it, it, Easter egg for people who watch this closely enough is the guy who is the mayor. Uh, and you know that because when he comes out, he looks at him, he says red, which they said, Mayor Red Thomas is the mayor. Um, the bench there, California raisins on it. So this was the other thing that the, the I don't know if it was the same Universal executive, but Universal pre-sold product placement for this for California raisins. And Robert Zemeckis is like, okay, Burger King, I can work that into the movie. Pepsi can definitely work it into the movie. It's like, how am I supposed to work raisins into this movie? And what they suggested to him is that they should have raisins at the dance <laughs> where the kids are eating out of a bowl of raisins. And he's like, no kids are eating raisins at a dance, okay? I, uh, I think 
what they eventually settled on is there would be a scene where Marty, and I don't know if they, they substituted it, probably the Coke bottle scene where he's drinking the, the Coke or whatever, the, the Pepsi, sorry, that he couldn't get the, the cap off of it for. That he was supposed to be eating raisins out of a box. And Robert Zemeckis filmed it and he said it literally looked like Michael J. Fox was eating dirt out of a box. So he cut it from the movie and then I guess they replaced it with the Pepsi or whatever. But uh, they had taken something like, like a, a massive amount of money for California raisins product placement. Uh, to be in this movie and then in the movie all you get is california raisins bench that this guy's sleeping on so when the movie came out california raisins actually sued universal because they said we paid for product placement we didn't get we were told we get at least two features in the movie or whatever and they ended up settling out of court where they said we'll refund you twenty five thousand dollars of whatever you paid for the product placement but uh, if anybody wonders why california raisins there is not just popular 80s it's because they paid for it and we didn't get marty eating california raisins we didn't get george drinking from a raisin bowl instead of a punch bowl at the dance scene. And it's very comfortable for homeless people to sleep on. It is. It's most comfortable when it's California raisins. It, it, was the California raisins a thing outside of North America? I don't fucking know. I've never heard of it until you I mean, just no, talked I'm not about, about <laughs> Well, Well, because this is the thing. It's it's not a brand of raisins. Yes, it's a brand of raisins. But what they did was they did... Uh, it started as commercials. It was like... I think they did as like stop motion animation. These raisins that would sing. They would sing and dance. And they do like james brown style song i think a james brown song was one of the famous ones that they did so all of the california raisin ads and obviously this is why they were upset because during the 80s this is when they're making a massive marketing push uh but th these commercials with these animated raisins became so popular that they had their own tv specials the california raisins and there were actual albums that were released of the california Zoot raisins Zoot music raisins. well it, 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 it was the songs that they would play in these commercials and on these tv specials but on the cover would be the California raisin. You'd see the raisins with their microphones and the guitars and stuff like that. It was craziest thing ever. If anybody was not in North America in like the eighties or early nineties, you wouldn't know that, but yeah, there's a reason for California raisins. Um, so he uh, sees that the clock says one twenty four, So he's still got time. He gets in the car, but now the car won't start again. Just as the Libyan van comes past him and they're like, <laughs> yelling at him uh, in their mind, whatever language. Uh, so he has to run to the Lone Pine Mall now, which as he gets there, there's that great reveal of Lone Pine Mall on the sign. He gets there just as uh, the, the Libyans are shooting Doc. Um, the, the, there's a little bit of a time discrepancy thing here because you're following Marty and you're cutting back and forth, but then you cut probably a good minute and a half out of the chase scene where Marty's watching it. Um, he sees the van crash after the time machine goes off. This scene, I think, is so important for how part two works. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how what we got out of part two was not the intention. Uh, it was never their intention to have a movie that took place within the movie. That came as a result of Crispin Glover and some of that stuff. But I can't imagine two working as well as it does without having this scene where you have a scene taking place within a scene. And I, I tried to imagine going into part two and how much weirder part two would have been if you hadn't already seen it in part one here where Marty is interacting with the very scene that started at the beginning of the movie and try to keep his distance and all that. Uh, but he gets down there, sees he's crying over Doc's body because he you know, didn't get here in time. And all of a sudden, Doc sits up and he looks at him and he's like, what? Like, what? And then he unbuttons, he has a bulletproof vest, which that'll also come up in part three. Uh, How did you know? And he pulls out the letter, which he's taped back up. And, he, you know, uh, Doc's basically doesn't care about the, the space-time continuum or whatever. Uh... Then we get uh, the other big plot hole in this movie when he drops Marty off and he says, well, how far are you going to go? Okay, about 30 years. It's a nice round number. Uh, he says, looking up when he gets there. And he even tells him, watch the, the re-entry. It's a little bit bumpy. But Doc basically pulls down the street, drives for about four seconds, 
at regular speed, maybe 30, 40 kilometers an hour. And then all mm. of a sudden he's in the future. Um, I don't know how quickly that happens <laughs> when he hasn't changed anything on the DeLorean yet. Uh, Marty wakes up the next morning and uh, you, you see nothing in his room has changed, which I'll, I want to talk about that a little bit, but I'll let you cover your stuff first. But um, he comes out, he thinks it's all been a dream. And then all of a sudden his house is completely different. His brother and sister are sitting at the, the breakfast table. They're both dressed nice. Uh, the, you're flipping around where his brother only worked at McDonald's and had to take a bus. And all of a sudden he's got to go to the business office <laughs> and he's wearing it. What are you wearing, Dave? And he goes, I always wear a suit to the office. His sister, you know, uh, is talking about, uh, oh, wh who called Greg or Craig? And, oh, I can't keep track of all your boyfriends because earlier on she was saying, I can never meet somebody. Uh, and then the parents come in and he faints when he sees them because his mom looks thin because that's the most shocking thing. Mom, you lost weight. <laughs> How about dad? You're cool. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> you're rich. Where did this stuff come from? Um, so uh, this is what Crispin Glover took the most offense to in the movie. Uh, outside of not being able to have his hair standing up when it didn't match other shots of the movie, is that he greatly objected to the idea and the message of the scent that you have to have money to be successful, which I think is completely underestimating what this ending is. This ending is you get your dream if you are willing to stand up for yourself and you put your mind to it or whatever. This is a guy who had no ambition. He was bullied. He let everybody you know tell him what to do. And when he stands up for himself, he just takes control of his life. They're still living in the same house. This doesn't imply they're rich or anything. They just live nicer. They take pride in where they're living. Um, the only thing that changes is their cars are nicer, but it's not like their house. If he could afford this house working as Biff's assistant hmm. and he's affording the same house now, this isn't saying they're rich. And even if it is, he has a better life and it's not a better life because you know he has money. It's a better life because of that line where Doc said earlier in the movie, what are, your, what are their common interests? What do they like to do together? And here's a couple who's coming in probably from doing some activity because they're talking about her cheating. You know, maybe she's cheating with Biff. Who knows? Uh, oh, you're cheating with Biff. That's why he's still around. Lorraine's like, I'm okay with it. Uh, <laughs> he's still a handsome guy. Why not? But uh, they're playing squash or something like that first thing in the morning at the club. Uh, and to me, that's what this scene is. What are their common interests? What do they like to do together? Nothing. And they're coming to get after clearly doing something together. A um, couple things here where... George is, uh, you know, talking about the, the, the car. The car's wrecked because you can't go. The mom's excited for him to go with Jennifer camping or whatever. The car's not wrecked. Uh, I don't know why Dave's still living at home again. Yeah, I was like going to say that. He's office. going to the business office in his suit. Why is he still living with mom and dad? And why Why is Linda still living there too? You know, because they're both clearly working on a Saturday at expensive places. Uh, but but maybe it just states that's how happy of a family they are. They actually want to stick around now. Uh, but uh when they come out and then now they got a BMW or something like that, they got they really do have uh, the James Bond car now in the front to remote control. Even Pierce Brosnan in the back seat, uh, and obviously they got a nicer car. And Biff is waxing it. Uh, just put on the second coat now. Now Biff, don't con me. Uh, I'm sorry, Mister McFly. Uh, so to me, this is uh, he says, yeah, Biff's always trying to get away with something. Like raping your wife, <laughs> getting away with something. <laughs> and we wouldn't have fallen in love because he tried yeah. to rape <laughs> to you. To rape you. Now, they've obviously already forgotten Marty. I, I, I don't think they forgot Marty, but Marty's a small part that was played in this. And it, he's probably just part of the story they tell because they never saw this kid again, but Biff's still around. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that they, like, there are people who actually took offense to the fact that why is Biff there? Why is he employing him? Why is he doing this? Biff's a servant. You know, this is this is not a happy ending for Biff, and George has control here. If anything, I actually see it like Biff's a troubled youth, like you said, right? I mean, your dad turned around, your mom turned around, our parents turned around. Biff maybe turned around because of George's guidance, and George kind of looks at it and says, 
Biff, you need to clean up your act. And that's why he says, don't con me, Biff. Like he is a mentor to Biff. And sure, he tried to get inappropriate with his wife. But if Biff really is a guy who's like, I'm sorry, Mr. McFly, I want to change. What's wrong with George saying, I will give you some work, but you're going to watch yourself. Because he's a guy who's keeping Biff on his toes. He's like, Biff, I'm watching you. But if like when I came to stay with you in Winnipeg, I tried to rape Jamie. And then all of a sudden I'm like, hey, Colin, I'm coming to save. I've changed. I'm sorry about that whole rape thing. Um, well, but he's not there. It's not like he's a family friend, you know? Like, I, I, I'm not saying it's 30 years later. He was inappropriate in age. Biff is clearly a very changing. Biff is George now. You Kevin know, George Spacey's obviously different, but he's still. Did you canceled? hear that Kevin Spacey? Did you hear he got a standing ovation when they did a screening of his, his recent movie? Were they his or something victims? Like that? Or, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but then, I just saw that story. It was like Kevin Spacey's first actual... Oh, Judy Dench would have been one of them, probably. Anyway. Yeah. But uh, anyways, uh, I'll, I'll wrap it up here. Then I want to talk quickly about some other things. Um, so uh, he says, you put your mind to it and you accomplish anything when he... Or that's what he has with a book or whatever. Uh, so Biff comes in. Oh, this got just dropped off. It's your new book. Uh, and then they open it up. And I'm sure everybody notices how different he looks on the back cover there. That's because uh, obviously with this movie, these certain things change over time. And the first thing they have to do is get those publicity shots done. They had a different idea about what the old George, the successful George would look like. And then they film the movie and they're like, oh, I think we want to change his look. But like, let's not bother to change the cover. So that was what George was actually supposed to look like in this scene here. But they're like, we're not going to go back and redo a picture just because of this, because we have to get the book print and all that. Uh, obviously, it's a match made in space and you can see it's actually the, the very reminiscent of the, the radiation suit. Uh, now, I, I always thought as a kid, this was a plot hole because when you get to Back to the Future 2, he's a famous author who's already dead, but we know he hasn't even written this book until 1985, but George died before that. But um, he's this is the first novel, I think is what they say. So I picked that up like a couple of years ago. It's it's your first novel. He's obviously writing short stories or writing film and TV. Who knows? Um, he was famous for other stuff. And this is just the novel or whatever. So then he gives him the keys and he goes outside and he's got the truck. And this is where Jennifer comes. How about a ride? Uh, you look like you haven't seen me in a week. Oh, I haven't. Doc crashes in. Uh, the, he, he's got the, the new thing on the back of the DeLorean, which is the Mr. Fusion. Um, says something's got to be done about his kids. Uh, they load a bunch of garbage in there. They pull out. Jennifer's in the car, which is this is why Robert Zemeckis said if we ever wanted to have a sequel, we never would have put the girl in the car. Uh, we don't have a road to get up at 88. Roads, we're going. We don't need roads. So the car starts flying. This was all intended as a joke. Uh, pulls off in the sky. You get the Back to the Future music playing one more time. Then you get into Back in Time by Huey Lewis in the news. Uh, now, the to be continued that comes at the end of this. When I first saw this movie, like in the 88, 89 or whatever, it was on TV. That was already in this. Uh, but when this was released in theaters in 85, it wasn't. So this is the what they, similar to like Star Wars, when a new Star Wars came out in 1977 and you're watching in theaters, the opening crawl didn't say episode four, New Hope. It just said Star Wars. And when they said we're going to make a sequel, they went back and re-released it with that episode four, New where, Hope. Where that was is the same with this. To be continued. I only see that in part two. I've never seen that in part one. Uh, so I don't know if it's on all media versions now. I don't but, have it. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely in there. I'm going to look it up and see if there's a version of it where you could see it. Uh, but it was added after they decided we're going to make sequels to this because obviously we'll talk next week. They were like a hugely long for the time a hugely long wait before the sequel actually came out Four uh, years. so they had time to go Whoa. and add well at the time though i mean we, we talk about the james bond movies how unusual it was to have the three years in between the world is on enough and uh die another day in the 80s you didn't have four years between movies and we also talk about that with um uh the uh, uh indiana jones ones as well uh yeah so i got a video right here that actually shows the to be continued on and this was in all the versions 
whichever version comes out now, I actually would be curious to go back to the one that I watch on Amazon. But basically, when the music hits, back in time hits, you get just the black screen and in the same style logo that says to be continued. Mm -hmm. And then Back to the Future 2 ends with to be concluded. Your version doesn't have that? I've never seen the to be continued on Back to the Future 1. Never. No matter Mm -hmm. what version I've had, I've never seen that. So, um, Well, then you got nothing to add. The, uh, the, I love the couple of like, there are a couple of other plot holes here. I think where like, um, you know, the roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. Like one of the most epic movie lines of all time. I think it was voted in like the top 100, um, yeah. greatest quotes of all time. But when Marty says like, doc, you don't have enough uh, space to go 88 miles an hour. Like he did the night before. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> around the corner. And I think the other plot hole too is, um, when Marty gets back and he crashes a DeLorean and he's got to get to Hill Valley to the mall. Uh, that's about two or three miles away uh, because as we saw when he crashed in the 50s to go the other direction, you saw yeah. the sign that said town limits like whatever and he's like, oh, he rolls his eyes, he's got to walk that far. He's Britney Spears. He runs from uh, Hill Valley Town Square to uh, Lone Pine Mall in less than 10 minutes, mm-hmm. which I, <laughs> when I went to Universal Studios, I don't think they had, at least it wasn't, I didn't see it, but I'm pretty sure that square where Hill, like the Hill Valley Square is at the Universal lot in Hollywood and they've used it for plenty of other things, but um, I'm pretty sure it's there. But I never got to see it. I saw the DeLorean when I went to Universal Studios because they drive past like a row of famous movie cars. Saw the um, a lot of the Jeeps from like the Lost World and like the big double tray, um, you know, thing that goes over the cliff, things like that. But um, I think they had a lot of American graffiti cars too from memory. Um but yeah, the whole clock tower sequence is epic. I mean, I don't really have anything to add. It's it's yeah, every time you watch it, the music, everything is just so worked perfectly. One thing I had to question earlier on is that woman, save that clock tower. Why is it taking you 30 years to try and raise some money for the clock tower? Like, I mean Well, I think it's because they said they were gonna demolish it or whatever. But it's still 30 years. Like, I mean, like I mean It's been sitting there for 30 years, intended <laughs> to. Yeah, but I mean, I love how like they get there and they say, like I don't think it's a plot hole because I guess if the lightning strikes the clock, it's always going to permanently be on that time. So you know when the lightning hits it. But like, if this was such a big deal, where is everybody in the square? Why is this town square empty? It's the night of the jamming under the sea dance. Like the kids should be out. (laughs) Jamming under the sea. (laughs) You know, they should be out gallivanting around, right? It's only 10 o'clock. It's a Saturday night. A pretty bad storm coming, but it wasn't forecasted. So they wouldn't know. Also, um, Doc's dead. I'm sorry. Doc is dead. He is holding on yeah. to an electrical thing struck by lightning. He's dead. Um, so he's at least unconscious. At the very least, he's unconscious. He's at least got sticky up hair. Um, yeah. so well, he does in the future. It, true. Um, but yeah, like, why does Marty only choose 10 minutes? Like, mm-hmm. you know, an hour, uh, two hours. Um, and again, this is where, like, if you really sit down and try to analyze every angle of everything, it's like, well, Marty sees his other self. So, you know, he's always like, what happens to this Marty when he comes back into the future? Uh, so there's there's like, how many Martys are floating around? Um, yeah. Why does he have all the same memories but a different life? Uh, you know, there's, there's well, things you can really keep unraveling. But, I mean, this is where it's just like any, there's no, like we talked about this in Lost, there's no such thing as a perfect time travel anything because you're always going to have questions. Yeah. And, and also time travel, is not, it's not a proven thing, you know? <laughs> it's, uh, so it's all theory anyways. Or I mean, I kind of always it? look at like the, I always kind of look at it. It's like Marty is within his timeline within a time. Like they even talk about creating the alternates and everything, but like Marty is within his fixed timeline. So at this point when he's at the dance, the other Marty's not there yet. 
when he gets there. But, and also at the same time, I kind of have the theory that like the Marty that pulls out from the Lone Pine Mall, he's going back in time and it's going to be playing exactly the same as it did for this Marty. It's, it, it, it's adding on to it. It's a multi, yeah, th- that's kind of what it is. And, you know, some movies have good explanations. It, it, all it comes down to is this movie spaghetti. doesn't try to explain it. It's the spaghetti, yeah, because the Flash explains that in a way where you're like, oh, I get it. This movie doesn't try to explain it, nor do I think you need to. And that- then the thing about um, his memories, almost every time travel movie kind of has that where you're like, if you're sort of like in the eye of the storm, you know, you, you retain the memories from before. It's, I mean, and they do explain it in the second one when he does a space-time continuum, but I don't know if you've been yeah. watching Loki um, but Kiwi no, Kwan's in it, and he's like basically they're doing a lot of it's it's very convoluted and very like Marvel. But like there's this whole like bit in the opening episode where kind of like Loki's back in time, and like Kiwi Kwan's like going like, oh, I never said that. And then all of a sudden in the past we see Loki say that, and he goes, wait, I remember now saying that. Like it's kind of like these memories that haven't happened happen. Like it's this weird way of doing it. But um, yeah. Anyway, but um. I think, like, the beauty of... And we'll talk about this in the coming weeks about how they've never done a fourth one and as as long as Robert Zemeckis is alive, they'll never touch this and all this kind of stuff. But, like, you can see this in a different alternative. Like, the timelines, like, you talk about, like, Doc and um, Strickland, like, why he doesn't like it. There's going to be, like, a flashback TV series how Doc and Strickland knew each other as a kid and why they... Like, if this was Star Wars, all of these things would be explained. But this is a perfect franchise where you can just leave it there and you don't need mm-hmm. to have it ended. And in all honesty, as much as I love the second and third one, and I'm glad we have a trilogy, if this was only one movie and that's how it ends at the end, as a bit of a joke, you'd be fine with that. Um, yeah. It's kind of like... People yep. were in 85. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of how it is. Um, yeah. I mean, I love kind of like George and Lorraine being all flirty. Yeah. I, I'm still not okay with just them keeping the childhood rapists in their home. But okay, you do. You was the 80s. Uh, everyone kept their rapists around back then. Um, and um, yeah, why Why is he yet still living in his parents in his business office suit? It's kind of whatever. Yeah. And even Lorraine's like, oh, Jennifer called. Oh, I do like that Jennifer. She seems like a good girl. Um, but I was back to what you said earlier about how like, I was the same. I thought like these were different actors, like as their parents. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that these were like, you know, the same actors just with... Um, with with makeup on they all do it so well too like because they're not playing it over the top you're they're convincing as 47 year olds yeah exactly which i gotta say do you you reckon that again in this alternate timeline that in this book that he's got like star-crossed lovers from space maybe he stole the words darth vader and maybe like yeah you know that's what he's famous he's a famous writer but this is his first novel he wrote Star Wars. Again, Lost, the the famous bit where Hurley's in the van. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, what are you reading? He reads it and it's like, what are you writing? He's like, I'm writing The Empire Strikes Back. Like, it's 1978. George Lucas hasn't written it yet. I'm just making some improvements. Again, kind of uh, people nitpick this so much. Another thing to argue against the whole Chuck Berry thing or even like the, the whole Darth Vader thing. Um, we take notes on these movies for a reason. I took notes on this because there were little things where I'm like, I'm going to forget this. 24 hours ago, I watched this movie, but I knew that if I didn't take a note on it, I would forget it. So the fact that somebody hears something over the phone once, he's like, I don't have a tape recorder. The fact that George hears Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan, six days later, he's going like, what was the name of that thing? It was, it was Dak Verdon or something like that. <laughs> and the planet of uh, Vulcan or something like they, they, nobody remembers it exactly. But it's the thing um, is, you say, you say like, you know, you go back in time, you do things like, you know, what would you do? Like I would invent Microsoft. I'd do this. It was like, like, one, I would I would take the Harry Potter books and I'd go back and I'd ship them off in their current form. 
that's not how <laughs> books work. Like you write a manuscript, yeah. they made and the famous story with J.K. Rowling is she like went to everyone and they made her change it. So I guarantee if I took finished manuscript of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone back to like Penguin Books in 1992, even though that is finished and edited and the book that everyone knows and loves, they're probably going to look at it and go, nah, change it. We don't want to buy this. Like it's just... You, you try to make Back to the Future, they want to call it Spaceman from Pluto. Exactly. Um, but I, I do reasons lo- in it. <laughs> I do also love, um, I love Doc and I love the, the future outfit. I love the clear tie. I love these like silver glasses. Oh, like yeah. if I was to ever, I think you can get a pop figure of future Doc. But um, if I was ever to go like uh, Halloween, we don't do it here, but um, I'd totally love to dress up as future Doc. And and the, the, the DeLorean taking off at the end still holds up very well to this day as well. Yeah. Uh, so the to be continued thing, uh, I figured out why you wouldn't see because you saw this when it came out on DVD. Uh, it was added in for the video releases. So we're talking, I don't know, a year after the movie came out, they decided to release it on video with the to be continued because at that point they like would make a sequel. It was on TV versions. When the DVDs came out, they removed it. They went back to the theatrical version. But it would, that's why in part two it doesn't say to be continued. It says to be concluded because originally when you watch these like on VHS, it was to be continued and then to be concluded was the next one. Um, one other thing I just want to talk about with people, they don't, I don't know if it's considered plot hole people complain about is the fact that like Marty doesn't change because Marty's room is exactly the same as when he left it, right? Uh, the clothes he's wearing, it's, it's, it's no different. They even say, did you sleep in your clothes again? So he's got the same girlfriend. It's the, he's got a truck. That's the only thing that's different. So why would Marty not have grown up differently if, uh, Dave and Linda did, but, uh, I think there's two things to this. One, Marty's clearly the only person in his family who's just kind of his own person. He's like, he's not influenced by the the bad life he may or may not have. And the other thing is, he's a teenager. Like, what would change if his family grew up rich but lived in the same neighborhood? You know, he's going to the same school. What would necessarily change with his life because his parents have a little bit more money? I mean, and again, it's not that much more money. So I fully am convinced that if anything would have changed, if, if we had started this movie with a 19 or 20-year-old Marty, and then we came back to an alternate 1985 with a different 19 or 20 year old Marty. I buy that he's has to be a different person, but not at the age of 17. He's going to the same school. He's living the same life. He's around the same people. To me, it makes total sense. Like if you're, you're 17, you're going to be the same no matter what, as long as you're living in the same per- place around the same people, if that makes any sense. I mean, it does. But if I had money as a 17 year old, I'm probably going to be doing You get a truck. Things. That would be the only difference. I don't know. I don't get this appeal. Like, I mean, that's not a truck to an Australian. That's a ute. Stop calling it a truck. <laughs> a truck is something that drives like, you know, fucking one thing from one end of the country to the other with multiple trailers. That is a ute. All right. <laughs> you fucking North Americans calling it trucks. And secondly, I don't get the appeal of a ute slash truck. I don't like... I, it's less I, seats. I am one of these people who is like, why are four-wheel drives, or as you call them, SUVs, a city thing? Like, like what? it's not fashionable. It's not cool. I never want to own one of them. Like, I love Ferrari. It's space. The trailer for the new Ferrari movie, the full trailer out, by the way, looks fantastic. Um, but like, I haven't seen it yet. The fact that like Porsche and like Ferrari are making SUVs. Why? Like, why? <laughs> That's not what you are there for, Ferrari. You don't make those things, Okay. Just don't. Coca-Cola doesn't make biscuits, all right? Stick <laughs> to what you're good at. Uh, California Raisins doesn't make music or <laughs> cartoons. Exactly. The Oz Network doesn't produce good podcasts, but here we are. Yeah. Uh, closing bits here now. So first of all, this movie, uh, critically, um, I'm trying to find what the uh, Rotten Tomatoes rating of it. This is a long page that we have on Wikipedia for Back to the Future. Uh, it got good reviews. That's what I'm going to say. Um, I think it's like 90% or something. Because on that, this new um, flexing that I've got that basically 
um, Plex, sorry, that does like uh, my movies into a Netflix, it actually kind of, it's like a Netflix where it shows like Rotten Tomatoes. And I think when I watched it last night, it said it had about like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes potentially. Yeah, it doesn't say on Wikipedia here, but I mean, good reviews. Um, so uh, one reviewer here, uh, Gene Siskel, of course, Siskel and Ebert, said the Back to the Future appeared to be everything wrong with youth-targeted films, but it slowly subverted expectations by focusing on a relatable narrative with an emotional core and employed irreverent, good-natured humor. Um, we have Leonard Malton, who said that it is exposition heavy opening of Back to the Future was the weakest part, but led into a stronger half filled with wit, wonder, comic epiphany, and other ideas. I don't see that there's too much exposition at all. Again, I think this, there's a reason this is taught in schools for being the movie with a perfect exposition. Uh, good reviews for the cast. Uh, M- Michael J. Fox, uh, one reviewer, said he had an appealing performance. Some believe that Lloyd's performance outshone the rest. So even at the time where this, ba- Michael J. Fox was already top of the world, you know, biggest star on TV. I think he'd won an Emmy at this point. He was like one of the youngest w- Emmy winners in history. Uh, but even the time this comes out, Christopher Lloyd's getting all the good reviews. So where was his Oscar nomination? Yeah. Uh, four awards, Golden Globes, uh, four nominations of Golden Globes for Best Musical Picture and then Best Actor for Michael J. Fox in a comedy, Best Original Song and Best Screenplay. Uh, it was nominated for Favorite Motion Picture with the People's Choice Awards. Academy Awards, it only received one for sound effects editing, uh, but it had more nominations for Best Original Screenplay, well-deserved, Best Sound, uh, best original song. And how is there no sound effects editing? I'm not arguing that, but like this is the most perfectly edited movie. As I was saying, like that clock tower sequence, you can't beat that. Mm. Uh, and then the song to lose the power of love. Which Lionel Richie song is it? Oh, fuck. I don't know. I'm um, I'm at a piano. Um. <laughs> I'm at a piano. My name is Lionel say Richie. Say you, uh, say me from White Knights. Oh, of course. I mean, I, I know that song, but it's no power of love. There's two songs um, from the movie White Knight. There was a song from Chorus Line, a song from The Color Purple. Um, Lionel Richie was up for like two Oscars because uh, he wrote the one for Color Purple as well. Is this the year that Out of Africa wins Best Picture? It is. I mean, universally kind of considered to be the one of the weakest Best Picture winners ever. And Back to the Future is not even nominated. It's just wrong. And, and this is why it's so weird because... We covered a lot of movies so far. We took just earlier this year, Raiders of the Lost Ark got nominated for Best Picture, Jaws, Star Wars, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. These movies were not ET. They were nominated for Best Picture. And then is Back to the Future year just stopped until we get Lord of the Rings? How does this not get nominated for Best Visual Effects? Cocoon wins ahead of Return to Oz and Uh, Young Sherlock Holmes. I'm sorry. Back to the Future doesn't even get nominated for Best Visual Effects? Well, okay. I will say, I mean, the visual effects are great what's in this, but Robert Zemeckis, uh, I think it was in the commentary, he even says that people often think there's more visual effects in this movie than there are. Like, he's like, there's a handful of shots, but they're all pretty simple. They're expertly done visual effects. But it's so weird you just said Return to Oz and uh, Cocoon because it was like a week ago I watched Return to Oz, which has amazing effects. And uh, Cocoon, Jamie and I were actually just watching that last night. Uh, also, very good effects. Isn't that the that, one where like uh, old people become young or something like that? Yeah, yeah, because it's like alien uh, eggs or whatever that they're swimming in the water of. Great movie. Um, Ron Howard's breakthrough movie. But uh, that young Sherlock Holmes, that was the one that was like the first movie to do computer generated characters. Uh, so I could see why it might have been nominated. But I mean, two definitely is going to get a nomination. You get there next week. Um, box office, uh, it made a fair bit of money. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> Uh, I mean, three hundred, almost four hundred million dollars worldwide, uh, domestic box office. So opening weekend. Now we, we should mention the the opening with this was pushed back and back and back. It was supposed to come out in May, then it was supposed to come out in June. 
one of the reasons why we only have that one trailer is because they didn't have everything done in time. Uh, they were still filming this up until I think something like nine weeks before it was released. They were still filming. Um, they used the Power of Love song and actually got the video. And you, Christopher Lloyd is in the video for the Power of Love where he pulls up as Doc to the club to watch him play. And that song was out like long before it. And it was, I think, the number one song in the country the weekend Back to the Future came out, which was one of the first examples of using a soundtrack to promote a movie as opposed to the other way around. We got a good soundtrack. Now let's release some songs off of it. Uh, this song was already quite famous, you know, because that was the only way they could promote the movie. But eventually it comes out in July. Uh, it opens with $11 million, which is pretty respectable. Um, it uh, goes on. Uh, well, what's the first weekend it has here? July 5th, uh, it opens opposite the Emerald Forest and Red Sonja. Now, Red Sonja is kind of a famous bomb because that was like a spinoff of Conan the Barbarian, which is a big hit. Uh, but this knocks Clint Eastwood's Pale Rider out of the top spot. Uh, got a vendetta there. And then Rambo First Blood Part 2 was still there. But this opens $11 million is, I guess, pretty decent for a movie like this. But when you look at the week oh. by week, it's where it's crazy. What are you going to see uh, that weekend, though, Colin? You got Back to the Future, you got Cocoon, The Goonies, A View to a Kill. Oh, oh yeah, um, huge summer. And I think Back to the Future kind of benefits from this very competitive summer where it's one of the last, because of these delays, it comes out after things like A View to a Kill and Goonies and uh, all this other stuff. So it's able to capitalize on the whole summer because this is number one for three weeks in a row with a drop of less than a million dollars in three weeks from week to week. 11.1 million is the opening. It's third weekend is 10.3. It gets knocked out of the top spot for a single week at the end of July by National Lampoon's European Vacation. Oh, great movie. And then goes on a nine-week run at number one again. So 12 weeks out of um, 15 weeks, it's number one in the box office. Drops for the next two weeks. And then October 11th goes back to number one. Uh, and then November 27th, and no, no, yeah, Thanksgiving weekend goes back to number one again. This thing is in the top 10 until the last week of the year in 1985. Obviously, it's the number one highest grossing film of 1985. Um, domestically, $210 million. As I said almost $400 million uh, worldwide. Next closest is uh, Rambo First Blood Part Two, $150 million. I mean, for an R-rated movie, that's respectable. But I mean, that, that's well behind this. And then big year for Sylvester Sloan, Rocky Four was the number three movie. Also, The Color Purple, Out of Africa, Cocoon, Jewel of the Nile. Beautiful Kill on uh, 13th. Come on. Yeah, which is ahead of uh, the other Battle of the Bonds, uh, the Never Say Never Again, uh, which is much further What down. year are you thinking, White? my friend? <laughs> oh, so never. I'm, I'm thinking 83. That, that, that's Octopussy was the Battle Spy of the Bonds. me. <laughs> Uh, but uh, also White Knights, number 17. So it won the Oscar, but it far lost the box office battle. Um, IMDb reviews. So uh, there's two very quick ones I want to get to here because I got to go to the bathroom pretty bad. These um, are one-star reviews, right? I'm guessing. One-star reviews, yes. Uh, oh, Star Wars Romania said, The Massacre of Cinema. <laughs> if you want some... If you want some true sci-fi, just watch Star Trek, Stargate, Battlestar Galactica, or Star Wars. Uh, there is allowed to be science fiction that does not have the word star in the title. Uh, and then the next one here, Jog On is what Jog On Please wrote. <laughs> How vain your Jog On is. It's your your username and your reviews just say, are all the reviews going to say Jog in it? Whoever likes this movie should Jog On, in my opinion. Pen to the Future is the worst film of all time. And I don't know how anyone could sit through five minutes of it. What else is Jog On Please reviewed? Oh, I'm looking at Star uh, Wars Romania's reviews. They're pretty uh, <laughs> pretty quick and to the point. But I'm seeing here, Jumanji, the next level. Next level humor, shit, bull crap. 
This movie is insanely horrible. Don't go watch this. The acting is horrible and the jokes and comedy are so, 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 so lame. But then for Star Trek Next Generation says, the greatest series of all time. This. This show. Not only did I grow up with it, but it influenced my whole life. The greatest TV show of all time. Star Wars Romania, should you not be Star Trek Romania then? I love that Jog On Please has reviewed two other movies. One is Set Your Heart Ablaze, which looks like an anime film, which is entitled Incredible. And the other one is 19, or 2014's film called Lava, which the review says, I lava you, but jog on, please. <laughs> what is the jog on thing? I've never heard this expression in my life. Jog on? Wow. Uh, plot keywords. Uh, some obvious ones here. Time travel, time machine. DeLorean is going to be interesting. What well, would we have? Uh, so I've just opened mind. that. What do you think the number one movie for DeLorean would be, Colin? If you had to say, you know, what would you think would it would think- be? I would think the top three would be Back to the Future 1, Back to the Future 2, and Back to the Future 3, but apparently not. The Wolf of Wall Street is number one. Followed by uh, Back to the Future, followed by Donnie Darko, Donnie followed Darko. by Ready Player One, followed by now, Sausage well, Party, then Back <laughs> to the Future 2, then Back to the Future 3. So Ready Player One actually incorporates <sighs> the, the DeLorean from Back to the Future into it. Yeah. The, the Back to the Future DeLorean is in the movie, and it beats Back to the Future 2 and 3. That's not fair. Um, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street, a hugely overrated movie. I, I, I'm it. not a fan of that. Uh, oh, year sexual harassment month. Um, featuring, is there sexually harassing your son? Featuring X, Ma, South Park, and the Royal Hotel. Um, there's a person in a car trunk uh, month we could do. Uh, featuring Falling from a tree. Pulp Fiction, The Equalizer 2, The Gentleman and Goodfellas. Um, mother son incest avoided. Yes, specifically avoided mother son incest. What are we watching? Back to the Future, uh, Oedipus the King, uh, Oedipus Rex, and Goliath ninety six, which looks like the cover of Donnie Darko. But strangely enough, I've never seen any other, even heard of these. A lot of Oedipus films. I wonder why. Uh, there's there's a, a racial slur month. Have we not uh, <laughs> talked about that one before? I feel. <laughs> Uh, featuring The Sopranos and Wolf of Wall Street. That's really popping up. The Shining and The Godfather. Uh, Chocolate Milk Month. Here we go. (laughs) That's the ultimate. Featuring A Man Called Otto, Halloween Ends, Back to the Future, and Sausage Party. Apparently we're doing Sausage (laughs) Party and The Wolf of Wall Street. I've never seen Sausage Party, though. Uh, I'm guessing there's a, some Back to the Future references in it or something. Uh, well, I guess it's, it's that's a movie that takes place in a fridge, so maybe that explains the, the chocolate milk. Um, well, I think I, I think I might buy this. I, I think you twisted Horrible. my arm into it. But, uh, I actually own, I still own all the versions of this movie, which, by the way, if my brother is listening, we co-own the Blu-rays because we both wanted it, and we were living in the same, like, we, we, we were adults. We were living in the same building at the time, like, different floors, different apartments. And I said, okay, well, why don't we just pool our money and then I'll watch it. Then you watch it. I still have the copies. I've had them for a couple of years. If you want them, let me know. Let me know. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I love this movie. I will just put on the special feature sometimes just to watch it. Uh, so this is hands down number one. And, uh, it's pretty safe to say that this is, it's a foregone conclusion. This is going to be number one for ranking it for the month because, uh, it was number three on my all time list. and was number three on your all time. list. Yeah. I mean like, yeah, like it's definitely going to be number one of the month, but I mean, I'll have a lot of defenses next week because I'm a bit of a Back to the Future 2 fanboy. Um, but, yeah, absolute buy. I I wouldn't have the DVD anymore when I sold all my DVDs. This isn't one I kept, but I did used to watch this a lot when I had it. I've never had the Blu-ray because I just kind of stopped buying Blu-rays at a certain point. Um, 
I don't think the ride was at Universal Studios when I went there, but I don't know what. Oh, it, I always wanted to ride that so badly. Which because I did the Jurassic Park ride, that was one I did because yeah. I and I hate rides. But um, yeah, I mean, I I do I have a pop figure of this? No, I had a T-shirt. Um, I don't know what other merch I had of this. Um, yeah, I think I might have had the oh, and my little pie with retro games. I'd sometimes play like the Back to the Future two and Back to the Future three video games. They weren't very good. Oh yeah. Um, oh, I'm excited to talk about those next week. The, the Nintendo ones you're talking about? Yeah, I was, nah, they kind of were just a bit like meh. But um, anyway, uh, but no, yeah, it will be number one as well. But I, I mean, honestly, I think I'm just spoiling my rankings right now. My order is basically the order of the film. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's going to be the same. I, I don't dislike three, It's but it's, you know, I, I would go one, ah. two, three. I constantly go back and forth between two and three. Like I, I appreciate more of the originality of two. But I also acknowledge that originality was their hands were tied. It wasn't the, the original idea for part two. I, I'm kind of glad we didn't get that movie because I don't think it would have been as I good. I don't know if I know the original idea for two. So I'm intrigued oh, to hear about that. Yeah, we'll talk about it next week when we talk about Back to the Future 2. Uh, which I, I think this was when, because I was lucky enough that I saw Back to the Future before Back to the Future 2 and 3 came out. And these, of course, the movies that filmed back to back because they'd waited this long and they didn't know when they'd actually get everybody together again at the same time. Uh, so I, I, I did get to see this. It was one of the first movies I got to see in theaters. Uh, I can remember seeing it. I've already talked earlier this year when we were covering Pretty Woman about how I was able to watch this movie like 20 times over the course of one week uh, when we were staying in a hotel and they had like pay-per-view. This is before it even came out on video. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I lived and breathed this movie. Um, th there's some fun stories about how fanatical I got about Back to the Future during this time period that I'll get into next week. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was literally as I same story as I told this one. We we rented it one weekend, and I'm pretty sure we binged them all in one night, if I'm not mistaken. When I was 14, loved everything of them, and I think even when I was a kid, uh, when I first watched these, I always had two as my favorite. I love future things. I love going into the future and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, you would have seen this a lot more removed from 2015. I saw this 14 years away from 2015, and then we all know all the memes and everything that came about with 2015 when this mm -hmm. was, you know, reached its thing. And as we said at the beginning of this episode, we are now further removed from Back to the Future than we were from Marty going back to 1955, which is very, very scary. So, um, yeah, I, I love the second one. And, I mean, this is really the first... Is this the first instance of, like, sequels knowing that they're going to do two so they film them back to back? Did they, have they done that before? First, well, for sequels, yes. Because uh, the only two times that really happened prior to this was... Um, Superman, the movie, of course, was supposed to be Superman one and two shot back to back, and they were filming them simultaneously, but then they ran out of money and said, we got to finish one first, which came from the producers of Superman, the movie had done the three, the three Musketeers, the three Musketeers and the four Musketeers. But those were movies where it's like, we're going to do part one and two together, as opposed to we're going to do two sequels, which... Of course, we'd get that later on with uh, with the Matrix and Lord of the Rings and everything yeah, else. Yeah, I knew like Lord of the Rings and all that famously filmed them all selves together. And yeah, the Matrix one, so I knew that. But like this is, I mean, as far as I know, the only time, I mean, this was a very rare thing that they did because they were released, what, what, a year apart, six months apart? Yeah, six months, yeah. Yeah, so what, 89 and 90, correct? Um, mm -hmm. Does the second one have a song? Like I know the third one's got no, ZZ well, Top and this one's got obviously Huey Lewis. Does the second one have... It, not like a song written for the movie because like you hear sammy hagar's i can't drive 55 and you hear obviously perry como playing but 
no song was specifically written because the opening credits are just the Back to the Future theme as you're like zooming through the clouds. Yeah. Do we like, uh, was it Double Back? What's the ZZ Top one? From? Double Back? Yeah. yeah oh, wait song. till we get to three. I got a very good story to tell about. I don't uh, know. ZZ do I like ZZ Top, Top better in Back to the Future 3 or the Santa Claus? It's very difficult to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To, did you see the trailer for the new season of the Santa Claus? Doesn't look good. Uh, anyway. The trailer's out now? I only found out the show was doing another season like a few <sighs> weeks ago. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. I'll watch it no matter what. Watch I don't, the Ferrari one. The Ferrari one looks amazing. And I, I've got to say, <laughs> and this week, the time of recording, this is going to be dated by the time we release it. The American Grand Prix in uh, Texas is on. And uh, Enzo, Fer uh, Enzo Ferrari, yes, he's alive. Um, Michael Mann and Adam Driver visited the Ferrari pits in uh, Texas oh. to help promote the movie Ferrari. So it's getting exciting, Colin. It's coming out. It's one of the only movies I was running through with Jamie, how many movies are left to come out that we actually might see. And that was, I think, one of three or four that actually could count. Well, the Marvels, I'll be seeing a lot of by stuff. By the time this gets released, we'll be seeing yeah. uh, the, the Marvels. Isn't it, haven't they changed the title of it now to Ms. Marvel 2 or something like that? Captain no, Marvel I think it's 2. still the Marvels. Uh, I think it's still the Marvels. But, I, I, I saw mean, that they had changed it because people. it was kind of like the Birds of Prey thing. They didn't realize what, what people were dumb enough to realize that this was a sequel. Well, so. I know that there's a, there's, there's a lot of stories I'm seeing where the projections are extremely low right now. Like, we're talking like... Even pandemic times, you know, the Shang-Chi and stuff like that would open $100 million. And they're currently saying, we're looking at probably 70 to $80 million. So maybe they are looking to do a promotion. Because I know that happened with X-Men 2. It was always called X2. And then only like three weeks before the movie came out, they suddenly said, we're going to start promoting this as X2 X-Men United just to, you know, make it uh, so that people knew what it was. So yeah, maybe there will be some promotional thing with that. But, uh, but yeah, we'll get back to the future in 24 in there. And then uh, probably pretty soon we'll be doing a review of the Marvels and see if it's any good. Oh boy, uh, we'll make up. We'll make up that low box. Every time that. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh! <laughs> that, that's very George McFly, Doc Brown. You pointing. Oh, two things. So um, about the time of releasing this, I'll be very close to going to see the room screening with Greg Sestero. Oh, who yeah. I'm going to try and maybe try and do something when he's back here again. But I Sound saw the, the same theater that's showing that, which I don't think I'm going to go to, but. They're doing the Australian premiere of Big Shark. Uh, <laughs> oh, seriously? Yeah, like they're doing it like very soon. Maybe by the time this has been released, it's already been on. So um, uh, sadly, Tommy Wiseau is not. If Tommy Wiseau was going, I'd go. Um, but uh, yeah, they just said we're doing the Australian premiere of Big Shark. That actually is very exciting. Maybe Greg will stick around for it. Oh, um, hi, Greg. Or really uh, yeah, so whatever other reviews we have coming up this month is probably... Um, just give me the marbles. That's it. Uh, we got no plans for anything else, unless it's Big Shark, in which case we are definitely in. Uh, my name is Colin, and and my name is Ben. And <laughs> thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at the Oz network.net thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time
Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs)